The Oxygen Tank by Jonathan Harnish Synopsis The Oxygen Tank is a non-linear story of schizophrenia and obsession. Rather than having a chronological plot, it exists in a series of maddening hallucinogenic episodes that combine Benjamin J. Screeber's deepest insecurities and darkest fantasies. In every one of these manic flashes, the same characters appear, Georgie, the alter ego living in Ben's body, and Claudia, the object of his twisted desires and destructive obsession. These schizophrenic blue movie skits and sleazy hardcore porn flicks, as Ben describes them to his psychiatrist, open a disturbing window into the psychopathy that controls his everyday. Claudia is a woman Georgie meets on the street. They have crude sex in a motel. Georgie and Claudia are long married and living together in a sprawling La Mansion. They abuse one another, and she has an affair with a gardener, a business trip and early, bringing Georgie home in time to find Claudia hiding another man in their bedroom. Georgie flies into a homicidal rage, but he is still a slave to her will. Claudia, a new and dangerously seductive acquaintance, lures Georgie into her home. Fangs extend from her gums and blood drips from her lips, and Georgie can't escape. Georgie and Claudia are a criminal duo. They've robbed a bank and sit with their takings in a duffel bag at a coffee house. In a moment of moral crisis, they leave the money in a Salvation Army box. Claudia is an exotic older woman just arrived from France. She falls into a sultry affair with Georgie, an all-American rogue and criminal. Claudia is struck by a car and paralyzed. In his attempt to keep their love alive, Georgie takes her on a boat ride for her birthday. She drowns. Georgie is married to a woman named Cleo, but his mind is tormented by Claudia. He wrecks a wax museum dedicated to her image while stalking a waitress who bears Claudia's likeness. Just as the line between reality and psychosis is never defined in Benjamin's mind, so it remains muddy on the pages of the oxygen tank. In the end, Dr. C, the psychiatrist Ben believes is just as crazy as he, lends his wisdom. Ben seeks to destroy Claudia time and time again because he has created an impossible fantasy, and Claudia, tragically, only wants to be loved outline soliloquy for Dr. C. Benjamin Screeber has left rehab, sleepless for the third night in a row. He ponders his therapy sessions with Dr. C and thinks about his book. His writing details the product of his schizophrenia, his alter ego, Georgie Gust, and his desires, his perversions, and his twisted fantasies involving the mysterious Claudia Nesbitt. According to Ben, his long line of past shrinks and Dr. C are just as crazy, if not crazier, than he is, peeping Dom's looking for a glimpse into the pornographic dreams playing out in his mind. Part 1, A Day in the Life of Georgie Just a typical day, Georgie pulls himself out of bed, hungover, deep into the afternoon, his Los Angeles apartment is a mess with weak old garbage and dishes, calls from creditors fill his answering machine, he drinks two-day-old coffee and heads to work, six hours late, where his desk is an equal disaster, walking home, smoking his last cigarette, he encounters a woman singing the same song that rings in his head, she's red-haired, green-eyed, and visibly attracted to him, as he is to her, after a few moments of cautious flirting, Georgie and this new woman, Claudia Nesbitt, check into a motel, they haven't moved past foreplay when the scene vanishes, is it a memory of Georgie's, a fantasy, or a schizophrenic hallucination, part 2, another day in the secret life of Georgie just after a phone call from Claudia, Georgie walks alone on a deserted beach under the light of the moon, he's bedraggled and strung out, but still has some kind of dangerous sex appeal, another message from Claudia is waiting on his machine, or is it simply an echo of a past memory fantasy, her voice, her messages, ring in Georgie's head every few minutes. He languishes in filth in an otherwise grand house. 
The housekeeping staff arrive, forcing Georgie in his stained and sodden clothing to retreat to the porch, where he watches his clean, respectable neighbors pass by. Georgie's whole existence is a mess. Part 3, Living the American Dream We enter Georgie's fantasy. He and Claudia live together in an enormous La Mansion. Even in this construct of Georgie's mind, there is darkness. Claudia is having an affair with their Mexican gardener. Georgie's mind begins to split, the fragments chasing different memories from his fantasy life with Claudia, their engagement, their college days, their honeymoon. All the while, Claudia is his sexual object but aloof, arrogant, always above him. She is both his purest fantasy and a whore. He both loves and hates her, desires her and agonizes over her. Part 4, The End of a Dream, The Fantasy Grows and Georgie and Claudia's suburban mansion grows within it in a gruesome show of excess. Inside the house, the couple fights. Georgie goes on a business trip to Las Vegas, leaving Claudia, who tries to use her sexuality to convince him to bring her along, alone and angry in the house. Taking herself out to dinner, Claudia runs into an old acquaintance, and flame, Sir Tony Haldale. An evening of dinner and drinks soon turns into an affair when Claudia's car is found with a flat tire and Tony gives her a ride home in the rain. The next morning, a panicked Claudia calls her best friend Amanda, who is in bed with a married man, Stevie. Amanda arrives at the house to find a tear-streaked Claudia standing next to the still form of Sir Tony, naked and lifeless in her bed. The two are trying to figure out what to do with the body when Georgie arrives home, he's left the conference a day early. Claudia tries to distract him when the sound of a flushing toilet echoes from upstairs. Enraged, Georgie grabs a half-sawed-off shotgun and races upstairs to find Tony, who has somehow come back from the dead, emerging naked from the bathroom. Part 5, The Crack-Up Post-Affair in a Schizophrenic Reverie, Georgie and Claudia's marriage crumbles, and so does their extravagant house. Claudia leaves Georgie returning ten years later to find their home in shambles but still grander than the life she sought alone. Georgie's father has died, and Georgie has grown even richer. Georgie implores Claudia to stay with him, but she dances away from his propositions. Over thirty messages from Claudia are still saved on Georgie's answering machine, she holds a strange and dark power over him. He can't remove her from his head and his desires, even when she blatantly dismisses him to take up with another woman, Sarah. Georgie's twisted fantasies turn to bondage and violent sects, where he is the victim of Claudia's urges and cruelty, but still he loves her. He dreams end with a pistol in his mouth, but there are no bullets. Part 6, the flashback we return to Georgie, hungover, chain-smoking, and alone, in a humble and filthy house. Again, he enters the fantasy of meeting Claudia for the first time on the street. He has a sick desire for her but they do not make love, she only allows him to kiss her feet. Part 7, the fantasy, I Georgie departs from reality entirely, into the trenches of his Claudia-obsessed mind. His fantasies and reveries flicker in and out like television channels. Georgie and Claudia flirt and desire each other on the white sand beach, alone. Georgie screams for Claudia in a crowded studio. Claudia draws him into her sex-scented apartment and quickly grows fangs as blood drips from her lips. Georgie tries to run but the door is locked. Claudia tries to seduce Georgie into a threesome with Amanda, but he screams, fearing a darker motive. The two sip coffee at a trendy cafe, acting normal though they've just robbed a bank. They finish their drinks and drop the bag of loot into a Salvation Army box. Claudia is about to board a plane, they are criminals who must separate for their own safety. She doesn't come back. Part 8, The Fantasy, I either pair meet as strangers in an unnamed city. Claudia looks distinctly European. 
Their first date is full of promise, Georgie is enamored with the seemingly French Claudia, and she is drawn in by this man who, to her, represents the American dream. Georgie transforms into an American gangster, robbing banks and running from the government in a life of crime. Part 9, The Secret Love and Death of Claudia Nesbitt and Georgie Just a mansion Georgie shares in his mind with Claudia grows to the size of an airport. He is master of his estate and Claudia his panting mistress, making him the envy of all. They marry, and the honeymoon night is filled with Claudia's moaning praises of Georgie's prowess. He desperately needs her praise and her submission, when he knows that in truth she owns him completely. Then, in the height of their happiness, Claudia is struck by a car and left paralyzed. Georgie vows to stay with her, but their passion dies. As days pass without physical love, Claudia hardens against him, but Georgie pledges to love her relentlessly. On her birthday, Georgie takes the still paralyzed Claudia out for a boat ride. In the thrill of the waves and sea spray, Georgie fails to notice that Claudia and her leaden legs have slipped beneath the water's surface. He can't even swim to go after her. Part 10, Down and Out with Georgie Just Georgie is old and homeless. He enters a dinner diner where Claudia, plain, boring, and exciting, pours his coffee. Despite his tattered clothes and the smell of the street on his skin, Georgie wins over the patrons of the diner. His mind flickers, and we find Georgie on the street, a revolver concealed in a paper bag in his hand. Another change, and Georgie is a madman riding the bus. He babbles to the other patrons incoherently. Claudia sits in the seat next to him for a short while, a fleeting member of his ride who will not remember him, though he needs her to. Georgie himself gets off the bus at his psychiatrist's office, but even his shrink is trying not to help him, but to incriminate him. Part 11, Epilogue, The Waxworks with Claudia Dead. Georgie sinks his riches into a wax museum where he will immortalize Claudia and figures of Greek goddesses and Roman empresses, but there is a problem, he needs a model for the figures, and no one can play Claudia but Claudia. Georgie has been married to another woman, Cleo, for seven years, but they both control and despise each other. While his wax artist struggles to capture Claudia's likeness, Georgie finds her in a waitress at a seeded diner. Obsessively, he finds reasons to attend or walk past the diner almost daily, his psychosis blending seamlessly with the world around him. Part 12, Coda, Benjamin J. Scriba writes to Dr. C. Georgie and Claudia, or at least their manifestations, and Real and Benjamin knows it. He writes to Dr. C., trying desperately to explain the prison his mind has trapped him in, a prison of flashes and episodes in which Georgie, Claudia, and the same cast of twisted characters surface time and time again. He feels himself going crazy, but as the same people occupy the same roles over and over, Ben begins to feel that the world is just as crazy as he is. Appendix. Final Q&A session between Benjamin J. Scriber and Dr. C. Dr. C. is not the conspirator Ben fears him to be, but the only one with the answer to Ben's, and Georgie's, salvation. In his letter, he explains that Ben's manic episodes, his pornographic fantasies and psychotic daydreams all serve to teach the same lesson, that Ben, manifest in Georgie and Claudia, traps himself in abusive, self-destructive cycles, but all he needs to do to cure himself is to choose, to want to end them, that his will alone will be enough, that it is far more powerful than Ben would believe, Dr. C ends his letter with a sage piece of advice, to not take oneself, even if that self is plagued with illness and hidden voices, too seriously, and to above all learn to laugh, appendix. Final Q&A session between Benjamin J. Scriber and Dr. C. In their final correspondence, Ben asks Dr. C. who he thinks George Egist and Claudia Nesbitt are and what they ultimately want. The doctor's answers are simple.
Georgius created a fantasy in Claudia that no woman can ever live up to, and because he knows no living woman can fill the mold he's made, he seeks to destroy her, to desecrate her, to humiliate her perfection so that he can feel superior, and Claudia, well she, like everyone, just wants to be loved, loved for her imperfections, for her difficulties, for her abuse, in the end, all Ben can do, as the good doctor says, is laugh soliloquy, for Dr. C, it is 3.10 a.m., this chill night air really makes my skin crawl, it's so quiet here that it gives me the creeps, I ought to be in bed, I guess, catching a few zes, but the twitches and ticks just keep me awake and these meds I'm strung out on won't let me sleep, I haven't slept in three days, but hey, I'm not complaining, at least I'm out of rehab and I can get back to my writing, my cryptic transsexual writing, my creepy secret wet dreams, my perplexity, my perversity, the secret sex diaries of Benjamin J. Screeber, yeah, that's me, Benjamin J. Screeber, or at least I think that's me, but does Dr. C think that's me, that's what I want to know, see, Dr. C, I'm writing again just like you told me to, writing therapy, shite, does this feel like therapy, does it look like therapy, does it read like therapy, tell it to the doc, not me, I'm not buying it, but the doc buys it, Dr. C that is, she's the latest psycho brain picker in a long, long line of shrinks my dear old dad and stepmom have hired to try to make me cop to the crazy rap, yeah, dear old dad and mom, they slap me into rehab and expect me to come out as some kind of wholesome, normal, healthy human being, or something, huh, just think, me, Benjamin J. Screeber, like I ever was some kind of wholesome, healthy, normal human being, or something, imagine that if you can, I know I can't, and if I can't, it'll never happen, it's like I tried to tell the doc, doc, I said, it's like I have these sleazy snuff flicks, these schizophrenic sex and drug skits, these scuzzy blue movies playing in my mind all of the time, sleeping or waking, on the street or at home, whatever, wherever, it doesn't matter, I have these schizophrenic sex fantasies and psychotic porn movies playing in my mind, and Georgie Gust, he's in them, and Claudia Nesbitt, she's in them, and sometimes I'm in them, sometimes the Dr. C, she's in them too, and sometimes, creepy people I don't even know are in my dreams and somehow I just can't make them stop, you know what I mean, doc yeah, right, the doc see, she knows, doesn't see, she sees those schizophrenic porn flicks and psycho blue movies playing in my mind, or somebody's mind anyway, somebody just like me, but she isn't talking, she just keeps asking me these sneaky questions trying to poke around in my mind and pick my brains, trying to get inside my brain and see what makes me twitch and tick like I do, like she's trying to cure me, I don't even know if I want to be cured, you've got to want to be cured, Ben, Dr. C tells me, otherwise, it just won't work, but I'm not buying that, either, believe me, I know these psychos, I know these shrinks, they are crazier than me, and that's saying something, they're a bunch of loonies and freaks, creeps and perverts, and I'm not letting any shrink poke around in my secret sex fantasies and stick her fingers into my sleazy pornographic dreams and try to take them away from me, or maybe get me stuck back in rehab again, for life, so I keep the Dr. C at a safe distance, you know what I mean, I keep her at arm's length, and I don't tell her anything that isn't good for her, don't say anything that she doesn't need to know, which is nothing at all, if you ask me, but at least the Dr. C got me over my writing block, I've got to give her that. She cured me of my writer's block, if you can call it cured, so now I can write, write, and write, I can write my brains out, or my crap out, whatever, I can finally write whatever shite I want straight from the schizophrenic subconscious, from the psycho porno underworld, 
just me and my psycho sidekick and schizophrenic alter ego, Georgie Gust, that's me, and, of course, Georgie's lifelong porno chick obsession and freaky cheeky perplexity, Claudia Nesbitt, Claudia Nesbitt, my kinky sex goddess, my creepy, peeping nemesis, the number one love and hate object of my whole twisted love and sex life, keep writing, Ben, Dr. C says, just keep writing, at least this way, if Dr. C catches me writing this crap and busts me to my ex-wife for alimony or something, I can always say, hey, that isn't really me, it's just Georgie and Claudia, see Georgie just and Claudia Nesbitt, who keep stalking me and haunting me and making me write this crap, who keep acting out these schizophrenic blue movie skits and creepy porno flickwet dreams that keep running through my mind, because, see, I was supposed to be cured, I was supposed to be clean, I was supposed to be off this sex, drugs, and porn obsession I picked up somewhere along the way, and I swore, honest to god, that I wouldn't go back again of course I'd say anything, just so they'd let me out of rehab, well, now, here I am, sure as shite, Benjamin J. Screeber, I'm back for another schizophrenic blue movie and sleazy sex and drugs flick, along with George E. Gust, my creepy schizo sidekick, and kinky sex partner in perplexity and perversity, and Claudia Nesbitt, our freaky sex goddess and sardo bondage mistress, yeah, and all these other freaks and loonies too, all these other creeps and pervs, those other schizophrenic bitches and ho-ho-hos, they are real, or aren't they, don't ask me, and don't search me, either, all I know is that I keep on having these schizo fantasies, these psycho porno interludes or whatever, so I write them down in my secret sex diaries and let Dr. C try to figure out what they are all about, what's real and what not, what's me and what's Georgie, and what is this thing we have, Georgie and me, with that Claudia Nesbitt, what a freaky threesome we'd be now, wouldn't we, Dr. C, what a kinky hookup for the creeps and pervs wet dreams, you see, just Georgie Gust, Claudia Nesbitt, and me, Benjamin J. Screeber and a cast of millions out there in the invisible studio audience, we're all ready for another freaky blue movie skit and schizo psycho episode in, the secret sex diaries of Benjamin J. Screeber, dear diary, I'm confined but only by the walls I build myself part 1, a day in the life of Georgie just a screaming alarm clock on the nightstand reads 9am, Georgie lies in bed under the sleep rumpled covers, his bare feet sticking out the bottom, he's wearing long pajama pants without a shirt, he rolls over, slapping the snooze button, and the alarm clock stops squawking, for the moment, anyway, several hours later, the squawking alarm clock on the nightstand now reads 2pm, Georgie finally rolls over and cuts off the alarm, groggily, strung out and hungover, he struggles out of bed, Georgie waddles into the kitchen in his old worn out bathrobe, he rubs his eyes, he looks around the kitchen, it's a wreck, dirty dishes are piled high in the sink, trash is scattered across the counters and on the floor, in other words, it's a typical morning in a typical day in the secret life of Georgie Gust, he looks down at the stove and sees a cold leftover grilled cheese sandwich in a frying pan with only one bite taken, Georgie takes a big shaky bite of last night's reality sandwich and tries to gag it down, Georgie has a market board up on the refrigerator with a to-do list stuck to it, the only thing the list says is, get cigarettes, the scribbled note is a check mark by it, parenthetical pet peeve, pens that run out of ink when writing down something important, Georgie glances at the telephone and answering machine, the red light is blinking, Georgie lifts a pack of cigarettes from the counter and reluctantly presses the play message button, he takes a step back to listen, the first voice is feminine but firm, good morning, Georgie, it's Patty at the bank, your account is overdrawn again, can you please, Georgie hits the delete button, 
the machine moves on. This is a courtesy call from Visa. You have an overdue balance of 4009. Georgie hits the delete button again. The machine continues to play. This is a message from Publishers Clearinghouse letting you know that you are now out of the running for the 10 million doll. Georgie hits the delete button. The machine keeps playing. Hey, Georgie, it's your moth. Georgie hits delete. The machine starts to play another message but Georgie hits the delete button again and again until there are no messages left. Georgie takes a cigarette out of the pack and puts it in his mouth. He doesn't light it yet. The cigarette dangles loosely from his lips as he walks over to the constantly heating coffee pot that is still half filled with old coffee. He takes a dirty coffee mug out of the sink and inspects it. It doesn't look too bad, he thinks, just a little scraggy around the edges. He shrugs his shoulders, fuck it, he thinks, just give me the coffee and I'm out of here. Georgie pours the two-day-old coffee into the mug. He takes a sip, it's so hot it burns his tongue. Georgie drops the mug on the kitchen floor and coffee spills everywhere as it shatters. Georgie just stares at the spilt coffee and walks into the bathroom. On the can, Georgie looks at the silver toilet paper dispenser. The roll is empty, his bleary worn out face is also blank and empty. Parenthetical pet peeve, unknowingly dragging toilet paper stuck to your shoe. He steps in the shower, talking to himself. The soap drops, thudding as it strikes the porcelain tub. Georgie bends, he slips and falls. Goddamn, he moans. What a way to start the day, eh? Georgie tries to start anew in the kitchen. He lines up ten espresso cups on the counter, each filled with black tar. He pours a sugar shaker along the line of cups, running back and forth between them, an unlit cigarette dangling from his lips. Georgie pours each cup into a large thermos. Then he walks out of the kitchen, stepping right into the spilled coffee and porcelain shards. Coffee splashes up over his feet but Georgie doesn't notice. After downing half the thermos, Georgie steps into the bathroom. He turns on the hot water in the shower and just lets it run. Steam fills the air, moistening his lungs. After a few minutes, Georgie lights his cigarette and sits down on the toilet. He picks up a three-month-old copy of Newsweek. He thumbs through it, scans a few words, scopes a few pictures, and then throws it down. The radio plays A Day in the Life, by the Beatles. Eventually, Georgie gets dressed and walks out the front door into the white sunlit street. He stands out on the front patio, smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer. A couple of his neighbors are outside their houses too. It's a ritzy suburban subdivision somewhere in Los Angeles County. A well-dressed woman is walking, pushing a baby carriage. She waves to Georgie's neighbor. The well-groomed neighbor casually waves back. The well-dressed woman walks by Georgie. Georgie sheepishly raises his hand and waves. The well-dressed woman walks right past him like he doesn't exist. A few minutes later, another well-groomed couple comes walking up the street. They, too, march right past Georgie like he doesn't exist. Like, maybe, he doesn't, even. Georgie takes another pull off his beer. Although superficially nobody notices Georgie, the neighbors are really watching everything that happens at Georgie's place. There are quite a few of them actually, snooping and peeping behind the closed blinds and shuttered windows. Mostly they are the housewives stuck at home with their toddlers while their husbands are at work. And then there's Deb and Christian, plain Jane lesbian lovers, both 35 years old, who live across the street. Deb is the butch duck, Christian is the feminine balancer. They walk, hand in hand, to the front yard of their next door neighbor, Robin, chatting about their neighbors. We wonder, don't we, whom are they talking about? Could they be talking about Georgie and Claudia? She's the perfect housewife, Deb sniffs. 
She does the shopping, she does the laundry, and she does the dishes. All she does is wait on him. Don't underestimate her, Deb. Kristen snipes. All she really wants is his money, his inheritance. He's worth millions. What about the sex, Deb asks. Do they still have sex? Do you think? After all these years, it's got to be good. After all those years, it better be good. Kristen jokes. They snicker. The two approach Robin's yard. She's sunbathing with a three-year-old toddler, who plays with squeaky toys in a playpen. Robin, who's pregnant and in her thirties, reads a tabloid on a chaise long. She's a blondish, girl-next-door type, with a deep voice and frizzy red hair underneath her blonde highlights. While sunbathing, she covers herself against the sun in any way that she can. Kristen and Depp scope her out, saying hello. Hi, Robin. Kristen chirps. She turns to the toddler and starts babbling baby talk. Hiya, baby boy. Wugga wugga wugga. She pinches the boy's cheeks. Parenthetical pet peeve. People who speak in a high-pitched tone. You know, Kristen, Deb. Robin says, you're probably right. It's immediately clear that she's been following their conversation. But I do bet it gets boring after a while. She concludes. I think she's one of those quiet criminals. Deb whispers. I think she's a real freak. How so Kristen wants to know. I don't know. It's just the two of them Depp smirks. They bring the weirdest people over. One leaves and then the other leaves. They never go out together. And besides, they are so antisocial. So what's wrong with that Kristen asks. He comes home one day like he's just won the lottery. He's got a new car. He redoes the house. And she picks out the colors. What more can a woman want? Nobody's perfect. You know, they are probably swingers. Robin guesses. They are probably wife swappers. What's that supposed to mean? Kristen asks nervously. So what I think she swings both ways, Deb snickers. So what, Deb Christine asks. Yeah, so what Robin snickers. So do I, Christine rolls her eyes. Yeah, right, she says, parenthetical pet peeve, that anyone thinks the president's sex life is any of his or her business. Georgie walks through the house, drinking the last of the espresso from his thermos. He lights a cigarette and gulps down of the final, cold shot for fast, fast, fast relief. And Georgie sees that the day is nice. There are white, pillowing, slow-moving clouds, blue sky, and bright sun. Shite, Georgie grunts. Not another beautiful day, he twitches and ticks his discomfort. Georgie walks out onto the second floor patio. He looks down below. The hard-working landscapers of their power blowers on high. Or a police helicopter flies overhead. Loud, loud, loud. A cigarette boat screams by in the distance. Fire truck sirens whine. Georgie's face shudders, his arms jerk up from his sides, in a moment of panic, Georgie escapes downstairs, he climbs into his car and blasts out of the driveway, Georgie arrives at his office around 3.15pm, he's only 6 or so as late, in the messy trashed out office there's a desk, with a computer and papers strewn everywhere, his inbox is piled as high with papers as the sink in Georgie's kitchen is piled with dishes, Georgie stares at the landscape of his desk for a long time, Finally, he glances at an empty picture frame on the wall. There's nothing in it except the blank wall. Georgie alternates his attention between the desk and the wall. This goes on for some time. Finally, Georgie reaches for another cigarette. He notices it's his last one. When Georgie gets home, he looks at the marker board and erases the check mark by get cigarettes. Then he picks up a marker and rechecks it. Smoke break. The next day, Georgie walks down the street singing A Day in the Life by the Beatles. At the same time, an anonymous new age type woman, about 40, professionally dressed and wearing open-toed high-heeled shoes, also walks down the street. 
she's singing the same song as Georgie, the Beatles' A Day in the Life, the New Age woman sings the verses only just after Georgie does, like she's imitating him, only with some slight time lapse delay, after the New Age woman has finished the first verse, Georgie starts in on the chorus, after Georgie's finished, the New Age woman starts in on the chorus, Georgie and the New Age woman both turn the same corner at the same time, singing the same sang, they run right into each other, Georgie hears that she's singing and immediately stops, like he's embarrassed or something, somehow he just knows, we just know, that the new age woman is Claudia Nesbitt, but he's not going to admit he knows, is he of course he isn't, and neither am I, were you just singing that Beatles song, to the woman asks, I, I'm not sure, Georgie stammers, yeah, you were, Claudia says, I just know it, that Beatles song, from the White Album, or, I mean, SGT Pepper, yeah, yeah, yeah Georgie sounds excited, it's Georgie searches his memory for the name of the song, but still draws a blank, a day in the life, Claudia smiles, that's it Georgie gushes, Georgie smiles for the first time all day, Claudia lights a cigarette, do you happen to have another of those Georgie asks, by any chance Claudia hands Georgie one of her Virginia Slims, Georgie looks sheepishly at the woman's face, he notices her frizzy red hair, her bright green eyes, almost immediately, his shy eyes dart from her face to the brightly painted toes in her open-toed shoes, Georgie can't take his eyes off of her stunningly painted toenails and stylish feet, he looks at Claudia like a guy who's having a one-way conversation with a pair of huge tits, Georgie tries to look Claudia in the eyes, but he just keeps looking down at her feet, Claudia looks down to see what Georgie's looking at and finally notices she's stepped in something sticky, ah, damn it Claudia curses politely, I stepped in somebody's gum, I think it's a lifesaver, Georgie says helpfully, Georgie playfully knocks the lifesaver off her heel with his foot, he gives a shy grin as the new age woman with frizzy red hair and green eyes inspects her brightly painted toes and open-toed high-heeled shoes, Georgie notices a wedding band on her finger, but that just excites him even more, so, do you Georgie begins excitedly, or don't you Georgie and Claudia carry on a conversation, their lips moving and smiling, they are both obviously into each other, they keep laughing and talking excitedly, a few times, Georgie points to Claudia's brightly painted feet, and she giggles girlishly in response, Claudia lights Georgie's cigarette, they decide to check into a motel, smoke break, in the motel, Claudia sits on the couch while Georgie's sitting on the coffee table, he licks the stylish arch of Claudia's right foot while she croons to Moby's Ever Living, which plays over the dinny radio, suddenly, in the entrancing midst of this passionate, romantic seduction scene and delirious foot fetishist's fantasy, reality blinks out, the whole scene changes, dear diary, fuck it, as for my being happy, I can only be happy now, and that there will never be a time when it is not now, so, El Balam O Part 2, another day in the secret life of George Egas the motel room is empty, in the bathroom, a towel has been thrown out on the floor, it's crumpled up from wet feet, there are wet footprints on the bathroom floor and empty single serving soap bottles on the corner shelf, the housekeeper, Mary, gets the room ready for the next guests, the telephone sits on the unmade bed, there's a half used box of tissues beside it, Georgie stands in the corner of his well groomed yard, watering the closely clipped grass with a green garden hose, he smiles and waves to a neighbor passing by on the street, the neighbor, well dressed, ignores Georgie, of course, from inside the house, the phone rings twice, Claudia's voice echoes quietly from the answering machine, hey there, Georgie, she says, I was just thinking of you, smoke break, 
the blue moonshine lights up the white sand beach and the white-capped breakers, the tide is low, the whispering wave rollers are quiet and gentle, walking alone near the water's edge is a party of one, cigarette in mouth, a slightly disheveled, paunchy, middle-aged man, who is this guy, it's Georgie, of course, but he looks slightly out of shape, why does he look so bedraggled, so downtrodden, what's happened to change the Georgie just we know and love, don't we, into this disheveled, haggard stranger we scarcely know, still, even though Georgie looks pretty scruffy, like he's been slacking, maybe drinking and doping, sinking into a dissolute life of drunkenness and dissipation, he still has that drug addict sexiness some girls really go nuts for, although he's lost in thought, he's still taking in everything around him, the whitecaps crash louder and the screaming gulls come storming in for a meal, early the next morning, the white sand beach is empty, the sky is grey, flat, and still, the screaming gulls fly low in flux, the pacific rollers wash in and out, whispering with a mysterious voice, out of nowhere, Claudia's voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, I was downstairs at one of the lectures, Claudia's voice murmurs, it's so boring, but I got several compliments on my new pedicure, we're revisiting the past again, and we, we're back in the early days of Claudia Nesbitt and Georgie Gust, right, can't we ever escape the past, Claudia's raspy, husky voice echoes on Georgie's voicemail, so I thought maybe you might like to know what a great job you did, and on such short notice, too, what a swell guy you are, smoke break, the old wooden pier juts out into the immense blue ocean, a middle-aged couple walks hand in hand toward the end of the pier, they stare quietly out at the barges coming in, there's a snack and bait stand to their left, it is still closed at this early morning hour, the receiver of an old black payphone dangles off its hook, scrap litter blows in the wind, out of nowhere, Claudia's husky, sexy voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, I'm meeting some cool people here, she tells him, but a lot of them are really lame, this whole convention is really boring, only a few fishermen are out with their fishing gear, it's still very early in the morning, an Asian man pulls up a small fish that dangles on fishing line, his small son grabs the white bait bucket, out of nowhere, Claudia's smoky, sexy voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, so, you see, some of my new friends wanted to hang out by the bar and talk medicine, but I was hoping we could finish our conversation a delivery van drives past. Somebody tosses a newspaper on Georgie's well-groomed front lawn, there's a big pile of old rolled up newspapers on the closely clipped lawn, out of nowhere, Claudia's chirpy, worn out voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, the weather's so much nicer out here, we should at least get together before I leave tomorrow, smoke break, bright red sunlight bleeds through the closed window blinds, Georgie's sprawled on the bed with his eyes squeezed shut, passed out, sound asleep, out of nowhere. Claudia's cheerful encouraging voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, I was thinking about how brilliant you are, she says, and, likes, you have so much talent, people look at you and they see big things, the silent alarm clock on the nightstand reads 10.30am, out on the beach that afternoon, the sky has cleared up a bit, the white sand beach is packed with kite flyers, a dozen kites glide along the windy coastline full of living color and wonderful beauty, on the old wooden pier there are dozens of fishermen, in fact, there are more men than fish, at the hotel across the road, or a professional healthcare conference is just letting out, conference guests come swarming out of the emptying motel lobby, the checkout line is backed up out the door, the professional conference guests still wearing official name tags check out of the hotel, one by one, two by two, and three by three, the well-dressed bellboys are busy trying to handle two or four bags each, 
the flustered guests press tips into the bellboy's hands and harp in two waiting cabs, smoke break, Georgie's three-story suburban penthouse is really quite modest, so are most of the three-story houses in this suburban neighborhood, out of nowhere, Claudia's boisterous, challenging voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail she asks, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail she repeats, I just love that question, in this modest suburban neighborhood, the neighbors wear light jackets when they walk their dogs, a few stray house cats prowl the sidewalks, a small crowd of early morning walkers chat and gossip on the sunny corner near lines of sporty new cars parked on the white sunlit street, it seems like a friendly neighborhood, doesn't it, out of nowhere, Claudia's gritty, deep-throated voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, grab hold of just one project and get in there with your teeth and see what happens, she challenges him, even if you don't really have to, to make a living. Why not? What have you got to lose? Georgie's slightly pretentious suburban house is on a sunny street corner. It's the biggest house on the whole block. It's also got an ocean view. It takes up two full lots, what with the three-story house and the modest guest house over the three-car garage. Out of nowhere, Claudia's shrilling, encouraging voice appears on Georgie's voicemail. Somebody wants to tell a story about you and you're the only one who knows it well enough. She cheers him on. Go for it, she says. The front yard is a small grassy area with exotic landscaping, a patio, and a whiteboard fence. The house is made of brick, of course. Out of nowhere, Claudia's hard-bitten, satiric voice appears on Georgie's voicemail. You'd do the world a favor, hell, do it for me she barks. I'd love to hear about all the shite you've been through. A small gate leads to the front door of his charming and desirable home. The house is a little bit for just one person, especially a lonely guy like Georgie. Out of nowhere. Claudia's mawkish, jeering voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, so what if your dad is some big well-to-do public figure or whatever she mocks, this is your chance to shine, she applauds, just go for it she pauses, oh, just dart wait a minute at Georgie's plush suburban home, the Mexican housekeeping staff arrives in a black Ford excursion, the boss, a 40-ish Hispanic male hipster named Sanchez, wears a ponytail, his son, Ruben, who's about 21 years old, is dressed as a Mexican gangster. The female assistant is an Anglo who's sweet and polite and wears glasses. But, oddly enough, she speaks no English at all. Out of nowhere, Claudia's saccharine, girlish voice appears on Georgie's voicemail. I have a sweet little gift I found in the gift shop down here. She purrs. It's the perfect little gift. Just for you, Georgie. The excursion park is on the shady side of the house near the three-car garage. Out of nowhere, Claudia's middle-aged, Tired voice appears on Georgie's voicemail, anyway, my number should have popped up on your phone, she says, ringing off, just let me know what happens, the crew unload the cleaning supplies, smoke break, the silent alarm clock on the nightstand reads, 12pm, Georgie's a little bit heavier and maybe too dull, otherwise, he's a handsome young man, we think, he lies in the sleep rumpled bed, looking beat crumpled up piles of slick pornographic magazines, and a tiny video player that rolls a triple X show, surround Georgie, but Georgie's not really watching, is he, Georgie's feet hang out of the slightly yellowish sheets, his socks dangle limply over the nightstand, Georgie wears long pajama pants without a shirt, revealing his stressed out little jelly belly, he sits up in bed and leans over, he peeks out the bedroom window through the shuttered Venetian blinds and sees the cleaning crew unlocking the back door, about to come inside, he starts to panic, shite, Georgie says, they're here, he gets up out of bed, agitated, he finds his wire-rimmed glasses on the nightstand and puts them on, 
but immediately he notices they are smudged. He wipes them clean as best he can with his pajama pants. Georgie spots the clock and turns its face away, mumbling jumbled pseudo-garbled himself. He rechecks the time with his watch and two other alarm clocks in out-of-reach places. He decides that it's officially afternoon. He twists open the blinds. White sunlight beams through the horizontal bars. Behind the closet door, an old white hotel bathrobe hangs. Georgie wraps himself up in the robe and folds his arms, wishing he could find the waist tie. He opens his bedroom door but the Mexican housekeeper beats him to it. Georgie has no choice but to say something. Hi, Georgie says. The woman smiles at him. Hola, she says, and steps into the bedroom. She's only slightly embarrassed. The woman has obviously run into Georgie before on other occasions, when he was in even worse shape than now. She speaks in Spanish and signs to Georgie that she'll come back at a better time. She sashays away down the living room hallway. Mary, the Mexican housekeeper, returns to the kitchen where Ruben is prepping the dishes and unloading the dishwasher. Without taking orders, Mary swipes up a mop and starts scrubbing the tile floors. Parenthetical pet peeve, having to wash the dishes before putting them in the dishwasher. The boss, Sanchez, starts the coffee machine. The three talk to each other in Spanish. Ruben switches on the small clock radio that's mounted by the kitchen sink. Mariachi music swarms through the air, thick with the scent of soap. Strung out and hung over, Georgie stumbles in and grabs a pack of smokes. He ducks out, mumbling, and then strolls through the still disorganized living room. It's a disaster. Georgie turns to the front door to smoke on the porch, but before he gets there he stops for a moment, turning back to the disheveled bathroom, with the unlit cigarette still propped in his mouth. Georgie starts the shower water running on hot. Then he walks through the door and sits heavily on the porch steps. Georgie tries to light his cigarette but the lighter only flashes and sparks without catching flame. He takes a fresh matchbook off the patio table and lights the whole matchbook, with the matchbook flaring wildly. He finally lights Claudia's Ultra Slim 120. On the white concrete sidewalk in front of Georgie's plush suburban home, Georgie's well-dressed neighbor walks a small baby. The man's dressed appropriately for the cool day, wearing a light windbreaker and thick jeans. Nice day, isn't it the neighbor says. For something, anyway, he waves cheerfully to Georgie. Georgie still isn't dressed yet. He's still wearing his old heavy bathrobe. Georgie turns his back to the white concrete sidewalk and faces the house. His reflection in the front window stares back at him vacantly. He's a little embarrassed. He's really not the social type. A delivery boy enters through the small front gate. He pulls Georgie's paper from the stack and hands it to him, with a new delivery menu from Ling's China Garden. Georgie nods, thanks, while Georgie still stands smoking in the front yard. Dib and Christian, holding hands, approach Georgie's cornyard with their dog. One of them starts to wave hello, but Georgie has already put out his cigarette and headed back inside where the bathroom is bellowing steam. Georgie powers up the DVD player that is mounted outside the bathroom door. The 1001 Living Dead strings start playing their greatest hits of great dead teenage vampire lovers. Now there's music, Georgie thinks. Parenthetical pet peeve, science projects in the refrigerator. In other words, rotten leftovers, the Mexican houseboy, Ruben fits a stack of DVDs onto Georgie's CD tower shelves. He returns to the kitchen fridge, checking off the first item from the list, things that need to be done. Number 1, put DVDs and CDs in two piles. Number 2, switch furniture around. Number 3, color coordinate closets. Georgie slouches through the crowded living room, staring at the lists of things to do written on little pieces of scrap paper that are stacked on his coffee table. 
In Georgie's new age living room there's a sheer overkill of every little known fancy gizmo and cheap modernized gimmick, every cutting edge electronic doodad and trendy entertainment gadget that could possibly fit into a single room, but somehow, the room's still neat and organized. There are 8x10 inch glossy photos and brightly colored drawings framed and tacked up along the walls, and on the bookshelves there's certificates displaying Georgie's distant past, awards, trophies, and graduation records, pictures of old girlfriends, there are piles and piles of hardcore intellectual books stacked in piles of three hardcover copies each, the video and music collection also exists in triplicate, he has too many things, and too many copies of his things, some of Georgie's sketches and notes, peeking out of folders and from behind books, are only half finished, his drawings and paintings are scattered randomly on the hard surfaces of the room, they are hardly done, but still brilliant, graph paper diagrams seem drawn with purpose but with no immediate implications, along with intricate patent designs and obscure blueprints, it's obvious that Georgie has a strong, inventive mind, maybe even too strong for his own good, he has too many projects going on for one slothful slacky dude, arbitrary projects, redundant and grandiose projects, stupid, trivial projects, but still, too many, way too many, compared to his present, Georgie's past seems distinctly rich and full to him now, somehow he seems to have lost that richness and fullness, that living, colorful beauty, now he finds comfort only in his troubled sleep, he has nothing to look forward to, now, now, all his needs are taken care of, the things in his house, although artistically placed, are almost mathematically arranged, somehow everything corresponds to everything else. Georgie's quantum physics textbooks are neatly clustered and labeled with the corresponding videos and books, near an MC Eschel print, the stationary bike has athletic trophies stationed near it, along with workout tapes and sports magazines and signed baseballs, a spinning metal fan refracting light blows up at a ceiling fan, the ceiling fan spins slowly above the wheels of the bike that refract light from the metal fan, Georgie passes by the still running shower on his way to the kitchen, at the kitchen entrance, Sanchez rolls out a smoking cup of coffee for Georgie, Georgie takes the coffee cup and carries it outside through the kitchen door, on the back patio, Georgie smokes a bit and slugs down his coffee in small shots, he bobs his head to the beat of his own secret sang, Georgie's house phone rings through the big open house, he ignores it, taking another drag off his cigarette, now his cell phone rings, a distant chiming, he throws his cigarette down and runs into the house to find it. Then he remembers he's left the cell phone outside, but he returns too late. He sets the cell phone on the patio staircase, fidgeting with it. Finally, Georgie steps into the hot shower and sighs. Too late. He takes his soaked wristwatch off and sets it near his glasses on the steamy toilet seat. We hear the soap drop. Georgie slips and falls inside the shower. Goddamn it, he mutters. The CD player starts skipping. The vacuum cleaner sucks up the area rug outside the bathroom door. Georgie turns off the hot water, he peeks out of the shower for a dry towel but there are none, there are only a couple of washcloths and a roll of toilet paper, he glances at the hair dryer but decides to dry himself with the washcloths and toilet paper instead, he's miserable, he's pitiful, he's better than you or me, he's our Georgie, so what else is new, smoke break, after drying himself off, Georgie sits on the can, now there's no toilet paper, either, he starts up the shower again. Meanwhile, the Mexican cleaning crew is taking their lunch break in the kitchen, Mary carries a pile of dirty clothes out back, the digital microwave clock reads, 2pm, Georgie turns on a light switch in the living room but the bulb is burnt out, he keeps on, not noticing, 
He opens all the sun blinds throughout the whole living area and lets the white sunlight burst in. Still wearing his old white motel bathrobe, he searches for clean clothes in his closet and the laundry room, but they are all being washed. In exasperation, Georgie tries on a few old shirts and pants from his younger days, but they are all too small. He decides to wear them anyway. Now that he's finally showered and dressed, Georgie starts looking for something slightly interesting to do. Hell, anything to do. He starts rearranging the things in his messed up bedroom. He walks out back still wearing his two small clothes. Parenthetical pet peeve. If they have it in my size, I won't like it. If I like it, they won't have it in my size. If I like it and they have it in my size, it will cost too much. He removes an outfit from the laundry basket. Shirt, sweatpants, socks, and shoes. They are all very colorful and bright. Too colorful and bright, he thinks, and too clean, too. He slaps on a funky blue hat with his wild, colorful, basket-wrinkled outfit. To make himself even sexier, Georgie sprays aerosol deodorant all over his already clothed body. He brushes his yellowish, coffee and cigarette-stained teeth. Parenthetical pet peeve, getting deodorant stains on my clothes. He reads the bathroom mirror, which is a handmade label that reads, just trust Emmy would you trust this man to sell you a used car he thinks, or to sell you a used life, staring himself in the eyes, he shudders, not me, he thinks, he shaves, first with an electric, then with a straight-edged razor, without shaving lotion, although ten different brands have lotion as squatting on his vanity counter, he cleans a different pair of bifocal, wire-rimmed glasses and heads back to the living room that is still bright with daylight, the Mexican housekeeping crew is finally cleaning and organizing the mess. In the spirit of hospitality, Georgie joins them. He starts switching the pictures on the wall, rearranging the furniture, putting a few minutes time into shuffling and restacking his scattered notes and half-finished drawings. He arranges the books in a different order. He contemplates a crack in a glass picture frame on his wall. The room was fine the way it was, he thinks. Now I'll just trip over everything at night when I sleepwalk. Finally, Georgie leaves the rest of the living room remodeling to the Mexican cleaning crew. The hell with it, he thinks. Let them deal with it. That's what we pay them for, isn't it? To clean up after us. Georgie checks inside the fridge looking for something to eat. He sniffs the milk and tries to make himself drink it, but he can't gag it down. Finally, he decides that it's sour and he pours it down the drain. There's nothing much else in there, he thinks. Nothing edible. I mean, the freezer is loaded with microwavable TV dinners. Parenthetical pet peeve, people who put empty containers back in the fridge or freezer. Georgie grabs a cup from the dishwasher and fills it from the empty sink. He drinks it and washes the cup by hand, and then puts it back into the dishwasher. Georgie puts some Wizzo frozen pancakes in the microwave. He sets the timer for two minutes and pushes the start button. The microwave spits and hums ominously. While waiting for his Wizzo pancakes to explode, Georgie fantasizes washing and scrubbing in slow motion. An entirely overfilled sink of dishes, pots, and glasses. It's a soothing, romantic wish-fulfillment fantasy, parenthetical pet peeve, when guests rinse out a glass then put it in the sink, instead of putting it in the dishwasher when there's no extra effort involved. Of course it's nothing I'd ever act on, he thinks, it's just a fantasy. When the time is down to two seconds, Georgie presses the cancel stop button twice for no apparent reason, it's not like he's in a rush, is it? Don't answer that, he thinks, dear diary, bloody hell. I'm going to just leave all the broken pieces I've been trying to analyze and overanalyze, and move the hell on. Lie the life, lie the fucking dream life part 3, 
Living the American dream Georgie and Claudia have an enormous three-story McMansion in the sprawling suburbs of Los Angeles. They are having the McMansion remodeled this year, turning it into their American dream, a model home. In the background, the home restoration is in progress. Sharp staccato hammering, shrill high-pitched drilling, and raspy soaring noises echo throughout the house. Although it's already afternoon, Georgie is in the kitchen performing his morning rituals. We still can't make out his face to see which Georgie this might be. She really wasn't into me then, Georgie muses, he's mulling over his past, his love life with Claudia, I knew I wasn't good enough for her, I only wanted to better myself so I could have her, but that was a long time ago, things are different now, time has passed and now I've changed, Georgie scarfs down a handful of breakfast cereal, I really couldn't go on that way, he mumbles through what I've softened cereal, I couldn't live, knowing everything about my life at any given moment. Knowing that I loved a woman who couldn't really love me, I'd be living a lie, and I just couldn't live with myself as a lie, or with Claudia, either, Georgie looks out the big picture window across the vast acres of well-manicured shrubbery and well-groomed suburban lawns, there's a swimming pool, a tennis court, and a series of lawn chairs beneath white sun umbrellas in his front yard, as Georgie continues to muse, a half-dozen fluorescent green tennis balls shoot out of a serving machine, they bubble and roll aimlessly on the green pavement, beneath the white umbrellas, Claudia, in white tennis dress, and Marco, her secret lover, the Mexican lawn boy, are oblivious, I think I'm a love addict, Georgie whispers to himself, he twists the blinds shut, a strange man peeps through the kitchen window, bending the blinds with his fingers, this, too, is a different Georgie, do we know who he is, he's snooping and peeping on his own secret fantasies, He's butting in on his philandering fantasy wife Claudia. A little mystery and intrigue surrounding the breaking of the marital taboo piques his prurient interests. You know that feeling you get when you hold a girl's hand for the first time Georgie addresses Claudia, although she doesn't know it. Well, I don't feel it anymore. Not with you. Not with anyone. Finally Georgie frees the stuck window shade and closes it. The construction workers are hard at work restoring the enormous three-story McMansion where Georgie and Claudia live. The kitchen's a mess, kitchen tiles and plumbing parts are scattered everywhere, an old-fashioned refrigerator is being hauled out by two young men in work harnesses, Georgie cuts ahead of them, hurrying from the back of the kitchen to the foyer at the front of the house, a man working on scaffolding over the front door drops his orange hard hat by accident, it barely misses Georgie's head as he darts beneath the ladder, Georgie doesn't notice, he studies himself in the vanity mirror by the front door. He's handsome because he's rich and he's built like a Hollywood idiot. He picks a piece of lint off his collar and runs out hastily, grabbing a leather garment bag by the door and a set of unmarked keys from the coat rack. He leaves his brown leather briefcase behind at the door but only for a moment. Georgie's hands are full. He wipes his forehead. What am I doing here he wonders. How did I get here? Where am I going now? Who am I? Really? Smoke break. Georgie and Claudia's chauffeur, Charlie is short on time as he charges toward their elegant BMW coupe, two large suitcases clutched in his fists, the American dream couple are planning their dream vacation, Claudia's wearing a white and red summer outfit with a big floppy hat, she swishes across the well manicured lawn toward the elegant BMW coupe, Georgie longs for me, she whispers to herself, I'm everything for him, but the metallic shine of the brand new German sports coupe somehow does Georgie's existence, impassively, he runs his eyes over the vehicle from front to back, even the white wall tires gleam, the back license plate reads, weapon, Claudia's not impressed, he's just a little bit pretentious, she confides to Charlie, 
Charlie pretends not to notice, reaching inside the coupe, Georgie opens the electric trunk, he drops his garment back inside and manually shuts the trunk with a slam, the trunk jams shut, Georgie grunts and rolls his eyes, abruptly the whole scene changes, Georgie and Claudia stand before the decorative pond at their college campus, oh, what's this, a young Georgie opens a jewelry box with a huge diamond engagement ring for a young Claudia, he's on his knees making a marriage proposal. Claudia's playing hard to get but Georgie's persuasive, or at least he's persistent, this is why you should marry me, he says, he flashes the huge glittering rock before Claudia's cold green eyes, but Claudia's still not impressed, you mean because of the size of that thing she smirks, she takes the ring from him, I'd like to put it on, she pauses, myself, Georgie's quick with his response, so, he says, is that a yes Claudia brushes him off with a slight languid gesture, let's just enjoy what we've got together, Right this moment, she smiles at him, her teeth blinding, like I said to you before, Georgie, it's just so, it's just so good, so perfect just the way it is, she pauses again, please don't spoil it, she pleads, admiring the rock, finally Georgie gets the trunk closed, he opens the door for Claudia and she slips into the plush back seat, Charlie revs the gas and the elegant BMW sports coupe pulls away, nearly leaving Georgie behind as he hops in the swinging open door, Claudia is whispering to herself, another weirdo finally caught up with the times, she thinks, he had so much potential, he never really saw things through, though, it's so unfortunate, for both of us, she remembers their honeymoon, or a perfect white boat on an endless blue ocean, at first, it was all so romantic, we went sailing to Catalina Island, we honeymooned in Paris, we went mountain biking in the Mojave, her memory disappears like a glittering soap bubble that pops, she sighs, and then it stopped, she says out loud, from the back seat of the sleek sporty BMW coupe, Georgie waves to one of their young, attractive female neighbors who is jogging by in pink puma sweats, Claudia watches with vague disgust, she's not jealous, she's only distantly fascinated and slightly appalled by Georgie's sometimes prurient, voyeuristic, masochistic interest in other women, is he mentally stiff she wonders, or am I, he always was a dork, and you know what they say, once a dork, forever a dork, but I married him didn't I, is this what marriage is really like, real, just to see if she can get to him, Claudia pulls up her shirt and flashes her big breasts at Georgie, but Georgie just grins and licks his finger, Claudia shivers and laughs, of course, there were other reasons, she reminds herself, he's hung like a bull, but he hardly uses it properly, hardly properly, Georgie senses Claudia's disaffection but doesn't let it disturb his self-esteem, as long as the wife's still a little interested, he thinks, that's all that really matters at home right now, this is really what marriage is like, like they say, only mutual self-interest with a hint of disgust and loathing, I don't really believe it, though, as we know, Georgie has many quirks, for example, he sports a nervous facial tic, especially when he's trying to make Claudia exasperated with him, as he is, as she is, he flaunts his nervous twitches and tics, she thinks disgustedly, he thinks they add to his character, affecting nonchalance, Georgie tries to light a cigarillo with flimsy book matches, one by one, but the matchbook runs out before he can get the cigarillo to smoke, he tosses the matches away in obvious frustration, despite his sophisticated exterior, he's a failure, sometimes I hate being me, he thinks, Claudia sees through his flimsy facade, he tries to cope with all his problems, sexually, she thinks, but he's so, so insecure, insensitive, like a child, with his pretty little toys, Claudia smiles, 
remembering the closet in their bedroom filled to the brim with pornography and sex toys. I think she loves me, she thinks. I think I love him. I think I do. I think he thinks I love him. But do I really? Georgie scowls at his shoes. I think she loves me, he thinks. I think I love her. I think she thinks I love her. But do I really? What a work of art. What a piece of work she is. She's as beautiful as she is stupid. I don't know why it's all such a love-hate thing with her. Do I love her? Or do I? In Georgie's mind, Claudia prances in slow motion though a mysterious dream landscape composed of all his childish sex fantasies and adolescent wet dreams. She's a ballerina, a diva, but also a whore, a cock queen. She's all woman, he thinks. She's all women. Georgie sighs. That might as well be music, he thinks, playing to the beat of her life. And lo, there is music billowing and wafting around her, a medley of top 40 hits from the 1001 Living Dead Strings playing famous romantic vampire teenage love songs you'll always wish you could forget. Georgie's fascinated and bemused, uplifted and swept away by Claudia's beauty. She's the portrait of modern woman, he thinks, and the sexiest thing since the Venus de Milo, and besides, we've been into S&M, kinky sects, and other voyeuristic tricks ever since college days. She especially likes age regression fantasies, I'm into spanking and sadism, sometimes, or is it masochism? At Georgie's words, the whole scene changes, in the murky black light depths of this infernal den of sin and iniquity, Claudia's photographic image is blended into Georgie's kinky sex fantasy of her, she's an ostetaminatrix in black latex, alone in an S&M club, wielding the whip over her slavish worshipper, Georgie sucking on her toes, to her orgasmic pleasure. The fantasy abruptly ends, back at the house, it's a new day, post-vacation, Georgie watches as Claudia bounces toward him from the yard, she's prancing like a female unicorn in heat, dancing, like a pole dancer to the beat, she's Claudia, the lascivious redhead with the fiery green eyes, Claudia's smile is pearl white and big toothed, seductive but slightly creepy, she removes her crumpled baseball cap revealing more of her perfect outer beauty. Her ponytail slides out from the cap and swings wild and free, the wild streak of platinum highlights in her frizzy red hair reflects the brilliant sunlight over the suburban landscape, Georgie sees the smoldering wildfire in her frizzy hair and wild eyes and becomes inflamed once again with her beauty, she colors her hair as if it's really graying, he thinks, but she'll always be a living colorful beauty to me, Georgie notices a smoldering fire starter in Claudia's hands, his curiosity is piqued, where'd you get that he asks. Marco gave it to me, she confesses, he enflames me, as you, Georgie, do not, she lights Georgie's cigarillo with a wildly flaring fire stick, Georgie tries to look sophisticated, debonair, but starts coughing and hacking spastically, besides, she singed his eyebrows off, Claudia interrupts a carefree game of tennis to intrude on the husband, Georgie thinks, what could she want, is she a housebreaker and a heartbreaker, or just another simple country girl gone wild? Between you and me, everyone on our block wants to be like Claudia, Georgie mutters, wild and free, swept up in the living colorful beauty of the moment, but most of them just smoke a lot of pot, surrounded by clouds of grey, it drives me fucking nuts, what do they think they are, aborigines or something Georgie waits a few seconds while the silence and suspense build, finally he deadpans, wake up, people, it's the 21st century dear diary, yes. I am the direct result of what I fucking think, my mind is everything, so, sure as hell, what I think I become, and I am, I am the part for, the end of a dream, 
Georgie Gust and Claudia Nesbitt's swank suburban McMansion in the New Age AP subdivision has become even more bloated and gargantuan with additional posh residential wings, and elaborate landscape gardens sprouting and growing as if magically, organically, from the original three-story house, but inside Georgie and Claudia's luxurious palatial estate, all is not well, in fact, Georgie and Claudia are having their first big splat, their first big tiff, their first big lover's quarrel, and the first cracks are appearing in the impregnable edifice of their passionate love affair and romantic dream marriage. That was Ismail on the phone, Georgie casually announces, I've got to leave for Las Vegas sooner than planned, in fact, I have to go right now, flinging herself on a sofa, Claudia whines in a pathetic, sappy way, as if she's crushed by Georgie's offhand announcement. Why can't I go with you to Vegas Claudia pleads, you know I've always wanted to go there but you never take me, you never take me anywhere it's obvious that Georgie really doesn't care, while Claudia whines and weeps, he casually wipes a water spot off the well polished chair with his finger, Claudia sees that George is oblivious to her pleas, she becomes abruptly calm, Georgie she says, still Georgie says nothing, he won't even look at her, you see, everyone, Claudia laughs bitterly, Georgie's the strong, silent type, he talks with his hands a lot, when he won't talk with his mouth, he has big hands, Claudia laughs again, somewhat hysterically, like one, like the other, what are you talking about, Claudia Georgie says, sweetheart, how many times do I have to tell you, it's a business trip, that's all, it'll be boring, I'll take you with me to Vegas another time, I promise, I'm sorry, babe, but, you know, it's a last minute call, Claudia pouts, but you know, Dear, she says, I get so lonely whenever you go out of town, Georgie scoffs, come on, Claudia, he chides, you're a big girl, now, you don't need to pretend that you need me around, you've got plenty of toys to play with around the house, I'll only be gone a couple days, you know Georgie's already packed and ready to go, his suitcases have already been stowed in the coupe, so he strides down the front walk toward the car without paying much attention to Claudia, who tails along behind him. As Claudia strides up alongside Georgie, she wraps her slim arms around him and strokes her sleek supple figure seductively against him. She even shows him a slight hint of her black g-string panties and lacy push-up bra. Please, baby, take me with you, she whispers. I'll wear that sexy black negligee you bought me, and I'll let you. You know still, Georgie's all business. Impatient with Claudia's obvious attempts at seduction, he detaches her grip from his arm and briskly checks his Rolex. Come on. Come on, Claudia, Georgie clucks pettishly, I've got a flight to catch, I'm already 15 minutes late and you know I really can't miss this flight, Georgie gives Claudia a quick peck on the cheek and strides toward the car, he smiles because even though he knows he's being a cad, he also knows it's perfectly ethical for him to do so, I'll take you up on that negligee offer when I get back, Georgie attempts a sexy grin that just seems creepy, okay, princess slipping out of Claudia's grasp, Georgie quickly slides into the car. He slams the door shut and backs out of the driveway, leaving Claudia petrified with fear, rejection, and shame. She swings her tennis racket back and forth, chewing her lips. For a couple moments, Claudia savors the hatred that boils in her. Then she bolts inside a suburban penthouse door, dropping her high-strung tennis racket somewhere in her tawdry forgotten past. Sweeping into the bedroom, Claudia slams the door and throws herself on the bed. Her bedroom is pretentious. Decorated in prime Beverly Hills style luxury, everything is white and red color coordinated, even the trim on her pillows. She sits on her bed to make a phone call. Amanda, it's me, she says. Claudia, Claudia, hi Amanda chirps delightedly. 
What's up, oh? Nothing. Claudia dully responds. Georgie just left for a business trip to Las Vegas. I need to get out of this place. There's only silence on Amanda's end, but Claudia babbles on. Do you want to go out for dinner? I've been thinking about that new Thai place, corner of Sunset and Claudia trails off. A steak knife is carving meat in a plush, contemporary dining room. Amanda is 30-ish with plump but sensible thighs. She's setting out serving dishes in silverware for two on a candlelit table, clenching her portable phone between her neck and shoulder. Oh, Claudia, I'm so sorry, Amanda croons. I just can't. I've got this date planned for tonight, and, well, as a matter of fact a strong man's arms caress Amanda's bare legs. Claudia's slightly desperate. Oh, I see, she says. Well, what about later tonight? She pauses. I really miss you, Amanda. She plunges on a little too eagerly. I really need somebody to talk to. You're my best friend, and I miss you too, princess, Amanda says gently. But I can't play tonight. Amanda pushes the man's hands away from her waist. She feels slightly guilty about giving Claudia the brush off. But what else can she say? I have plans, you know, and stop it, Stevie. Anyway, I think this is going to be an all-nighter. Know what I mean Claudia's sullen, silent. Amanda knows she's hurt. Sorry, baby, she apologizes. But I'll call you tomorrow. Okay Claudia's eyes fall in disappointment. Sure, she says. See you later, babe. She hangs up the phone slowly and starts rubbing her arms with a blank expression on her face. Bitter tears well up in her downcast eyes. What a lucky lady she is. She bites her lip. Damn her. Claudia stares at the elaborately framed, gold-tinged wedding photo on the dresser. Georgie and me, we really were the American dream couple, weren't we? She thinks bitterly. Oh yes, we were, or I thought we were, anyway. She leans forward and with a single swoop of her arm, knocks the heavy gilt frame to the floor. Smoke break, in the St. Mary Magdalene drive through Chapel of Our Lady of Immaculate Deception in San Luis Obispo, California. Georgie Gust and Claudia Nesbitt, the American dream couple, exchange their vows. The white-robed transvestite priest is waving some horrible-smelling patchouli incense over them and reciting some New Age horse shite. Georgie's a ghastly, pale-faced corpse and Claudia's vaguely in shock as they gaze at one another, faking connubial bliss. Finally, their wide-open eyes meet, their white-lipped mouths say I do, but no words come out. The white-robed priest says, you may kiss the bride. Stevie and Amanda swoon toward each other's lips in Amanda's immaculately set dining room. As she falls toward Stevie, Amanda notices that she didn't quite put the phone on the hook. The dial tone whines. She bends over and hangs up the phone. Stevie reaches for her throat. Amanda giggles with a sexual undertone. She's still under the spell of Stevie's tender caresses. She moans. A swarthy, hairy hand strokes her bare chest, fondling her gold cross necklace. In Claudia's suite, the bath water runs. Claudia lets the bubble bath soap slip through her languid fingers. She drops her sexy red bathrobe with the ruffled sleeves and reveals her black lacy lingerie. She broods sulkily as the soapy water fills up the bathtub, softly stroking her smooth belly. In Amanda's penthouse kitchen, Stevie pops the cork on a bottle of champagne. Cabaret music plays softly on vinyl as white champagne bubbles spurt and gush from the chilled bottle. Amanda laughs. I want to be a bad girl tonight. Do you want to be my bad boy, Stevie ready and willing, babe? Stevie smiles, but do you think you're really ready for me? Are you ready for your all-nighter? Amanda feigns shyness, still playing coy. Maybe, she says. What are you going to do for me? Stevie doesn't answer, at least not in words. But he moans, ever so softly against her, pushing back against the stove. Amanda whispers, yes, oh yes, 
Oh, baby, her slender hands are locked into silver handcuffs behind her back. She turns around towards Stevie and presses her slim body against his, breathing seductively and moaning harder. The shadows cast forbidden movements on the dimly lit ceiling as the orchestra rises to a crescendo. The small bell chimes as a well-dressed couple makes their way through the dusky entrance of some romantic night spot. Claudia's seated at a candlelit table, eating dinner alone. A white and black suited waiter approaches her table with a chilled bottle of red wine wrapped in a towel. He speaks to her graciously with a slight French accent. Would madame wish another glass? Claudia samples the wine, then she lifts her wine glass, which sparkles with the restaurant's many candles, and smiles at the well-dressed waiter. The smiling waiter fills her wine glass and walks back toward the kitchen. A handsome male twosome is escorted to the window booth opposite Claudia. One of them is darkly tanned, rather tall, and prematurely bald, but still handsome. He wears a flashy suit and brightly colored tie and speaks with a thick New York accent. The tall man takes a seat with his male escort. The escort is blonde and a business assistant type. He's also a sharp dresser, but his sleeves are rolled up like he's ready for business. He takes the seat opposite the tall dark man. The two dump stacks of office paper on the table and immediately start talking serious business. Still, the blonde has a slight air of passion in his voice when he converses with his dashing accomplice. So, I start tripping on this whole thing, he says, about having all this potential, the best education, enough money to live comfortably, and then having little or no drive, it's like I'm waiting for an opportunity that might never come, you know, like I'll end up never living up to my full potential, or something, it's like a generation next thing, right during their intense conversation the very tall man uses a lot of flamboyant hand gestures when he talks, he has big hands, a little like Georgie, well, our parents, you know the dark man but sin, taking off on a digression, all the baby boomers, they are all about to retire, you don't think they are scared shitless to hand down their companies to us, and they should be, if you ask me, we live in this cult of luxury even if we don't have any money or any success, we spend money but we don't want to have to work for it, for us, the focus is the luxury, not the work, other people, like our yuppie parents, for example, settle for the middle ground more easily, but, you know, it's the risk takers, the big risk takers, who get successful, who live up to their potential. People like you and me, John, the waitress, a flashy brunette named Shannon, dances over to the booth. She's bubbly and animated, but she's wearing a fake smile. Standing hip shot in front of them she momentarily blocks Claudia's view of the two men. The two men don't even notice Claudia. Hi, how are you this evening? The flashily dressed waitress asks. My name's Shannon, I'll be serving you tonight, the tall. Dark man lifts an eyebrow and checks her out. Shannon here asks. Or Shauna Shannon? Shannon repeats. Shannon. The man says suavely. I keel remember. Yeah, you got it. She smiles. Say, can I interest you gentlemen in a cold beer? Iced tea. Two for one margaritas for some reason. Shannon's ingratiating man really sets John off. A beer? Two for one margaritas he snorts. What is this? A nuclear bomb? You don't want to have to call the cops on me now? Do you unfazed by John's outburst? Shannon keeps smiling brightly. She looks sideways at the dark man, who tries to cover for John's irrelevant tangent. You've got to understand, he explains. John here is an alcoholic. He's recently divorced. And besides, he's single. Too. John breaks into a smile. Guilty on all counts, he says. I am. I admit it. Parenthetical pet peeve. The fact that OJ did it. We all know it. Shannon smiles suggestively. So am I. She says, I'm okay. The dark man concludes, how's about a dry martini oh? 
Right Shannon blurts. What about you? John A slightly more relaxed John looks up at his waitress. I'll take a coke, he says. The tall man looks amusedly at John. We don't have coke, sir. Shannon starts to reply, but his John interrupts her with a wave. It really doesn't matter, he says. Just bring me a glass of water. Shannon smiles again, eager to please. Still a good choice she smirks. Still, John's unresponsive. Uh-huh, he says. Shannon bends over and whispers breathily into John's ear. Tone it down some. Okay she pleads. I liked you all right until you started talking. She smiles again. I'm willing to give you a second chance though. Shannon walks away. She smiles at Claudia and then checks on the next table in her section. The two men pretend to continue their slightly off-the-wall conversation, but the tall dark man is ticked off. What the fuck he says, what was that all about his hands begin to fly and ounce. At the next table, Claudia's amused, she sips her wine as she watches him, that did not just happen, you're ridiculous, Johnny boy, you'd better shut up while you're ahead, you get me a busy boss boy drinks sweaty glasses of chill ice water for the two men, the schmoozing twosome continues to converse and harangue each other excitedly. Meanwhile, a temporary waitress who's feeling in for Shannon follows up with the twosome's real drinks. Shannon likes you, the temp says to John. She's a little bit embarrassed by your friend, but she likes you. Shannon's an awesome chick. Don't mess it up, Chuck. After dropping off their drinks, the temporary waitress scurries out of sight. A few minutes later, the dark man's flamboyant hand gestures knock his ice-cold drink onto Claudia's lovely legs. The firmer than jeans splash over her perfect pedicure. Claudia's skirt's so short that she freezes up. She catches her breath. Oh she gasps. The man jumps up immediately. Oh jeez, I'm sorry, miss, he says. I just I just knew this was going to happen. Claudia snaps. The way you kept flailing your hands around like that. Parenthetical pet peeve. Spilling food on my clothes while I eat. Out. Claudia mimics the man. Flapping arms and waving her hands exaggeratedly. He rushes over to Claudia with his dinner napkin. He bends down to wipe the spilled gin and vermouth off her feet, but before he applies the napkin Claudia stands up in righteous agitation. Don't you dare she spits, don't you dare touch my the man suddenly notices that this chick sounds strangely familiar. What he says, dazed, who the man looks more closely at Claudia's frizzy red hair, her heart-shaped face, her green eyes, somehow, he seems to recognize her. I'm sorry, he repeats, excuse me, miss, but I... Claudia cuts him off again. She's a little weirded out, too. Excuse me, sir, but if my feet are bothering you, as the dark-haired man and Claudia stand staring at each other, their eyes lock in a self-hypnotic trance. Excuse me again, miss, the man breaks the cell. But is your name Claudia? By any chance Claudia nods, speechless. The man points to himself. Remember me here asks. I'm Sir Tony, Sir Tony Haldale. Finally, Claudia snaps out of it. Sir Tony she gasps, Sir Tony Haldale at your service, miss, Sir Tony jumps to his feet and grabs Claudia's table with his big red hands, Claudia's green eyes widen, hey, wow, Claudia, it really is you, isn't it Sir Tony beams, after all these years, it's really great to see ya, shite, you look fantastic, a little grape juice here and there may be, hey, but still Claudia laughs, thanks, Tony, and so do you, look fantastic, I mean, Claudia quips, the, ah, sideburns weren't your strongest feature, sidestepping Claudia's jabes, Sir Tony makes an obscure private joke, and so, the peach was peeled and here we are, of course, Claudia doesn't get it, what, 
The peach Sir Tony grasps Claudia's warm hands in a cool handshake and then realizes how impersonal the gesture seems. He moves closer. Well, 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 remember? Claudia the crazy again. The private joke's lost on Claudia, but she's desperate enough to play along and she laughs. A handshake instead of a kiss Sir Tony deadpans. Here, let me give you a hug. Claudia sways towards Sir Tony's embrace, his all-encompassing hands. Oh Tony, she says, it's really good to feel you. Claudia knows she's a little too melodramatic, almost maudlin, almost mawkish, and besides, she's got a bad case of the giggles. As Sir Tony clasps her shapely figure to him, she starts to crack up, but Sir Tony only sees Claudia's beautiful smile. Their warm hands caress one another. Sir Tony's swarthy, hirsute, dark, Claudia's slim, small, and white in his big palm. I don't mean to butt in, but Sir Tony hems and haws. Do you mind if I join you? Claudia casts a sympathetic look at John, who's shifting uncomfortably in his seat. But, Tony, she says, what about your friend who, him, forget about him, Sir Tony blurts out. Johnny and I were just talking business, but we're done talking business. In fact, John was just about tail leave, weren't you, John? He's got, like, a very important date, right? John John smiles slightly sheepishly and pushes back his chair. Yeah, sure thing. Tony, he says, I'll catch you tomorrow, right oh, John boy, Sir Tony bluffs, and, hey, let me know how your date works out John hurriedly puts all the official papers back in his briefcase and gestures at the passing waiter, oh, waiter he calls, check, please, the waitress, Shannon, comes swishing past, writing her phone number on a napkin, she presses the napkin into John's hand as he slips through the tip, I get off in ten minutes, she whispers, John winks at Sir Tony and walks briskly away. Sir Tony takes the seat closest to Claudia. He's already forgotten John. So, he smirks. Alone at last, he pulls his chair closer to Claudia's. I forgot to ask you. Are you expecting anyone with a flippant gesture? Claudia waves off the question. Just my husband, she says. Then she rushes on. You know, Tony, you never used to ask to cut him back when we were in school. You just plopped down right beside me. Sir Tony is only slightly abashed. Back then, I was stupid, immature, impulsive, and horny. Claudia smiles at his sophomoric humor. It reminds her of the good old days, before Georgie and her. She laughs. I'm just kidding, Tony, she says. My husband isn't coming. Sir Tony cracks a big smile. Well, well, that's even better, for you and me. Anyway he pauses. After all, you know what they say. Two's company, Claudia smirks. Tony. She says, you really haven't changed, have you? You're still the same old Tony. Well, I mean, Sir Tony blusters. You could be expecting your boyfriend, or something. And again, Claudia cuts him off. Relax, Tony, she says. I'm not expecting anybody, but is anybody expecting you Tony wisecracks? I mean, like, do you have to be home by midnight? Or you to turn into a pumpkin or something? Jeez, Tony, relax. You're still the cautious one, I see. Cautious but still alive, after all these wives, this time, the tactlessness of Sir Tony's joke surprises even himself, wow, babe, he apologizes, that really was lame, my apologies, you don't have to apologize, Tony, Claudia's smiling, supportive, that really was funny, you're a funny guy, Tony, they stare at each other silently for several awkward moments, their faces slightly tense, their hands shy, nervous, their eager eyes, finally, Sir Tony breaks the rapt silence, you know, he says, it's been a long time, Claudia, yeah, I know, Tony, Claudia pauses, you left for New York that summer, yeah, well, 
So Tony shoots back, my dad died, you know, you hated your dad, yeah, I did, he admits, but after he was gone, you know, all the memories and, well, anyway, I decided I liked everything about him, it was all part of the nostalgia, but you left me, Tony, yeah, well Sir Tony trails off, um, Claudia muses, and then what you may not remember, but Sir Tony flashes back to his early college years as a J school nerd, I went up to Ithaca, I majored in journalism, Claudia, remembering, starts to feel strong again, you know, Tony, you really make yourself sound like a creep, she takes a sip of wine, keeping her eyes on Sir Tony, you've got to say it like you believe it, you've got to say it like you were proud, it's got to feel good to say it, like that, I went to Ithaca and majored in journalism, Sir Tony laughs, he's slipping into his TV anchorman persona, it really does sound a little pompous, doesn't it he confesses, but, okay, ready, are we on the air, here goes, and so, after Claudia jilted me, I went up to Ithaca and majored in journalism, Claudia's surprised to feel the change in herself and Sir Tony, yes, yes she cries, she's so excited that she claps her hands together, Sir Tony is now transformed into a full-fledged TV personality, parenthetical pet peeve, Ed McMahon saying American, instead of American on his American family publisher sweepstakes commercials, I was the big man on campus in my J school class, and I'll tell you, folks, there's nothing like being a legacy at Ithaca Claudia pretends she's impressed, wow, Ithaca, Sir Tony nods, anyway, Claudia's mood shifts again, all my friends left town that summer, everyone left except me, I remember, Sir Tony sympathizes, and then, right after school ended, your twin brother was in that bike accident, Jimmy, yeah now Claudia gets serious, I stayed with him in the hospital night and day for two weeks, then I spent another six weeks with him, in bed at home, Sir Tony pulls his chair closer, you two were really close, he says, how's he doing these days he made a miraculous recovery, Claudia smiles, he's fine now, he's married, he has three children and a great job, he's really, but Claudia breaks off, catching herself in mid-sentence, well, she says, then again, I think maybe now he's doing volunteer work, helping the homeless or something, why do you mean Sir Tony slips back into his accent, why, that's great news, that's really great slightly flustered, Claudia changes the subject, speaking of great news, she says, I see you've done pretty well for yourself, I hadn't seen you in, oh, decades, and then, one day, I'm watching the 5 o'clock TV news, and suddenly, bang, there you are, big as life, Claudia picks up a teaspoon and holds it in front of her mouth like a microphone, good evening, Claudia says, in character, she's doing a pitch perfect Sir Tony Haldale impersonation, this is Sir Tony Haldale for the national news tonight, Sir Tony and Claudia laugh together, you know, Claudia, it's just the breaks, Sir Tony says, I got a lucky break, is all. The old anchor called in sick and they needed somebody right away, so they looked at me and said, let's give this bum a break. Claudia briefly touches Sir Tony's hand, so were you just lucky sure? Sir Tony strokes her hand, they grabbed me, put a mic in my hand, a camera in my face, and said, talk, so I just started talking, and like they say, the rest is history. Sir Tony and Claudia smile and gaze into each other's eyes, so, enough about me. Sir Tony changes the conversation as a five-piece jazz band begins its evening set. What have you been up to here asks. Claudia pauses for several seconds before answering. Well, I'm married, she says. Yes, married. To this wonderful guy, Georgie Gust. Claudia feels a slight twinge of guilt at bearing her marriage to Sir Tony, but she plunges on. We've been married for ten years. 
We have a wonderful mansion and a big estate out in the suburbs. Georgie's a self-made financial manager for his own company, Georgie Just Enterprises. Now Sir Tony shifts uncomfortably in his seat. She sounds pretentious, he thinks, but he doesn't say anything out loud. Instead he says, you must be a really rich guy then, huh Claudia yeah, I guess so, Tony, then Claudia lies, and a great husband, too, I'm terrible with commitment, Sir Tony confesses, you have any kids abruptly, Claudia turns serious, no, she says, I can't have any, we've tried everything I don't mean to pry, but, Sir Tony says, is it really you, Claudia, or Sir Tony and Claudia's eyes lock, she seems distracted, distraught. Oh my god Claudia suddenly blurts, wow, for a second there, I just had this really strange deja vu, but I didn't know who the third person was Claudia trails off, Sir Tony is a little confused, but also amused, third person he says, yeah, Georgie Claudia gushes, it's weird, the deja vu gets so intense it's like I have to share, I have to admit I'm having it, or it's really like overkill, finally, Claudia realizes that Sir Tony is not sharing her excitement and calms down. It's really overwhelming, though, she says, you know, Tony yeah, yeah, but relax, Sir Tony strokes Claudia's arm, don't blow the whole thing by talking about it, just try to keep it going and keep it between us, just between you and me, don't blow it by telling it to everybody in the joint, don't get too excited, and if it works out, on impulse, Claudia reaches over and taps Sir Tony on his nose, we're exploring other avenues now, maybe adoption, Claudia smiles into Tony's eyes, what about you she asks, are you married several glasses of wine later, Sir Tony Haldale and Claudia Nesbitt are still wrapped in an intimate tight tight tight, Sir Tony is still carrying on his half-hearted seduction of Claudia, I thought you knew, Claudia, Sir Tony feigns embarrassment, my third wife left me a month ago, oh, I'm so sorry, Claudia feigns sympathy, do you mind if I ask what happened absolutely, I thought you'd never ask, Sir Tony plays their wounded innocent. She and some guy got together and together and, well, you know the rest, although Claudia's secretly pleased, she pretends sympathy, I, I'm sorry, she says, really, Tony, you are, you really are, why should you be Sir Tony seems slightly too eager for sympathy, but maybe it's just the wine, it's okay, really, it doesn't hurt so much, now, I guess I shouldn't have taken so many trips out of town, but, then again, it sure as fuck was worth it. Sir Tony and Claudia abruptly realize it's getting late. Sir Tony looks around for a waitress, but the place is empty. Where's the damn waitress? Sir Tony curses. Damn waitresses are never there when you need them. Sir Tony checks the dining floor again, but there's no waitress in sight. I could sure use a good stiff drink. Right about now, he mumbles, guessing it must be last call. Sir Tony changes the subject. So, Claudia, tell me, why are you here alone? Sir Tony is probing for her weaknesses. Where's Georgie? Your husband, it's Georgie, right my husband's out of town on business, Claudia keeps up the facade, he went to the trade show in Las Vegas, he'll be back in a couple of days, she touches Sir Tony's nose again and smiles, but Sir Tony is still suspicious, are you sure, Claudia he says, you wouldn't bullshit me, would you finally, a waiter, who might be Georgie's secret body double, approaches their table, when the waiter talks, his voice echoes through the restaurant, as if it was a hollow shell, but still, Georgie's voice doesn't ring any bells for Claudia, all through with your plate, madam the waiter asks, Claudia's plate is wiped clean, for some reason, she has a big appetite tonight, what do you think Claudia says, trying to act superior, does it look like it Georgie picks up her plate, and then Sir Tony's, oh, and, waiter, 
So Tony says, would you bring me a dry martini, UHH, and make it very dry, okay without waiting, Claudia butts in, I'll have the same, she says, two dry martinis, very dry, the waiter disguised as Georgie, or is it Georgie disguised as a waiter, repeats, coming right up, I'll bring them right away, Georgie the waiter walks away, so, Claudia leans closer, what brings you here till a Tony shrugs, oh, it's no big deal, Claudia, he says, they are giving me the key to the city, you know, hometown boy makes good, the same old story, at least in this case, Claudia smirks, the story has a good male let Tony smiles, it makes good copy, anyway, the band strikes up another old standard, Sir Tony perks up, listen, Claudia, he says, you hear that but Claudia doesn't pick up her cue, what she says, is it that song, Sir Tony winks, don't you remember Claudia pricks up her ears and smiles, slowly, she starts to sway to the beat, the old sentimental song brightens Claudia's green eyes, Sir Tony notices her big teary eyes and smiles, suavely, he reaches for Claudia's hand, it's already in his lap, do you want to dance, what Claudia pulls away, here, number sure, why not Sir Tony coaxes, come on, Claudia, let's dance, but Claudia still hangs back, after all, Sir Tony continues, we haven't seen each other for a long time, and, besides, I'll be leaving tomorrow, come on, Claudia, for old time's sake, finally, Claudia gives in, oh, alright, she sighs, Sir Tony pulls back her chair and helps Claudia up from her seat, he's being chivalrous, and Claudia likes being wooed, the second American dream couple dance in the aisle, the off-duty waiters, waitresses, and kitchen staff crowd the doorways, watching and smiling, as she swoons into Sir Tony's arms, Claudia's bright green eyes close, she remembers the last time, in 1988, the old sweet song continues, smoke break, the Wakefield High School gymnasium is glittering and glowing on senior prom night, Sir Tony and Claudia are the prom king and prom queen, dancing to the same sweet old sang, a brightly colored banner reads, Wakefield senior prom, 1988, living the dream, the basketball court is filled with wholesome, well-groomed teens dancing to a five-piece lounge band, live, a well-dressed, pretty Wakefield co-ed is crooning, a dataless Georgie sits behind the limelight, watching, the old sweet song ends, Sir Tony and Claudia keep on dancing, Sir Tony kisses Claudia's cheek, she smiles dreamily, Sir Tony escorts Claudia back to her seat and sits down beside her, he lifts his martini glass for a toast, here's to, uhh he pauses, what'll we say, renewed acquaintances Claudia smiles, lifts her wine glass, and raises it to his, sure, Tony, whatever you say, she clinks her wine glass with his, to renewed acquaintances, they both take deep draughts of their cocktails, last call the bartender hollers, after closing time, Claudia and Sir Tony stand outside the restaurant, Sir Tony offers Claudia a handful of peppermints, Claudia pops a few into her mouth, it starts to rain lightly, oh, darn Claudia says, I didn't know it was raining, parenthetical pet peeve, wearing glasses in the rain, well, it wasn't raining inside, Sir Tony says discreetly, where are you parked Claudia points stored a big black BMW coupe, over there, she says, on the other side of that BMW, wait here a minute, Sir Tony says, don't go anywhere, Sir Tony dashes back into the restaurant and then returns with a big plastic covered menu, he covers both of their heads with the menu, come on, babe, let's go, he says, we can dodge the raindrops, as they briskly walk across the parking lot, Claudia clings to Sir Tony's arm, that was awfully resourceful of you, she says, opening my umbrella, I mean, 
Sir Tony puts his arm around Claudia. Come on, he says. You don't want to get wet. Do Sir Tony walks Claudia to her car. It is a brand new white Volvo. As they come closer, they see that one of her tires is flat as a rail. Ah, God Claudia blurts out. I don't believe this. These are brand new tires once again. Sir Tony becomes a knight in shining armor. Don't worry, Claudia, he says. I'll change it for you. That's sweet of you, Claudia whispers. But it's raining, Sir Tony. You'll be soaked. Sir Tony brushes off Claudia's reservations. I don't mind, Claudia. I'm already wet. See how he shows her his damp pant legs and shirt sleeves. I'm wet already, Sir Tony repeats. That's what she said. See Sir Tony winks at Claudia with a childish smirk. She shakes her head and smiles. You haven't changed much since junior high school, she says. You know, I'll just call AAA. Somebody will come out. They'll have it fixed in no time. She pulls her cell phone out of her purse and begins to dial. Parenthetical pet peeve. No matter what I need in my handbag, it will be at the bottom, buried under all other contents. Sir Tony quickly snatches the cell phone out of her hand. Claudia, listen to me, it's the weekend, it's raining, and it could take hours for a truck to get here. Sir Tony locks her gaze with his, why don't I just give you a ride home, you can have the flat fixed in the morning. He gently takes the cell phone away from Claudia. Claudia's eyes are glazed, her speech slurred. She's having trouble walking. Yeah, I guess you're right, Tony she says, and, besides, I'm beginning to feel those martinis, I probably shouldn't drive, I usually only drink wine, you know, as they begin to walk to Sir Tony's car, Claudia stumbles, Sir Tony catches her, picks her up, and carries her in his arms, you're right, Claudia, he says, maybe you did have one too many as they walk, Claudia looks at him with a suggestive gleam in her eyes, she nestles her head against his chest, Sir Tony leans over and kisses Claudia on the mouth, she returns his kiss, embracing his neck. That old sweet song just goes on and on. Smoke breaks a Tony slides in behind the wheel and switches the windshield wipers on high. The slight rain spatters on the windshield and puddles the black rain slick streets. As Sir Tony and Claudia approach Georgie and Claudia's swanky, three-story McMansion, Claudia leans over to give directions. It's the third house on the right, she says, the one that's all lit up, like, Sir Tony butts in. Like Claudia Nesbitty smirks. Yeah, Claudia giggles. I guess so. In the pitch blackness of 3.10am, Georgie and Claudia's American dream home shudders and huddles beneath the rain. The spotlights make ghostly shadows in the fog. Somewhere, Georgie just is boarding an airplane in the same persistent rain. Or upon some inscrutable signal from Claudia's fingertips, the white garage door of the three-car garage opens. A shiny new black Cadillac pulls into the driveway and parks in the garage. Still dripping from the black night rain, Sir Tony parks the big black Cadillac in Georgie's parking spot and turns off the ignition. Smiling, he turns to Claudia, but Claudia has her head down. Claudia, Sir Tony says, a little too brashly, I just want to say thanks for a wonderful, wonderful class reunion, but Claudia keeps her frizzy red hair down and her green eyes turned away. Yeah, I Claudia's voice trails off, thank you for the ride home. Finally, she looks up. Sir Tony puts his arm over the seat and leans in for a kiss. Impulsively, Claudia puts both arms around him. She pulls him closer. They rub noses. She smiles. Sir Tony's bright black eyes hypnotize her with a serpent's longing. It's so late Claudia gushes. I know you have somewhere you have to be, don't you? Tony I've got nowhere to go, except, Sir Tony blushes, here, with you. Oh, Tony, you're so sweet. Claudia presses his hand. Do you want to come inside I'd love to. Sir Tony says, on invisible signals, 
The white garage door slowly closes behind them. Outside, the black night rain keeps falling, smoke break, white sunlight bursts in the plush, well-upholstered bedroom of Claudia Gust. From the bedside table, Claudia speed dials someone on the push-button telephone. While waiting for a response, she paces the floor, obviously distraught, flustered, and slightly unnerved, almost hysterical. Claudia's beautiful face floods with tears, her black mascara running down in streaks. She's barefoot in a white terracloth robe. On the other line, somebody sleepily picks up the phone. Hello Amanda yawns, still half asleep. Who is it Amanda? Claudia blurts out. It's me, Claudia slightly hungover. Amanda mutters under her breath. Shite, thank God you're home. Claudia frantically hisses. You've got to come over right away. Please Amanda can tell from Claudia's voice that something's seriously wrong. Claudia, what's going on? She asks. She's fully awake now. Listen. Amanda Claudia whispers, I can't explain right now, just believe me, you've got to come over, right now, please, and hurry okay, okay, Amanda sighs, I'll be right there, abruptly, Claudia hangs up, still flustered, she rubs her slim arms nervously as she paces the deeply carpeted floor, oh, I, God, she says, I can't believe this is happening to me, finally, she stops and stares out the bedroom window, white sunlight breaks across the unkempt lawn, which is still wet from the black night rain, what am I going to do now she whispers to nobody in particular, and, of course, nobody answers, distraught and shell shocked, Claudia starts to sab, black tears roll down her ravaged face, black rain out of a clear blue sky, smoke break, Amanda is still in bed with her bow, he's sprawled, face down, his face flat against the pillow, a few raindrops still fall outside the bedroom window, who was that, honey a sleepy male voice asks, Somebody I know it's Claudia, Amanda answers, she sounds really upset, like something's seriously wrong, well, the male voice asks without getting up, did she say what it was, number, she didn't say, Amanda sits up in bed, she just said she needed me right away, she pauses, she was crying, Amanda says, oh, okay, the male voice mumbles, why don't you go check it out yet, okay, Amanda says, I guess I have to, Amanda puts her feet on the floor and stands up unsteadily, she heads for the cluttered closet and tries to find something decent to wear. The male voice mumbles something into the pillow, still not getting up. While you're in there, he says, get my overnight bag out. Will you Amanda takes out a black garment bag and lays it on the bed. Finally, Stevie sits up in bed and turns his head. Surprisingly, he looks remarkably like Sir Tony Haldale, but 20 years younger and not prematurely bald. Thanks, he says. Amanda, how sweet she exclaims. You remembered she crawls onto the bed and snuggles up on his back and neck. He grunts. I really don't want you to leave. Amanda sighs. Can't you stay just a few more hours? The swarthy, black-haired man shakes his handsome head. Sorry, babe. He says. You know I can't. If my wife ever found out about you and me, she'd Stevie leaves the sentence dangling. But Stevie, you know it's my birthday. Amanda tries not to whine. You can't leave. Don't leave me alone on my birthday. Shite. Stevie groans. I'll do whatever you want me to do, it's exactly the kind of offer that gets Amanda in trouble, fortunately, Stevie's too polite to take up on it, isn't he, it's your birthday, he says, it really should be the other way around, Amanda's grateful for his consideration, but still desperate to keep him with her, it doesn't matter, she says, I need you, Stevie pauses, you'll do anything he asks, laughingly, yes, Amanda says, anything, Stevie sits up in bed, you know what I've been asking for, Stevie smirks, 
Are you willing Amanda briefly ponders his proposal? Okay, she says, I'll do it. Just don't leave me. Stevie laughs mischievously. It's a deal, he says, squirming back into bed. Amanda starts passionately kissing him. Playfully, he spanks her ass. Now, go see what's bugging Claudia, he says. Amanda salutes him. Aye, aye. So she slips on a terracloth bathrobe and slippers on her way out of the room. Stevie laughs to see her stumbling out the door, half-dressed and half-cocked, and hurried back he calls, smoke break, outside, black thunder clouds and wind rain have closed in again, at Georgie and Claudia's American dream home, Claudia, looking into the small vanity mirror on her dresser, wipes away her black tears and tries to repair her ravaged face, then she opens a drawer, rifles through a few pieces of stray lingerie, and finds a .38 caliber handgun, gingerly, she picks it up. She wipes her mouth, pushes back her hair, and raises the weapon slowly to her face. She looks directly into the barrel curling her finger around the trigger. Outside black thunder crashes, white lightning flashes. Inside, the bedroom lights flicker on and off. The gun drops from a startled Claudia's grip. She peeks out at the crashing rain showers and heaves a deep sigh of relief. She picks the gun up carefully and puts it back into the dresser drawer. Claudia rummages through seductive clothing and finds an unopened pack of ultra-long cigarettes and a lighter. Taking the old, stale cigarettes out of the still-wrapped case, she leaves the drawer open. Claudia holds the unopened cigarette pack in her shivering hands. She takes a deep breath and opens the package. She takes out a cigarette and with her shaking hands places it between her lips. She flicks the lighter but it only makes a small shower of sparks. Frustrated, she throws the lighter on the floor. Claudia leaves the room with the old, stale cigarettes still dangling from her lips. She stalks into the kitchen and frantically searches through the clutter in the cabinets, drawers, and counters. At the gas range, she turns one of the burners on high. She pulls back her hair, leans in, and lights her loaded cigarette with a gaslight flame. She turns off the burner, steps back, and takes a deep, long drag. Her eyes roll up into her forehead as she inhales. She feels a relaxing, smoke-filled release. After taking a few more drags on the cigarette, Claudia sits on the kitchen counter and opens the drawer beneath her. She pulls out a small porcelain saucer. Claudia flicks cigarette ash into the delicate piece. Immediately, there's a sharp knock at the door. Amanda Claudia whispers to herself. She darts out of the kitchen in haste. In the white, high-ceilinged foyer, Claudia unlocks the front door. Without waiting, she swings the big, white door open. Amanda Claudia says. I'm so glad you could come outside, it's still raining, grey sheets of rain obscure the street, making it difficult for Claudia to see exactly what's on her stoop, before is a chubby little red-headed, freckle-faced boy who holds an umbrella over his head with one hand and a box of chocolates in the other, hi, I'm Banana, he says, there's long pause as Claudia tries to understand the strange apparition that's appeared on her doorstep, but Banana keeps talking, oblivious to stormy thunder showers and black rainfall. I'm selling Boy Scout candy to help support my 6th grade class field trip to Disney World. We've been saving box tops and coupons all year to help pay for the trip. Claudia is still in shock. She really doesn't know what to say. Would you like to buy some candy? Banana asks. They are only a dollar each. Faced with Banana's cheerful cherubic demeanor, Claudia just stands numb, dumbfounded. She has no response. Instead of smiling, she turns deathly pale. Her black tears fall with the sputtering raindrops. Finally, Binana tries another tack. You've been crying he asks. What happened but there's still no response from Claudia. Shivering, she only shakes her head and moans. Oh, 
Inanna although he doesn't know what's happening, Inanna takes the hint, maybe I should come back some other time, he says, Claudia, still shivering, nods and closes the door, with the heavy wooden door closed behind her, Claudia leans against the door jamb and lets the shivering contortions play over her face, suddenly she comes unwound with an awful, wretched scream, while Claudia's still silently screaming, the doorbell rings again, Claudia perks up, turns around, and opens the door, this time, it's Amanda, she looks messy, like she just got out of bed, and is completely soaked with rain, she's more than a little pissed off, Claudia, what the hell's happened to you she blurts out, Claudia starts to sab, Amanda slips inside and shuts the door behind her, she soothes the troubled Claudia by patting her back and stroking her hair, after being upset, Amanda turns apologetic I'm sorry, Claudia, she says, I didn't mean to be a bitch, whatever it is, I'm sorry, but Claudia only cries harder, oh, Amanda, I'm finished, I'm through she says, I fucked up, I mean, I really fucked up, this time, it's okay, honey, Amanda says, come on, now, you can tell me, what is it, what's happening Claudia's crying fit finally runs out of steam, she slowly lowers herself onto the floor, in her exhausted condition, she stares at the wedding pictures of the American dream couple on the wall until everything finally blows and fades out. Then she heaves another big sigh and stands up. Pulling herself together, she looks directly into Amanda's eyes. Oh, God, Amanda Claudia says, Georgie's going to kill me for what? Claudia Amanda asks, you still haven't told me. In answer, Claudia says, follow me, where Claudia doesn't respond. Instead, she hurries up the stairs. She doesn't even look back to see if Amanda's behind her. Confused and upset, Amanda follows. Claudia halts at the entrance to her bedroom on the second floor hall, and Amanda runs up behind her. The two stare at the white and red canopy that drapes over Claudia's bed. Convulsively, Claudia sobs again. She can't look. There's somebody in the bed. Curiously, Amanda walks in to take a closer look. All she can see is an older man's premature balding head peeping out from under the bed covers. Amanda's only a little shocked, so Georgie's lost a little peach fuzz off the old tuppey, she thinks, what's the big deal, she shrugs her shoulders and spreads her hands, palm up, like she's still a little confused, Claudia, baby, she says, I thought you said Georgie was out of town, Claudia shakes her head, yeah, that's right, Amanda, he's out of town, Amanda's still confused, well, so what she says, who's this? And Amanda sees that Claudia's about to lose it again and immediately cuts her off. Claudia, shut up, she shouts. Just don't say anything. Just don't tell me. Just shut up. Already Amanda walks up to the anonymous gentleman under the plush bed covers. She lifts the rumpled bedclothes and peeks over at his face. She gasps. Oh my god. Claudia Amanda shrieks. It's that creepy TV news guy from Channel 43. That's a Tony what's his face now it's Amanda's turn to be slightly hysterical. What's he doing in your bed Amanda demands. Or maybe I should ask, what are you doing with that creep in your marriage bed? You should get him up and out of here before Georgie gets home Claudia breaks down again. I wish I could, Amanda. I really wish I could, she says. But I can't, Amanda shakes her head. What do you mean, you can't she says. Just tell him to leave, if he doesn't want to leave. Just kick his ass out of here Amanda steps over to Claudia, who's still standing by the door. She takes her by the shoulders and starts to shake her vigorously. Listen, sweetheart, you've got to tell me, what's this creep doing in your bed? Where'd he come from? Where's he going? And where's Georgie? Do you even know she asks? Do you at least know, or even suspect, what he'll? I mean, does he know anything about this? Or Amanda whispers, 
pointing to the sleeping celebrity. This TV news creep, this Sir Tony Haldale, is he the real thing she wants to know, or is he just some kind of stupid mistake still? Claudia doesn't answer. Amanda thinks the worst for a moment. Or, oh, I get it Amanda says, did this guy try to rape? Oh, number, no finally, Claudia snaps out of it, and, crazily, bitterly, laughs, rape me she asks, oh, number, god, no, of course not, Claudia shakes her head, that's not the problem, she says, the problem is I just can't wake him up for god's sake, Claudia Amanda asks, why not because, Claudia pauses, he's dead, Claudia burst into tears again, what did you just say Amanda demands, you mean the TV news creep, that Sir Tony what's his face, that creep is dead, like, really dead, and not just playing dead, or whatever, oh, I, god, Claudia Amanda leans heavily into the wall, eyeing the bed warily, oh my god she says again, I am so not ready for this, you know, Claudia, that today's my birthday Claudia covers Sir Tony's head with the bedspread again and walks over to sit with Amanda on the floor at the foot of the bed, they hang their heads in their laps, Claudia starts rubbing her arms, they are both having an attack of bad nerves, did you did you kill him, Claudia Amanda asks, suspiciously, please don't say you did, because if you killed him, Claudia Amanda leaves the innuendo dangling, Claudia shakes her head again, no, she says, number, 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 I didn't kill him, Amanda, I swear, then how do you wind up dead Amanda demands, for God's sake, Claudia, I mean, like, how'd it happen Amanda puts her arms around Claudia, but Claudia just keeps rubbing her arms, I swear to you, Amanda, I don't know, I really just don't know, she says, all I know is last night we, we accidentally made love, it just happened, then we fell asleep, and when I woke up, he didn't, he didn't wake up, I mean, I shook him and I slapped him, I said, wake up, wake up, wake up, but he didn't, Claudia shakes herself awake again, this is so totally unreal, like some kind of bad dream, or something yeah, Amanda sneers, but, like, whose bad dream is it, Claudia, it's not my bad dream, but Claudia's off on her own private tangent, what I want to know is she pauses, what am I going to do, now, Amanda Amanda stands up and walks toward Claudia again, I don't know, baby, I don't know, Amanda confesses, all I know is that I'd like to get out of this room though pretty soon, like, right now, you with me like all catastrophic crash witnesses and tragic victims, Claudia and Amanda would so much like to just pick themselves up, brush themselves off, walk away from the crime scene, and never look back, but it isn't so simple, is it, we're not going to let them get out of it that easily, are we of course not, suffering another attack of shivers and jitters, Claudia whips out another ultra slim cigarette, Amanda looks vaguely surprised, hey she says, Claudia, you started smoking again Claudia shrugs, lights up, and takes a drag, I'm going to die anyway, she says, when Georgie gets home, oh, Claudia, that's no excuse, you promised, you swore, you said you'd never, ever Amanda's husky voice trails off, can I have one she begs, the phone rings, smoke break, Georgie gust, in the grungy back seat of a cheap East cab, is speeding away from the Los Angeles airport, Georgie is on his cell phone, while he talks, the cab driver watches his suspicious ticks and twitches with squinty eyes in the rear view mirror, hey Claudia, sweetheart, Georgie gushes, it's me, Georgie, smoke break, her black rim doubles rolling in a silent movie scream, Claudia looks daggers at Amanda, they are both sucking down their ultra slim cigarettes like kids with popsicles, oh, hi, Georgie Claudia chirps, honey, what's up Claudia nervously taps Amanda, gritting her teeth, hey, 
Are you okay? Baby Georgie asks. He sounds worried. You don't sound too good. You sick or something still shivering slightly. Amanda shakes her head, slashing an invisible knife, hand across her throat, mouthing silent words to Claudia. Just get rid of him she's saying. Do what you have to do. Claudia tries to ignore her. Oh, no, hon I'm alright. Really, she says, trying to sound convincing. I just have a slight headache. I'll be okay. Claudia changes the subject. But what about you? Are you alright? She asks. How is Vegas? How's the trade show? Are you having a good time in the black and white cab? Georgie smiles. The cab driver's eyes narrow. Pretty good. Georgie says. But I missed you. Georgie squirms in his sagging passenger seat. He's slightly aroused, thinking of Claudia. He's wishing he was already home, with Claudia in the plush bedroom, watching her slowly strip for him from her elegant black satin dinner clothes down to her sexy lingerie, down to her shapely, blue nail polished feet, her pretty, slightly misshapen toes. So, I left a day early, Georgie says, I'm in a cab, I'll be home in 15, and I bought you something special that you're really going to love. See you soon, babe. Claudia's petrified, paralyzed, in rigor mortis. Oh, and, hey, Claudia Georgie pauses for the suspense. Don't forget what you promised me. Claudia is silently screaming, half alive, half dead. What you said about that sexy lingerie. The white and black cab driver watches Georgie smile. I've been waiting, smoke break, downstairs in the kitchen. Claudia vomits on Amanda's feet. This is it, Amanda. Claudia coughs. He's coming. Amanda joins in on the gag, pouring hers on the side. Oh, I, God, she spits. He's coming, Claudia, he's going to kill you, you, too. Claudia reminds her, he'll be here any minute, without warning. Amanda experiences a brief moment of sanity. It's no use, he's going to find out sooner or later anyway. Give it up, Claudia, she says. Just call the police, Claudia spins. Are you crazy she screams. I'd kill myself before I let Georgie get something like this on me. He'd never let me forget. He'd torture me with it for the rest of my life. Claudia pants, staring at her friend with wild eyes. Seriously, Amanda, I'd rather be dead then. Oh, shut up, Claudia. You would not. Amanda snaps. You'd do anything to stay alive and get this corpse off your back, and still cheat on Georgie, too. Obviously, Amanda knows Claudia. Well, Claudia protests. It was a good line, anyway. They both light another ultra-slim cigarette. They wave the pungent smoke over the buke. Finally, Claudia finds resolution. Come on, Amanda she shouts. We've got to do something barefoot and in bathrobes. The hair a mess. Claudia and Amanda run up the stairs. Downstairs, the doorbell rings. Claudia and Amanda freeze. They tiptoe back down and watch. Horrified, as the big brass doorknob slowly turns, the white front door slowly opens and Georgie walks inside, closing his umbrella. Honey. It's me he shouts, I'm home Claudia and Amanda are still petrified, mortified, and incapable of saying a word. Hi, Claudia Georgie bursts out, aren't you glad to see me Claudia tries to fake a big, sexy smile, her whole body is frozen, she feels somewhat like a cryogenically preserved corpse. Still in bathrobe and slippers, Amanda stands behind Claudia, her big blue eyes shooting dots at Georgie, just get rid of him, she's still thinking, I don't care what you have to do. Feigning warmth, Claudia hugs Georgie tightly, beaming with satisfaction. Georgie smiles at Amanda. He feels perfect love toward all women. Sneering, Amanda gives him the finger. And, you know, dear, Georgie chatters on, the whole way from the airport, the freeway was wide open, absolutely no traffic. Oh, 
Really Claudia says, over Georgie's shoulder, she's waving Amanda up the stairs, it's like a whole world was bringing me home to you he pauses, waxing poetic, or, anyway, he says, the Eastler freeway was, Amanda rolls her eyes and gags silently, that's so nice, Amanda says, you're so, so for once, words fail her, she looks at Georgie with knives in her eyes, and then bolts for the door, Claudia breaks away from Georgie and charges toward Amanda, where are you going she demands, you can't leave now, but Amanda wins the doorway, at the threshold, she turns around triumphantly, I can't she sneers, just watch, before she leaves, she tosses a match into the disjointed hallucination of Claudia's burning house, I forgot, Amanda says, I left a fire burning in my fireplace, you can't be too careful, you know, she looks straight at Georgie, then she flings the zinger, you shouldn't play with fire, you know, she pauses, the fire that warms you can be the same fire that burns your house down, if you're not careful, all three stand stupefied, paralyzed, mortified, for a brief moment, finally, Amanda says, or whatever after a moment, Georgie's nose twitches, despite his passion for Claudia, he looks around distracted, he sniffs, what's that smell he says, embarrassed, Claudia looks away, Amanda reaches for the doorknob, they all hear the upstairs toilet flush, Amanda stops dead in her tracks, she and Claudia stare at one another, wide-eyed, Claudia, dear Georgie asks, who's that upstairs Claudia's speechless, so is Amanda, Georgie doesn't get it, but the joke's really on him, isn't it, Claudia, darling Georgie asks again, who's upstairs in our bathroom Claudia's still stupefied, tongue-tied, gagged, and bound, so is Amanda, and Georgie still doesn't get it, with a brisk, predatory leap, Georgie wrenches open a nearby closet and pulls out a sawed-off shotgun, Claudia and Amanda are scared shitless, stalking upstairs, Georgie is cautious brandishing the sawed-off shotgun in his arms, as he peers suspiciously over the foyer, the upstairs bedroom door slowly creaks open, Sir Tony Haldale walks out, he's totally nude, except for the cocktail napkin he's clutching over his flaccid manhood, he's still half asleep and half hung over like a walking zombie, Claudia and Amanda gasp, it's as if Sir Tony's been miraculously resurrected from the dead, Sir Tony's still groggy, he is oblivious to the man with the shotgun that stands in the swanky second story hallway, he's just looking for his old high school sweetheart and long lost love, Claudia Nesbitt, Claudia he calls, without sobbing, Claudia hides her face in her hands, and Georgie, of course, Georgie's enraged, Georgie's fuming, he stomps back down the stairs, throwing away the sword off shotgun in disgust, he starts stalking Claudia, instead, he figures that shooting is too good for her, he'll strangle her, with his bare hands, Claudia, dearest he snorts, who the fuck is that Sir Tony peers downstairs at the three musketeers, Claudia, Georgie, and Amanda, he's still befuddled, bewildered, baffled, Claudia Sir Tony sniffs, who are these people stepping between Sir Tony and Georgie, Amanda finally answers, Sir Tony Haldale, I'd like you to meet Claudia's husband, Georgie Gust, Georgie Gust, I'd like you to meet Claudia's old high school boyfriend and romantic lover boy, the Channel 43 TV anchorman, Sir Tony Haldale, pleased to meet you, Sir Tony blusters, charmed, I'm sure, shut up Georgie screams hysterically, you, just shut up but Georgie, dear, Claudia murmurs, I can, just shut up Georgie shouts, Claudia, I, Sir Tony starts to say, you, I told you Georgie shrieks, just, shut, up Sir Tony, Georgie, and Amanda look at Claudia, Claudia, Georgie says, yeah, Claudia, Amanda says, ah, 
Claudia Sertoni says, outside, the brake pads of a delivery truck screech, oh, number Claudia says, it happened again sheepishly, Claudia tries to smile, Sertoni and Amanda look at Georgie, Georgie looks down, his shoes are planted in puke, all we can hear is a fury of gagging and vomiting, until the doorbell rings, dear diary, I believe that it is better to tell the truth than a lie, I believe it is better to be free than to be a slave, and I believe it is better to know than to be ignorant. Part 5, The Crack Up After Georgie Discovers Claudia's Half-Hearted Affair with Sir Tony Haldale, Georgie and Claudia's American Dream Marriage is on the rocks, and as Georgie and Claudia's American Dream Marriage cracks up, their posh new age suburban yuppie McMansion also starts to disintegrate, remember the previously well manicured lawns and groomed shrubbery, the swanky, silvery dining rooms and upholstered, posh living rooms, you can't help but take a certain prurient interest and voyeuristic satisfaction watching the whole elaborate dream fall apart, in slow motion, in time-lapse photography, we watched Georgie's and Claudia's dream house splinter and crack, cracks and chinks appear in the superficial brickwork veneer and simulated wood grain siding, the white concrete sideworks and black asphalt driveway start to break up like they've been hit with an earthquake, shaggy, overgrown shrubbery and frayed, ragged grass grow over the white pillared front porch, dirty dishes pile up in the kitchen sink, dust settles over the plush upholstery and shag carpets, and elegant telephones ring in the empty rooms and abandoned closets, nobody answers, what's the question, is anybody home, Georgie, maybe, Claudia's gone, smoke break, a black and white cab pulls up to the shaggy, grassy curb in front of Georgie's McMansion, the blue uniformed driver takes a suitcase out the trunk and slams it shut, then he scuttles to the cab door, with a single arm gesture, he flings the back door open, a shapely, slightly older woman with frizzy red hair steps out, the blue uniformed driver slams the door shut and accepts a small gratuity from the shapely red haired woman, he tips his cap, the driver scuttles back to the front seat and jumps in, the cab drives away, out of boredom, Claudia dances around the white concrete sidewalk and across the scraggly, unmowed front lawn, she strikes a pose here and there, like she's playing for the invisible video camera, it's like she's practicing for a ballet recital, having nothing better to do, but we know, don't we, she's dancing for us, inside a swank three-story dream house, Georgie's private phone rings, he takes the call, absentmindedly, he looks out the front door and sees a shapely, red-haired woman standing on the front walk, hey, mom Georgie blurts out, great to hear from you Georgie looks down at the nail polished bottle in his hand, great he enthuses, everything's just great but suddenly, Georgie sees Claudia prancing and dancing on the shaggy front lawn outside the big picture window and abruptly cuts off the conversation, listen, mom, something's come up, he says, I have to go, I'll call you later, later that evening, Georgie and Claudia's slightly decrepit, three-story McMansion is lit up like an airport, Claudia's astonished, even in decay, the Georgie and Claudia's American Dream McMansion is so much swankier, posher, and larger than her wildest memories, this is our house she gasps, Georgie blurts out an irrelevant comment, my pops died, he says, deadpan, a couple years ago, while you were away, Claudia's immediately downcast and saddened by the news, I'm so sorry, she says, really, Georgie shrugs, you know, me, he starts to say, but he changes his mind, he left me a lot, is all he manages, shite, Claudia swinging wildly between extremes, Georgie's mood changes again, I have my own private airplane he blurts, a 68 dollars million fucking jet airplane of course, Claudia's mood swings, too, I'm so glad for you, 
she says, really, they're a couple of real swingers, and they, Georgie just and Claudia Nesbitt, smoke break, the next day, Georgie and Claudia sit at a rusty lawn table in the slightly overgrown backyard of their enormous three-story McMansion, why did you come back, Claudia Georgie wants to know, it wasn't, like, me, was it I just wanted to come back home, Claudia answers, to visit the past, in search of, oh, I don't know, she changes the subject, how has your Tourette's been she asks, are you taking your meds fucking awful Georgie says, can't you tell, the fucking meds he trails off, are you still drinking lots of coffee Claudia asks, it's not good for your Tourette's, you know, Claudia pauses before making a calculatedly tactless remark, you're not the easiest person to live with, anyway, but Georgie still doesn't get it, he's off on another tangent, god, Claudia he bursts out, it's been, like, what, 10, 11 years since what Claudia asks, since you Georgie trails off, you know, Claudia changes the subject, you may not believe this, but I miss the shite out of you, Georgie, what do you mean, you miss me Georgie shouts, you at least have to meet me, I broke up with you, like, five, six times Claudia shrugs and waves her hands, yeah, well, she says, that was a long time ago, and besides that, Georgie rants, you cheated on me with that, that creepy TV news guy, that Sir Tiny Watts is, Sir Tony Haldale, she sniffs, and he isn't, but Georgie keeps ranting, and then you cheated on me with another woman he shakes his head and mutters, a fucking beautiful woman, but Claudia only scoffs, beautiful, yeah, she was beautiful, she's amused, I told you that right from the beginning, Georgie, oh, yeah, you told me, and then you lied to me, you said it was a platonic, friendship thing, no sects, that's what you said, yeah, I said that, Claudia smirks, I said lots of things, but things change, Georgie, I was completely honest and open with you Georgie accuses, and you wouldn't even have a threesome with me, finally, Claudia laughs out loud, listen to you she snorts, she was a lesbian, Georgie, she only liked women, so what, god Georgie mocks, can't I like women, too can we go inside, Georgie Claudia asks, I'm really cold, you can say that again, Georgie mumbles, I'm really cold, Claudia says, in the slightly decayed, dusty living room, Claudia and Georgie are kissing on the white and red plush upholstered sofa, Georgie starts getting romantic, come back to me, Claudia, he says, you know I love you, but again, Claudia only scoffs, thanks for the offer, Georgie boo, she says, maybe I'll think about it, smoke break, days later, Georgie is in the slightly cluttered, Mesa Den, playing back telephone messages while Claudia listens, you see how much I love you, Claudia he says, I have at least 30 of your messages saved on my voicemail but Claudia's not interested in replaying the past, this place is a mess she says, don't you ever throw anything out she stomps out, Georgie continues to play back Claudia's old telephone messages, when a strangely familiar voice abruptly blurts out, you think I'm gone, Georgie, but I'm not, she says, you won't get rid of me that easily, you think you can, but you can't, a burst of static blasts from the answering machine, and then the strangely familiar voice blurts out, you'll never forget me, Georgie, no matter how hard you try, smoke break, amidst the rusty lawn furniture and ragged, overgrown grass, Georgie and Claudia dine on the patio beneath a sagging white and red umbrella, music plays softly from the car stereo, which is tuned to the golden oldest station, Claudia's put on her old white and red summer dress and floppy hat, and has dyed her hair summer blonde, in this current incarnation, she's the epitome of the blonde bombshell, while George is the dark and handsome stranger, 
There's something strangely ritualized and excessively formal about their speech and manners, as if they are simply repeating old scenes from their distant past. Finally, Georgie stands and holds out a hand to Claudia. In their empty driveway, Georgie and Claudia dance to the same old sweet song that plays on the coupe's speakers. Georgie and Claudia are spectres, ghosts in some old black and white silent movie, as they dance on, and that old sweet song slowly fades away. As their western sun slowly sets behind them, Georgie and Claudia dance on to disco music from the BMW's car stereo. The stereo is playing the feverish, pulse-thumping disco beat of some great 80s classics, Stayin' Alive, Night Fever, Claudia grooves like a natural, her hips swaying and thrusting with the heavy beat, but Georgie's still Georgie, although trying to be suave, debonair, romantic, he can't help coming off as clumsy, slow-footed, heavy-handed as they dance together in front of their enormous three-story McMansion, white mist slowly arises from the concrete, and swirls around their feet, the old blue moon is a glittering disco ball overhead, Georgie sweeps Claudia off her feet and whispers, I love you, Claudia, come back to me, ouch Claudia says, you're standing on my toe I'll do whatever you want, just let me kiss your feet oh, Georgie, please, don't grovel, she titters, later that night in the big white and red canopy bed, Georgie and Claudia lie together, exhausted, panting, sweaty, Claudia's only slightly relieved, still a little frustrated, oh, Georgie, you make me queasy she says, I'm sick, dizzy, Georgie laughs, it was good for me, too, he says, Georgie, Claudia says, getting serious, I didn't understand a word you were saying, when we were you know, you just started spewing out obscenities and swear words, cursing, all that gibberish, you didn't make any sense, Georgie, Georgie's apologetic but still laughing, I can get like that, sometimes, sorry, abruptly, his mood swings, by the way, he says tersely, you forgot your fee, he pulls a fistful of bills from the cluttered nightstand, it's for dollars and twenty-five cents, right he sneers, you're from Eastler, right, home of cheap sex and cheaper thrills laughing, Claudia plays along, brusquely pulling on her clothes, yet, she smirks, your ten minute hour is up, sir, but remember, next time, pay me before you fuck me, or you won't be getting any, here Georgie throws the handful of bills on the bed, keep the change, sweetheart, Claudia stands and stuffs the bills into her brassier, you're a real big spender, she coos, do you want me to leave, right now Georgie gets on his knees and grovels, don't leave me, he whines, why don't I just become your little boy toy, you need that, don't you you already are, Claudia shoots back, since we kissed on the beach, and you fucked me, I've got you hooked, you're already in love with me, Georgie sighs, you're my one and only, my soulmate, Claudia simpers, you're my sugar daddy, my love boy, my Romeo, and yes, I'll marry you, unexpectedly, Georgie stands up, brushes himself off, and gets serious, you know, Claudia, he says, the chances of us working out together, married, are as good as they'd be with anyone else, Claudia laughs, we're made for each other, Georgie boy, she pauses, you've got secrets, I've got secrets, and we've both got problems, big problems, so Georgie mopes, the marriage is of, no wedding ring, then, Hanno Claudia sneers, that's just a silly tradition, Georgie grins, you know, Claudia, he says, sometimes I almost wish you were real, she laughs and then falls back into the big white and red poster bed, tired of the game, Georgie snuggles up to her, trying to rekindle the sparks of their old flame, but Claudia is too chilly, um, Claudia? May I please touch your breasts not tonight, Georgie, Claudia says over her cold shoulder, thanks for asking, though, 
Georgie rolls over to sulk, smoke break. The next morning, Georgie is rummaging in the fridge for milk. Across the messy kitchen, Claudia whispers, Hey, Georgie, look, but at the moment, Georgie's got his head stuck up the fridge. Just a minute, sweetheart, he calls, I'm busy, with her sultry, silky voice. Claudia whispers again, Georgie, oh Georgie girl, behind Georgie's back, Claudia drops her top. I need you to tell me, Georgie, she purrs, is one of my tits bigger than the other finally? Georgie turns his head, his jaw nearly drops. Jesus, Claudia, he says, well she demands, hell, I don't know, Georgie mutters, he turns and runs up the stairs, diving into Claudia's white and red bedroom, sitting on the bed beside the cluttered nightstand, he hits the speed dial on the telephone, mum, she won't have sex with me, Georgie complains, I don't know what the hell's going on, I don't know what the hell's wrong with me, Georgie's mother's voice echoes like a diva's across a colossal studio amphitheater, it's that Claudia, Georgie, I always told ya, she's just using ya for what she can get out of ya, you got to get rid of her, Georgie, you know she's not right for ya, I always said so, Georgie whimpers and pulls the phone away from his head, you got to get out Moar, his mother insists, find yourself a nice boy I'll, who'll take care o ya, and give ya some adorable little kids, I always told ya, Giawaji, didn't I Georgie holds the phone at arm's length and waits silently, patiently, for Mumsy's mother and son sex talk to just stop, finally, he just sets the phone down on the nightstand and goes back downstairs, well, here we are again, folks, and we, yes, it's another day in the secret life of Georgie Gust, only this time, Georgie's not alone, he's still trying to sort out his complicated love-hate relationship with Mrs. Georgie Gust, Miss Claudia Nesbitt, in his white terracloth bathrobe, Georgie peers down at his coffee, like a psychic reading tea leaves, as he peers, he whispers absent-mindedly to himself, stale, dark, sweet, addictive, strong, he slowly lifts the thermos closer to his lips, inch by inch, then, at the last second, he backs off, finally, he just pours the whole thing down the drain, he watches it slide out of sight with longing, in a self-mortifying fit of watered outrage, he grabs a pack of his favorite smokes, gnashing his teeth and baring his claws, he rips the pack to shreds, next, he grabs the carton out of the freezer, growling and foaming at the mouth, he starts tearing up the carton, when his schizophrenic fit of self-abasement and pious abnegation is finished, he finally pauses to look out the window and think, his self-conscious mind's gone blank, but in his collective subconscious he hears a strangely familiar voice whispering, I don't think you really miss me, Georgie boy, I think the only thing you really miss is the sects, even alone, Georgie finds himself repeating and replaying the same old stupid, tired scenes, saying the same old stupid words, over and over again, you didn't miss me, Claudia, I broke up with you like, five times, this time, Claudia's response is slightly different but how can that be, if she's just a memory, but you always came back for more, didn't you Claudia repeats, and then you wanted to marry me, who wanted to marry who Georgie asks Claudia, or whomever, I wanted to marry you don't you remember, Georgie Claudia whispers, you bought me that enormous diamond Georgie changes the subject, let me ask you again, Claudia, how do you think our marriage would work out if we ever got married, and see what answer you come up with, now that we've been married, well, the marriage might be hell, she says, but the sex would be great, smoke break, Claudia is taking a walk with her old friend and neighbor, Sarah, indeed, Greg's old Sarah, she's pushing a stroller with Claudia, on the curbside, 
Georgie is taking out the garbage that Sarah reminds him of and what Claudia might really be, just garbage. He pointedly tries to ignore all of his neighbors, but Claudia won't be ignored, never. Georgie, I'm so glad you came out, she says. I wanted to introduce you, Georgie sniffs. What's that smell Claudia's miffed? It's really none of your business, she says, but I've been drinking wine and smoking pot, with Sarah but what about Greg, what about us, Claudia, this is crazy as fuck, man, Claudia and Sarah impassively looked Georgie over, please not in front of our diminutive, our little one, parenthetical pet peeve natural childbirth ranking right down there with natural dentistry, oh, and Georgie, Claudia says, this is my wife now, remember Sarah, she completes my sentences. She completes my life, as you, Georgie, do not, Greg didn't either, as you can see, Georgie, adds Sarah, they walk on, the new threesome, smoke break, upstairs in the old master bedroom of the slightly decrepit McMansion, Georgie spies on Claudia and Sarah, who have bunked up in the guest house, across the scruffy unkempt lawn they spy on him back through the blinds of the guest house window, at the exact same moment, all three shut the blinds, but Georgie can't stay away from the window for long. Slipping silently into the master bedroom, Claudia sneaks up behind Georgie and puts a gun to his head. Georgie's still occupied with the guest house and doesn't notice until the ear-splitting sound of ten explosive pistol shots, their echoes slowly fading in the black night, smoke break. Claudia charges out the guest house door and bursts in Georgie's front door. A silent fire alarm is screaming. We still hear Claudia perfectly, though, just like she's standing right in front of us. A strangely familiar voice says, I'm just a habit, Georgie, an addiction, I don't need you anymore, see, I've got my life together, I've got it all figured out, and what about you, Georgie blue Georgie's eyes are desperate, scared, haunted, he's ready to give up, is he really dying, already, slipping up behind him, Claudia tapes his mouth shut and cuffs his wrists to his ankles, in the old master bedroom Georgie seduces Claudia's bare feet with his mouth. Bending over the languidly reclining Claudia, Georgie makes an awkward, lumpish figure. He can't find his balance. He falls to his knees. His hands are still cuffed behind his back. Claudia demands a pedicure, but Georgie, salivating, is incapable of submitting. Stroking her arms and waving her shapely bare feet before his nose, Claudia teases him as the silently screaming alarm clock on the nightstand passes for full hours. Finally, she rips the tape off his mouth and watches him squirm and wriggle against his bonds. Frustrated and enraged, defiant and abject, Georgie begs, Come on, Claudia, you can't leave me like this. Impulsively, Claudia gives in. She undoes his cuffs. You're right, Georgie, she says. We've got to give our marriage more time to mature. We can work things out, can't we? If we only try, Georgie starts to cry. In his mind, Georgie is still in cuffs, his mouth taped shut. The black magnet dominatrix, Claudia, stands over him, shaking her whip and chains. Georgie, you fool she taunts him. Of course I was just using you whenever it was convenient for me. I was just trying to make you my slave. Just look at me. Do I look like some submissive, whining bitch? I'm the perfectly empowered, dominant woman. I'm the superwoman. And I never even told you I loved you. Not once. It was all in your head. Georgie blue she scoffs. God, get a life, or something, will you suddenly... Claudia coughs, she can't seem to breathe right, something's stuck in her throat, she spits it out and turns to Georgie, stronger than ever, writhing and groveling in his bondage, Georgie tries to fight her physically, with little effect other than a feeling of puny ridiculousness, Claudia only laughs, Georgie, 
You pitiful little worm, she says. You're fighting Georgie's voice is stifled, muffled. Stop. Stop, he cries. Claudia mimics him. Thnop. Thnop, she snorts. She takes a stranglehold on Georgie's cock, kissing him while he's holding back. She pulls out a rubber and snaps it against his thigh. Then she makes him kiss her ass. Slowly, suggestively, she undoes his pants, coughing and hacking asthmatically, bringing her face closer and closer to his groin. But when Georgie starts to respond, she snaps at him. Don't touch my breasts, she commands. Don't even ask. Slowly, seductively, she undoes her bikini bottom, still writhing in a slow motion striptease. She tosses the condom away. Now, Georgie, she whispers, get me pregnant. Georgie's still bound and gagged, struggling and suffocating. No, he shouts. You bitch, no, Claudia mocks. Now, you bitch, Claudia lows herself onto him, taking him inside her. Georgie, you fool, she coos. I'm a social worker. I'm only here to help you. Get off, Georgie screams. Get off, Claudia's now perfectly calm, cool, collected. Oh, Georgie, you see, I am. She towers above him. I'm getting off, and now I have complete control over you. Suddenly, the telephone rings. Strong fists pound on the door. Georgie shudders and explodes inside her. Claudia smirks. And now, you've gotten me pregnant. You'll never be free from me. Again, as long as you live, Claudia thrusts her face close to his, whispering into his still twisting and writhing features. Don't you understand? Georgie she whispers. I only want to abuse you. I love abusing you. Because, you see, I really don't love you. In fact, I think I really hate you now. Fire department stout, authoritarian voices shout, police, open up, parenthetical pet peeve, door to door evangelizing, the sturdy white front door comes crashing down, still chafing his wrists and pacing back and forth, Georgie's wiped out, it never ends he sobs, Claudia walks out, casting a last look over her cold shoulder, I'll call you, she says, and then she walks out forever, smoke break, the silently screaming alarm clock reads, 10 a.m., on the other side of the wall, we hear the sounds of a man and woman having sex. The old master bedroom is decorated with erotic artwork. The anonymous man's feet hang out of the sleep-rumpled bed covers. The old master bedroom sounds hollow now, and there's the ripping, tearing sound of fabric being hit, repeatedly, over and over again. In the white and red canopy bed, Georgie's under the rumpled bed covers jerking off with his laptop on his chest. He's watching porn with his headphones on and he's still thinking of Claudia. The silently screaming alarm clock reads 10.15 a.m. Georgie is still jerking off. The silent alarm clock reads 10.44 a.m. Georgie's tired and sweaty. He tries one last time. By his side, the clock face turns ahead to 10.45 a.m. There's a big sigh as Georgie gives up. This is pathetic, he says. That night, Georgie is still in bed with his laptop. But now Claudia's beside him. Stop working, she nags. Put the computer away, Georgie. Just go to sleep, Georgie shuts the laptop up, thank you, dearest, he says, you know how much I love you, I love you, too, she says, do you want to have sex Claudia, sweetheart Georgie asks, is that you in a black silk negligee and sexy undies, Claudia slowly leans toward him, with a snarl, Georgie puts a gun to her head, smoke break, in the old master bedroom, Claudia suddenly wakes up, startled, sweating, there's no one else around, Georgie's gone. She pulls out a dildo from under the sheets. She drops it on the floor. She sighs with exhausted relief. Ah, fuck. She curses. I'm really a sick bitch. Smoke break. It's a scorching hot and dry Southern California day outside some desolate, anonymous motel room somewhere. 
in a sleazy little beach town, in the off-season, in the anonymous motel room, the cheap ragged blinds are closed, the white sun bleeds horizontally into the dusky studio motel set, making black and white shadows like bars in the stifling and stuffy air, Georgie's shivering, suffocating in smoke, but he's still wrapped up in a blanket, his face is drenched with sweat, he can barely suck in a stale breath of fresh air, women's panties and assorted dildos are scattered on the floor, Georgie surveys the wreckage, her notes, her gifts, and dead flowers, a bucket of water, the silent fire alarm finally screeches on, and with it, Georgie is also set off, kill me, kill me he screams fuck you, fuck me, fuck the world, I want off Georgie dunks his head in the bucket of water, gasping for breath, he sits on the bed, panting, slowly, Georgie removes a point for for caliber revolver from a black leather bag and starts to play with it, he plays the 1950s Hollywood cowboy, twirling the big ugly revolver around his trigger finger, pretending to shoot over his shoulder, then nonchalantly he puts the barrel of the gun inside his mouth and aims upward toward the top of his head, after a moment, he takes the gun out of his mouth, the biggest mistake people make in killing themselves, Georgie explains matter-of-factly, is not shooting straight, he squints, as if reading the old broken script from invisible cue cards, don't aim for the back of the throat, you'll just blow your neck out, aim straight for the roof of the mouth, that's where the brains are, he wraps his lips around the gun and pulls the trigger, the hammer clicks harmlessly, exhausted, Georgie sits down hard on the old broken down sofa, he lays his head back and shuts his eyes, laying one hand over the gun, which sits still on his lap, through the walls, Georgie hears a couple arguing, pots and pans banging, furniture sliding across the floor, and then a little girl cries, mommy, mommy still half asleep, Georgie hollers through the wall, shut up, little girl a man's distant voice shouts, you fucking bitch the dull thud of a body hitting the floor, the little girl sobs, mommy wearily, Georgie gets to his feet still carrying the gun, he crosses the room and puts his ear against the wall, silence, dear diary, I can't challenge myself to deal with, the what is and not the what is not, part 6, the flashback Georgie reclines with a half-smoked cigarette on the closely clipped front lawn of his modest, three-story suburban home in an anonymous subdivision, all too soon, the smoke runs out, Georgie groans as he rises to his feet, he walks down the deserted beachside street along the windy shorefront, near a flashily lit convenience store, sluggishly, slumped-shouldered, he slouches through the swinging glass doors and into the air-conditioned store, he walks through like a zombie, like a rat in a familiar maze grabbing exactly what he wants, Georgie pays the pretty sales clerk for a pack of smokes and a snack, she smiles, have a nice day she chirps, Georgie grunts, turns, and leaves, on the waterfront Georgie strides home with his trembling hands full, trying to smoke a cigarette and eat a burrito at the same time, suddenly, he's struck with a wild idea, he juggles the burrito and the cigarette, pulls a memo notebook from his back pocket, and scribbles, write down all the things I want to do with my life, start with today, then he draws a flashing light bulb, for inspiration, get it, which he turns into a fat lady bending over, seen from behind, satisfied, he shuts the book and walks on, he starts humming the song he heard playing when he was in the shower, he passes another sleazy, fleabag motel and keeps singing to himself, such a lovely place such a lovely space out of nowhere, a strangely familiar woman's voice starts humming the melody, Georgie and Claudia make a cute meet, don't you think, like some cute teenage surfer couple in some wholesome, 50s beach movie, they are both singing, we're all prisoners here, have our own device abruptly, Georgie stops singing, but Claudia keeps right on, living it up at the Hotel California she's not embarrassed, 
She's not shy, she's singing for us, isn't she? And when she sees Georgie watching, she only sings louder. Such a lovely place, such a lovely place, such a lovely space. Georgie looks down at her shapely, well manicured feet. Suddenly, Claudia stops singing too. He's looking at her brightly colored, bluish painted toenails. As he walks past her she finally speaks to him. What are the chances of that she asks. Georgie stops staring at her feet and briefly looks into her eyes. Ha he asks. Have what Claudia smirks. You were just singing the Hotel California, weren't you Georgie's too befuddled and embarrassed to answer. I don't know, he stammers. I don't remember, Claudia laughs. Well, don't be embarrassed. You don't need to be shy with me. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, like, the coincidence, us both singing the same song at the same time, like that finally, Georgie lightens up and laughs a little. Yeah, that was weird, he admits. You were singing Hotel California, too weren't you intrigued by his mysterious shyness? Claudia tries to draw Georgie into a conversation. Hey, you live just down the corner of the next block, don't you? She says. She pauses like she's just remembering something, she doesn't know what. Oh, hell, I know who you are, Claudia snorts. I know where I know you from, yeah, Georgie says, where you're the guy who's always out there on the front lawn, smoking a cig, right? But Georgie is still staring at her feet. Yeah, maybe, he confesses. I guess, Georgie's evasive, non-committal, but Claudia picks up on his shyness and confusion. Hi, hey, she says, you really are antisocial, and you politely. Georgie corrects her, not antisocial, he says, just non-social, maybe, Georgie's still being evasive, but Claudia doesn't push the issue, instead, she simply acts supportive, compassionate, caring, while she gushes, that's amazing, I just had this flash, like, you know, deja vu or something, I had this flash like we've met before, in another life, or something, maybe still, Georgie says nothing, he can't think of anything to say, and he can't escape the feeling that he's stuck in some old, bad dream, so Claudia picks up the slack, all by herself, anyway, I was just on my way to get my nails done, she says, I've been over at the seaport for the past week, she pauses, then confides, it's this professional pedicurist's convention I have to go to for work, it's so damned boring finally, Georgie breaks his stupefied, tongue-tied reserve and blurts out, what's your name, if you don't mind me asking, I'm Claudia, Claudia smiles, Claudia Nesbitt, that's nice, Georgie flashes back, or, I guess that's nice, ha yeah, I guess, Claudia laughs, what's yours I'm Georgie, Georgie agrees, Georgie gust, or, at least, I think I am, that's who I was the last time I checked, they shake hands, firmly, Georgie's grip is strong, but Claudia's is stronger, you've got a firm grip there, Mr. Gust, Claudia laughs, would you like to arm wrestle Georgie apologizes, sorry, he says, I didn't want to hurt you, Georgie looks down again at Claudia's open-toed feet, Claudia's hooky blue toenail polish is peeling off intriguingly, it looks slutty, Georgie thinks, but sweet, like sex candy, smoke break, there are doctor's papers, notes, and conference binders strewn around the cluttered bedroom area of the cheap motel room, Georgie's giving Claudia the pedicure she always wanted in the brightly lit bathroom, he's using new blue nail polish, Claudia's pick. Claudia basks in Georgie's rapt attention, I really can't believe you've never given a girl a pedicure before, she says, you're just so so good at it, Georgie basks in Claudia's praise, really he says, he puffs furiously on the last bluish layer, laughing at himself for being so strung out behind the whole foot polishing routine, but it's turning him on, sexually, at the same time, it's making Georgie horny, Claudia, too, 
smoke break. As sunset fades over the white sand beaches Georgie walks home still excited by this afternoon's meeting with the love of my life, the number number one, the one and only, great love, my soulmate, Claudia Nesbitt. Just as he gets home the phone rings, he rushes inside. When he picks up the phone, he's already missed the call. He pushes the message button. Out of nowhere, Claudia's silky, languorous voice fills the empty room. Hey Georgie, she purrs. I was just thinking of you. I was downstairs at one of the lectures. It's so boring. I wish I were with you. Instead, doing she pauses suggestively. You know, Georgie's swept up and possessed by the fragrant memory of Claudia's shapely feet, blue toenail polish, and the fragrant smell of her foot sweat wafting to his nose. Almost immediately another message comes in, clashing with the previously recorded message. Out of nowhere, Claudia's choked up, sobbing voice fills the empty room. She's very distressed, nearly in tears. Hey, Georgie, she says, it's me again, Claudia. Hey, ugh, I'm just calling, I'm just calling because, I'm sorry, I'm just so bored at this stupid conference. I'm not going to go to this class I have in 10 minutes. I'm getting so sick of listening to the same thing over and over again. I'm just in my room, taking a bubble bath. Anyway, I'm sorry to bother you. Thanks for letting me vent. Almost immediately the phone rings again. Georgie picks up the phone. Hello Georgie you must look beautiful in that bubble bath. Parenthetical pet peeve. Image consultants. Oh, Georgie. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. And she really means it. Too. Seriously. Georgie. She says. That is one of the nicest things a guy has ever said to me. You just don't know the things guys say. When they you know. Through the swirling mists of the motel bathroom. Georgie massages Claudia's feet. He makes wild, passionate love, orally to her fetidly smelly feet. She moans in ecstasy. Oh, please, she pleads. Don't stop. Do me right on the arches. Georgie is in ecstasy as her feet quiver with delight. Smoke break. Georgie and Claudia wake up together both still fully clothed. Georgie smiles into Claudia's eyes. She immediately falls back to sleep. Gently, Georgie caresses her hair and her feet. For a few brief moments, he watches her sleep, still oblivious. Then he leaves, quietly, without waking her up. As the cheap motel room door closes, we see the blue nail polished bottles strewn across the cluttered nightstand. Beneath them, Georgie's left a note that reads, simply, thank you, Georgie, smoke break. Georgie comes home with a styrofoam cup of coffee in his hand. As he steps onto the front porch, he tells himself he's really ready for the day. He opens his mailbox and shuffles through a few bills. Then he unlocks the front door and steps inside the empty house. The house is still a mess, with dirty dishes and clothes lying haphazardly throughout the kitchen and the living room. Quickly Georgie picks up the dirty clothes, cleans a few dishes, and sets his house in order before he finally sits down to write the first installment of The Secret Love and Death of Georgie Gust and Claudia Nesbitt. I'll have to begin the story with me, as ridiculous as that sounds, he thinks. It's been forever since I actually sat down to write. He starts writing. By the end I knew I had succeeded. It was just one of those things. I enjoyed myself and left. That's all that mattered. God probably took delight in watching his orchestration of me that day. I guess I'll just chalk it up to personal growth. The next day, things were even better. I'll probably never hear from her or see her again. Or, maybe not for a week at least. Anyway. He turns on Hotel California on the CD player and keeps typing through the whole day without distraction, looping the one song over and over again. Out of nowhere, Claudia's brisk business-like voice breaks into the quiet room. Hi, Georgie, she says, 
Dear diary, I learned to be quiet, to shut the fuck up, learning to be silent more and more, and loving, because if my silence does not love it will make me insensitive, which I certainly am at times, I don't mean to, and then my silence is that of a cemetery, dull and dead, it will not be a silence that can celebrate, sing, dance, and bloom in a thousand and one flowers, and love is only possible if you are fearless, maybe I am the man who is afraid and perhaps cannot love part 7, the fantasy, either blue full moon lights up Georgie and Claudia on the white sand beach, they're a happy-go-lucky fun couple, all perfectly white-toothed smiles and sleepy, bedroom looks, like they are posing for cheap promotional brochures for some ritzy beachside resort or sweaty tourist spa, somewhere in Southern California, Georgie and Claudia chase each other playfully around the big white sand lot, Claudia dips her feet in the white foam sea water as she sits at the edge, Georgie tries to lick Claudia's wet, gritty feet, but Claudia girlishly grinds his face into the salty tide water, using her perfectly manicured, stylish feet to hold his head down, Georgie's hair bobs up and down with the rising and falling waves as Claudia laughs, as the sun sets, Georgie and Claudia dance in the empty beach parking lot near their sporty gull winged car, the car's CD player is set on high volume, playing 80s disco music with a pulsing, throbbing beat, but slightly shrill, unnervingly dinny through the metal speakers, in the background, a silent fire alarm wails, abruptly, the whole scene changes, smoke break, wildly flinging and throwing himself around the crowded studio, Georgie is playfully beating himself up, imagining that he's Claudia, helper he shouts, mocking himself, somebody save me, helper he's completely alone in the studio, except of course, for us, Georgie keeps screaming, still nobody answers, the whole scene changes, smoke break, Georgie timidly knocks at the half-open door to Claudia's pad, he's got an invitation, but he still doesn't know what to expect, and, of course, he's shivering, nervous, excited, Claudia greets Georgie at the door in sweet disabile, come in, Claudia purrs in a husky, low voice, we've been expecting you, Georgie, we, Georgie wonders, but he doesn't keep wondering long, Georgie pushes the door open and finds Claudia kissing another woman, Georgie's surprised to see that it's Claudia's friend Amanda, but, where's Stevie, both Claudia and Amanda are topless, Claudia wears a sleek, black latex tights, a middle-aged couple observes the festivities, a white-haired man in his fifties and his distinctly younger wife, in her twenties, and all of wide-eyed innocence, watch stiffly, sitting side by side, sultrily, seductively, Claudia welcomes Georgie to her den of sin, tell me a little bit more about yourself, Georgie, Claudia vamps, I really want to get to know you, somehow, Claudia seems to have sprouted sharp, pointed teeth and blood drips from her bright red lips, Georgie immediately turns to run away, he tries to open the front door but the lock jams, he shakes the handle rapidly expecting Claudia to sink her fangs into his neck at any moment, Claudia changes again, becoming a sweet sex kitten, coy and playful, her whiskers twitch, parenthetical pet peeve, small dogs who hump my legs, oh, Georgie, Claudia purrs, please don't leave, I want to introduce you to my favorite sex toy and lesbian lover, Amanda, Amanda simpers and preens for Georgie, but Georgie, out of nowhere, starts screaming, you're fucking with my mind, both of you, bitches I'm not fucking with your mind, Claudia snaps back, damn it, I told you I wouldn't do that, I told you, don't you believe me Georgie writhes and grovels on the floor, a nervous wreck, Somewhere in the background a silent fire alarm goes off, Georgie pounds his fists on the floor and screams, and the fire alarm keeps on wailing, inexplicably the whole scene changes, 
At a trendy yuppie coffee house in the same big city, Georgie and Claudia sit on the fashionable terrace sipping coffee and relaxing with smokes. With the threefold stimulation of coffee, cigarettes, and Claudia, Georgie waxes poetic. The morning cup of coffee, Georgie rapturously infuses, has a subtle exhilaration about it, which the happy influence of the afternoon or late night cup of tea cannot equal. The pungent fragrance, the piquant aroma, the racing pulse, the rumbling bowels, Claudia agrees. It's true, she says, a splash of coffee in the morning really gets me going, you know, sitting here, like right now, I feel so romantic and free, I feel free to be me, Georgie changes the subject, you know, dearest, when I got that money from the savings and loan trust fund, I suddenly felt trapped, Claudia agrees, yes, dear, she says, I know just what you mean, Georgie ignores her, he's caught up in his financial woes, you know though, sweetheart, he continues, if I did accomplish the whole financial coup at the bank, it's only to the good, it's all good it's mainly because I was driven by the need to know whether I could accomplish something I wasn't sure I had the capacity to do, like, pull off a big financial scam, I was trying to get over, you know, the self-doubt thing, my impeccable morals were totally out of the picture, Claudia laughs shrilly, business first, the netics, right Claudia smiles, oh, Georgie, you're such a card, Georgie sulks and nods self-importantly, yes, I suppose you're right, dear, he takes a sip of his triple strength latte, yeah, I guess I am, Claudia keeps preening and grooming him, besides, she murmurs, morality's mostly a matter of geography, and look where we are what city is this, Georgie, do you remember still Georgie ignores her, I know, dear, Georgie makes a flippant gesture, it's all very nice nice, yeah, but, you know, something's still missing, Claudia's baffled, she raises her high arched eyebrows, missing she asks, Georgie pauses a few seconds, exhaling cigarette smoke from both nostrils, finally he turns and looks at Claudia as if he's just remembered she's there, you know, dear, Georgie continues, at times, I think I'm overly rebellious, I just really don't want to miss this opportunity to rebel, you know, Claudia's eyes widen, she nods, yes, dear, I know, I understand perfectly, she pauses before expressing her disagreement, but if you think about it, Georgie, darling, she smiles, every act of rebellion expresses some sort of nostalgia for innocence, doesn't it, at heart Georgie's surprised to hear Claudia dabbling in profundities, he sips his triple latte and continues, but people, kids our age Georgie frowns sagely, we all have the same problem, Claudia falls back into her supporting role, what problem is that, dear she says, I guess I just don't understand, Georgie settles comfortably into his superior role, the problem is, Claudia, he lectures, how to rebel and how to conform at the same time, look at how we're solving the problem, you and me, we defy our parents and run away and get ourselves in trouble, and then, Claudia gently cuts in, and then we smile, she says, Georgie frowns and nods, yes, but without any reason, he says, without any reason, Claudia basks in Georgie's approval, yes, of course, dear, she pauses, but that's what gives the smile its charm, Georgie changes the subject, listen, Claudia, Georgie gets serious, if I told you I was going to make a realistic decision, you would immediately think I decided to do something bad, am I right Claudia squirms, I'd base it on your past history, she equivocates, realistic or not, she pauses, then she smiles, but reality, my dear, reality is something we'll rise above, I Georgie told me that once upon a time, long ago, Georgie nods, content in his wisdom to let Claudia recite his own profound aphorisms for him, 
As a youth, you learn, Claudia recites, as you get older, you start to understand, parenthetical pet peeve, the older I get, the faster time passes, finally, Georgie cuts in, but in our youth he says, we know everything, old people just believe everything, there's a big difference, Claudia, chastened, Claudia casts down eyes, we must shock old people out of their minds, Georgie continues, generally, we're the ones who keep them up to date, Claudia frowns, confused and troubled, I don't know, Georgie, but, she wonders, well, if we're so smart so what Claudia plunges on, I mean, we know everything don't we, but what about our money and our future, what's the plan, where are we headed next, what's our destiny now that we're always running away Georgie's slightly nonplussed, but he doesn't show it, well now, Claudia he says, let's just not look too far ahead, that, I think, would be a mistake, a big mistake, Claudia's relieved, okay, then, she says, let's just tackle one thing at a time, Georgie's gratified by her submission, yeah, right, he says, we'll just have to learn the rules of the game, but we have to stay low-key for a while until we make our big move, but that means, Claudia adds, that we'll have to play the game better than anyone else, suddenly, Georgie's stricken by remorse, man Georgie abruptly shouts, I'm starting to feel real guilty about the whole bank job thing, I don't know why, it just struck me, Claudia bites the nail on her middle finger hesitantly, is Georgie going to start getting moral or something she wonders, finally, she reminds him, there may be responsible people but never guilty people, I Georgie told me that too, long ago, in another country, but Georgie's still serious, number, seriously, Claudia, he grimaces, I think we have a problem, I really think, morally, we should give the money back, I'm just too nervous, I'm afraid I'm going to blow it, or something, Georgie lights another cigarette but on the wrong end, Claudia sips her coffee, calm down please, Georgie, she cautions, don't lose your head now, now it's Claudia's turn to be smug, wise, superior, we have to continue on a path, our guiding path has to be clear to us at all times, our path's not far away, it's right here, we have a car right here, we have money, lots of money, we have everything we need, what else is there now Georgie's relieved, he knows Claudia's behind him 100%, she's with him, heart and soul, he feels he can bear his soul to her, just this once, I know we've just met, but he pauses, Claudia, I like you, you fascinate me, I like you too, Georgie, Claudia murmurs, lovers, Georgie pronounces, on the other hand, know just what they want and not what they need, we really don't need this money, because you and me, Claudia, we've got each other, we want wealth but right now we really only have each other, Claudia agrees, we do, I've got you, Georgie, she pauses, and you've got me, I guess you could say that we are fortunate in that sense, Georgie waxes poetic again, you see, Claudia, Georgie proclaims, America is like a whole big apple pie, set out on the counter somewhere, right smack dab in the middle of 10 billion starving people, we thought we were the greatest nation on earth, but, somewhere, we made a mistake, we violated the law, the law of God, and, depending on when you do it, and whether you get away with it, you can't defy the laws of God without paying the consequences, sooner or later, yes, oh, Georgie, you are so very right, Claudia flashes and glows with Georgie's wisdom, but abruptly, Claudia's mood darkens, you know, Georgie, she cautions, we probably have more ability than willpower, there's no limit to how complicated things can get when one thing leads to another, Claudia wants Georgie to save her, to protect her, to be her big strong man, she wants him to be there for her, you're right, she faces facts, we could go to prison if we don't hide out for the rest of our lives, the cops are after us, and, like, 
We don't even react to them, like it really doesn't even matter. Claudia pauses, her high arched eyebrows furrowed with thought. What do prisons do, anyway she asks seriously. They don't rehabilitate criminals, they don't protect us. What the hell do they do, anyway? They make criminals, don't they? They make you think, Georgie answers, turning hard-bitten. They make you think about the big questions, who you are, why you're here, how the hell you got here, and especially, how the hell you're going to get out. You just sit in a cell somewhere with a bunch of other criminals and brood over the nature of things, I guess, Claudia muses, but suddenly she has a change of heart. Let's turn ourselves in, Georgie. Should we she doesn't wait for an answer, but secretly, we'll give the money back, right? We never had a plan anyway, what were we going to do? Just go and get married too young, move into a condo by the beach and grow old and tired of each other? Go on spending money on things we really don't need? We'd be the all-American retired couple, Georgie nods, sort of, he says. Claudia grabs his arm and starts dragging him across the parking lot. Come on, Georgie she shouts, Georgie, reluctantly lets himself be dragged toward a getaway car, okay, he mutters, come on, Georgie Claudia repeats, we'll be clean, we'll be free, but, more than that, we'll be happy let's put a whole bag of loot, all 50,000 bucks, in the Salvation Army bean in the parking lot, Georgie whispers, we'll help others and ourselves, whatever Georgie ponders briefly, almost reconsiders, and then stands resolved, we'll be broke, we'll be crooks, but at least we'll be off the hook, Georgie strikes a noble pose, People have got to help each other, don't they? It's nature's law. The couple pays their check with some of the money from their bag of loot. They leave a big tip. Then they walk over to the Salvation Army bean in the parking area and toss the whole bag of money inside. They jump in the getaway car and squeal out of the parking lot. Moments later, Georgie and Claudia are driving along the Etlane freeway. Parenthetical pet peeve. No matter how late at night, no matter how far out I'm in the country, there's always a car coming to make me wait when I want to turn left. There are cars waiting to turn left. There are cars coming from the left when the right side is clear. When the right side is clear, there are cars coming from the left. I'm taking you to the airport, babe. Georgie speaks loudly over the roar of the freeway. You should go back home. Just leave me here. Claudia looks at him in surprise. What? What are you going to do damn it? Claudia, my head's like a freaking prison. All I can get out are words. Georgie turns to Claudia with a stricken look. I need some private space away from from us. I need time to think about things. Don't worry, though, we'll meet up again. When I find a safe hideout, I'll send for you. We'll get wasted together on my 21st birthday as the sleek sporty getaway car speeds down the freeway. The whole scene changes once again. In an enormous crowded airport somewhere in the same big city, Claudia's about to board her flight. Georgie's holding her hand and looking sincerely into her eyes. Claudia's giving him mixed messages, he thinks, we'll write she asks, we'll keep in touch Georgie shrugs, number, that's too risky, he says, just meet me, when the time's right, we'll make a fresh start, we won't rob anyone, we'll just talk, and go to college together or something, if you want, no strings attached, it'll be perfect again, Claudia, like it was, you'll see, Claudia's still confused, ambivalent, non-committal, I don't want to take the baccalaureate exam again, she complains, I already failed it once, I want to start all over again, from the beginning, I want to make a fresh start, Georgie shakes his head, this time, we'll be victors together, you and me, he nods, just wait and see, Claudia seems unsure, wow, she says, I can't believe I've grown so close to you, you bad boy, you're a bad boy, Georgie, do you know that bad boys can grow up to be good men, 
Georgie insists. You wait and see, I'll be a man when you return, things will be better. Claudia starts crying. Number, really, you're perfect, Georgie. Please don't change, I love you just the way you are. Georgie's apologetic. I'm sorry, Claudia, it was a foolish bank robbery, the whole thing was really pretty funny. He pats her hand and kisses her cheek. You'd better give them your ticket and get on board, now, you don't want to miss your flight. Claudia can't tear herself away from him. I'm already going to miss my flight. She sniffs. Why was it funny? The robbery. I mean you can tell me. It was a non-cash bank. Georgie laughs. That's why. I pranked you, babe. Claudia's suddenly miffed again. What she says. Georgie laughs again. I couldn't even take out my own money. Isn't that funny finally? Claudia smiles. That was really stupid. Love the boy. Really stupid. Georgie's slightly abashed but unrepentant. I guess some things are meant to happen that way. Some things just don't go according to plan and besides, I didn't know, either. It was my first time, but Claudia only scolds him. Bad boy, you're a bad boy, Georgie just they kiss. I didn't know how to tell you, he mutters. I enjoyed our conversation, though, she smiles. Georgie smiles with her. I'm an idiot, he says, a complete idiot, she agrees. Georgie watches as Claudia walks through the flight tunnel toward the airplane. She disappears. Georgie walks back to his car, he's talking to himself again, we had fun while it lasted, she never came back to America, I told her she might not like it here after Paris, and Brussels, and Rome, after all the dizziness and excitement of that sophisticated jet set life, after the whirl and glitter of the stylish fashionable chick, she might never come back to America, she might never come back to me, dear diary, I've never made a mistake, huh, so here's to trying something new for a change. Maybe then I can make my mistake by fucking it all up in my own deluded fantasy, my desolate and futile life part 8, the fantasy, I are in some completely different big city, Georgie and Claudia are completely different people, this Claudia wears a stunning blue turtleneck, a long blue skirt, and blue rimmed glasses, her stylish chick clothes and faux European accent are quietly rapturous, Georgie wears a blue pinstripe suit and an outlandish paisley tie that doesn't quite cover his bulging paunch. Georgie's slightly graying but Claudia still has the flaming frizzy red hair and svelte hourglass figure of her misspent youth. Georgie rides up alone to his swank in a city penthouse apartment, carrying a small bonsai tree and a bag of chocolate kisses, parenthetical pet peeve, vending machines that take your money, but won't give you anything and won't give your money back either. At the 33rd floor the elevator stops. The elevator door opens and Claudia gets in. It's just like deja vu all over again. Isn't it Georgie suavely strikes up a conversation, I believe we've met before, haven't we, somewhere, perhaps in Paris, Prague, Schenectady Claudia smiles but doesn't answer, she's obviously struggling for words, haven't I seen you somewhere before Georgie goes on, maybe on the Riviera, Rio, or in my dreams, perhaps Georgie's the epitome of a sophisticated debonair playboy, what's your sign he asks slyly, I'm a Gemini, you must be, Georgie smiles mysteriously, no, don't tell me, let me guess, to answer your questions, the francophone Claudia smiles again, I am, obviously, how you say, a French girl, je parle français, tout court, and, the English, it is, for me how you say, tres difficile so, Georgie deftly picks up Claudia's cues, what part of France are you from, Saint Louis, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, or, maybe, quiche Lorraine fortunately, Claudia completely fails to catch his drift, I have been in your United States for five months now, she says, 
obviously excited to have a sophisticated gentleman like Georgie to talk to among so many swarming, sweaty, belching barbarians, I love your summer weather, to swim, I, love to stay how you say in shape, but me, I am just what do you call that, I just love chocolate, your Hershey kisses, she grins widely, parenthetical pet peeve, vending machines that won't accept my money at all, worse, when the item I chose in the vending machine gets hung up and doesn't fall to where I can get it out of the machine, simply ravishing to meet you, Georgie kisses her hand, his eyes fall to her brightly painted toes and stylish feet, who does your toes Georgie gushes, I just love your pedicure, can I have your phone number, or, am I being too forward oh, you Americans Claudia simpers, you are so naive, but so so charming, Claudia's mannerisms and accent shift to a slightly sinister jaja garbor, as she hands Georgie a slip of paper, here you are, darling, my card, please call my agent, perhaps, there can arrange, a rendezvous, oh, I, God, Georgie falls to his knees, you are too, too kind, perhaps I might kiss your feet please to make a range etchminx fit my agent finally, Georgie snaps out of his wild reverie, resuming his sophisticated, suave manner, he elegantly requests Claudia's home address and phone number, she scribbles something on a business card and presses it into his hand, immediately, the elevator door opens at the 66th floor and Claudia walks hurriedly away down the romantically lit penthouse corridor, Georgie dazedly scans the business card, it reads, P.S. I don't know why I want my home address, but here it is, for some strange reason, I trust you, I believe in fate, call me, Claudia, Georgie's already missed his floor, the elevator door slams shut and the elevator rumbles and rattles downward again smoke break, on their first date, Georgie and Claudia drive onto the interstate southbound, into New Jersey, Georgie wants to show this elegant French mademoiselle the real America and the real Americans who populate it, right here in Passaic, Hoboken, Parsippany, and Patterson, and Claudia's eager to impress this well-dressed, mysterious man about town who epitomizes for her the American dream, which she too heartily believes in, the statuesque French torch singer with the spiky hairdo and sculptured robes, who sings the glittering promise of freedom, liberty, and equality, banality, mediocrity, Claudia now looks slightly younger, with her sophisticated, elegant clothes and heavy pancake makeup, she resembles a Lauren Bacall, a Catherine Hepburn, Georgie can't get enough, as he drives, Claudia leans back in the reclining passenger seat staring out the black tinted window, she rests her head on a throw pillow and resumes speaking her fractured French, the RG, darling, Claudia purrs, you are so very, how you say Richard, eh, you are supposed to be a good American host, you know like our Jerry Lewis, your movie star but instead, I come here and you rob the bank, you kill someone, maybe and we are always on the run, where's the America I see in the movies, where is what you call the American dream Georgie's wearing a 50s gangster get up, snap brim fedora, dark suit, and dark tie, he sneers at Claudia under his low hat brim and smokes incessantly, but when he speaks, his voice is surprisingly calm, bland, and matter of fact, like a TV newsman, well, you know, the government, the government controls our movies, Claudia, the government is into organized crime, the government is organized crime, and the government, well, the government looks out for its own, why, just look at that financial bailout racket, the colossal national debt and who services the national debt, you know, I think it's easier to commit robbery in the US by setting up a big bank rather than holding up a bank clerk, people give liberally to big corporations and big financial institutions the bigger the better, Georgie's nondescript, flat-toned voice trails off, 
Claudia laughs a very dry, French laugh. You are so very funny, my little one. In France, it is very different. France is the country where the money, it falls apart. How you say, poof. Oh, the French, Georgie the French. We are so Jenny say quoi. You know yeah, I know about the French, Georgie deadpans. You can't trust the franc, and you can't tear the toilet paper. While Georgie shakes his head, Claudia just keeps on laughing, almost hysterically. Finally, Georgie cuts her off. But, seriously, Claudia, you know, he says, there's always been something fishy about the French. Abruptly, Claudia stops laughing and becomes sophisticated, languid, and blasé once more. We, my little one, you are so right. She waves a slim black arm. Where I come from, it's so, so, I hate it. Everyone, they complain all the time, about everything. Nothing, Georgie nods, thank god it's not like that, here in America or not yet, anyway, in America, we still have seasons, four of them, and all in the right order, but, France, now, France, there's no winter in France, no summer, and here in America, we have morals, there are no morals in France, either, are they shooting a quick look at Claudia, Georgie realizes that he might have offended her francophile sentiments and Parisian sensibility, apart from that, though, he continues before she can answer, I think it's a fine country, the France, and a fine people, too, de Gaulle, and Marianne, and, who's it, Mendes France, Pierre Mendes France, yes, the French, he pauses, diplomatically, seeking words to express his profound admiration and eternal ardor for the Fourth Republic, they gave us the Statue of Liberty, you know, he says, and Louisiana, where would we be without Louisiana but Claudia doesn't answer. She's still seductively daydreaming of Parisian cafes and street scenes. Mais oui, she murmurs. Paris is the cafe of Europe at the word cafe. Georgie immediately snaps awake. His black rimmed eyeballs pop open, and he grips the steering wheel with white knuckles. Oh, God, yes he snorts. Paris, the cafes, the coffee the francophone. Claudia, shares his passion for bon vivant. She blushes. We she says, we must stop for coffee. Non taking a deep drag on his cigarette and letting the smoke curl out his nose, Georgie pulls himself together again. Now he's perfectly cool, calm, in control. Perfect, he says. It's still morning, sweetheart. It's morning in America, and there's a little place I know, just around here, where we can get a good black cup of joe. My little French kumquat, Claudia swoons. You are so suave, so romantique, smoke break, after their drive. Georgie sits in his briskly upholstered, crowded office, computers, monitors, and electronics fill this elaborate office space, it's fit for a pin-striped, bow-tie-wearing, traditional pipe smoker, a great tycoon or CEO, but George is dressed down, sporty, casual, as he sits handwriting a passionate letter, he's still slightly dazed from his fatal meeting with the mysterious, exotic Claudia Nesbitt, so, even though he's in his usual office routine, he can't really make himself work. I prefer snail mail, Georgie's whispering to himself, as if talking to Claudia. There's something more meaningful about the whole act of writing to someone special. Taking out the pen, feeling the handmade paper, personalizing the print, smudging the fingerprints, sticking the stamp and licking the envelope. Georgie shivers with scarcely suppressed excitement. I like the whole idea that Claudia and I are taking our sweet time getting to know one another. We're keeping the pace of our little romantic affair discreetly slow, what with the male and me, there's nothing I want less than another damned relationship that flies on too fast, but this thing with Claudia it's something special, meaningful, real, I can just feel it, the enormous wooden door to Georgie's office abruptly swings open, on the front of the door, 
There's an elaborately embossed sign, Georgie Gust Enterprises Georgie Gust, CEO, and below that, a printout, long-term investor in a short-term world in Stepsis Mail Marks, Georgie's male secretary, he's around 35 years old, flustered, disheveled, with messy hair and a loose tie, he's sweating profusely and his sleeves are rolled up, he brusquely storms in, oblivious to Georgie's romantic passion, Georgie Marks shouts, all hell's broken loose on the floor, Intercoastal's taking a dive, it's a $2 stock now, what'll we do, we're ruined Georgie's perfectly calm, cool, collected, although slightly peeved, how many times have I told you, Ismael Georgie's lip curls with his withering scorn, knock first, sorry, sir, Marks answers, but, Georgie cuts him off, Marks, I bought that stock at 50 cents, Georgie speaks clearly, as if talking to a lunatic or idiot, whatever I do, I'll make a killing now get lost, can't you see I'm in the middle of something really important after his bewilderment wears off, Ismael Marks sees the shy smile behind Georgie's witheringly curled lips, what's this Marks asks, gathering courage, another one of your peculiar obsessions, another of your curious perplexities, whatever happened to the online dating you must have made the moves on a pen pal, is she hot? Is this a hookup? Three other associates and Georgie Gust Enterprises, sometimes called the guys, stylish young men in their early twenties, approach the door, their eyes widen with jealousy and curiosity. When Georgie notices the peepers peering through his door, he discreetly covers his love letter. With an imperious gesture, he chases them out of the office. Guys, get lost, but the guys don't scare easily. Oh 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 oh, Mr. Romantic they chorus. Dreamboid after poet data modern Casanova Georgie slams the enormous wooden door on his not-so-secret admirers, he tries to pick up writing his romantic billet doubts, but he can't recapture the passionate mood of before, somewhere outside the office door, several different alarm clocks ring indistinctly, the whole scene changes once again, dear diary, I'm angry again, so, fuck it, I'm going to be exactly who I am, shite, my secret misery, my existential crisis, and what not. I always am exactly who I am, so what now, ah, with my breath after breath part 9, the secret love and death of Claudia Nesbitt and Georgie Gust and Georgie's current fantasy, he and Claudia's new age yuppie McMansion has blown out of proportion, it is now the size of a bustling metropolitan airport or the heavily fortified presidential palace of some scarcely populated underdeveloped country, wait, let's not exaggerate, it's only Georgie and Claudia's American dream palace, it's not Versailles, the Taj Mahal, or Walmart, in fact, it's probably only a little larger than some Central European fiefdoms or Central American banana republics, beside the Olympic swimming pool, Georgie reclines on a hammock in freshly laundered sweats and a matching headband, reading a letter to himself, on the front lawn, Claudia is giving a press conference interview to a whole core of rapt, adamant reporters, as far as my most intriguing quality, hum she ponders the question profoundly, pursing her pretty lips and furrowing her brow. I guess I'd have to say it is my unending ability to smile outwardly even if my heart is being broken, inscrutably, Georgie smiles, surveying the well-maintained grounds of his enormous estate, Georgie jogs along a tree-lined path with several servants scurrying along beside him trying to keep up, among them, a scantily clad Claudia trots along resplendent in bikini top and tight shorts, and I just wanted to say, Georgie, thank you, thank you for the bonsai tree and the bag of kisses. I don't know how I can ever thank you enough Georgie waves a limp-wristed hand, as if to say, it's nothing, and Claudia's panting, panting just to keep up, on the scarcely used tennis courts, 
Georgie swings his high-strung racket and volleys green tennis balls from a serving machine. Dozens of fluorescent green tennis balls bubble on the green pavement. On the other side of the net, Claudia stretches and practices her serve, waiting to be beaten again by Georgie's blazing game. And I enjoy the outdoors, too, especially when I'm challenged by a brisk, invigorating game of tennis. Claudia's voice echoes across the court. I think it would be a pleasant way to meet each other for the first time. Claudia Nesbitt is natural beauty, set against the plush, ornamental gardens and bosky tree-lined vistas of her and George's dream house. She is in green silk evening dress and George is in a white tail tux and black tie. They take a romantic stroll together, holding hands. They flash big smiles, prancing and dancing with playful, sexy energy. Before them glistens an enormous goldfish pond with white foamed fountains, tumbling waterfalls, and a wide pathway where the white shafted sunlight bleeds through the old white oak and black elm trees. Sweeping her off her feet, Georgie picks Claudia up and carries her away. Dashingly, he brings her to the goldfish pond and pretends to throw her in. Swept away, Claudia wraps her arms around his neck and smiles into his eyes. Oh, Georgie, she whispers, marry me. Georgie pulls an oversized jewelry case out of his white tuxedo pocket. He flashes a 50-carat diamond engagement ring before Claudia's dazed eyes. On his knees, he removes the brilliantly gleaming engagement ring and tries to put it on Claudia's faintly glowing and slim ring finger. No, dear, I insist. You go first, he says. Repeat after me. Through sickness and health. Through richer or poorer. For better or worse. Through whatever crap the whole world chucks at us. I love you, Claudia Nesbitt. Claudia's speechless with adoration. Well, I guess, I love you, too. Georgie gust, she falls into his arms, or whatever she says, they kiss, smoke break, it's Georgie and Claudia's honeymoon night, the blithering consummation of their sacred marriage, the blighted blush of their wild love affair, the perfect night of passion and betrayal to seal the pact of their connubial bliss, in the elegant master bedroom with a big white and red canopy bed, the white fluorescent lights are still on, Georgie gust and Claudia Nesbitt make passionate love together, softly, gently, and slowly, building to the torrid peak of their erotic lovemaking, the perfect pedicure, with his lips Georgie massages the slim, white arches of Claudia's feet, his inflamed tongue passes up her legs to her calves, to her thighs, then back down to her feet and toes, which shine with a perfect dark red polish, Claudia writhes and moans with unspeakable pleasure, oh, Georgie, 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 she finally gasps, I can't believe you've never given a girl a pedicure, you did such a beautiful job, a perfect job, how can I ever thank you beside himself with ecstasy, Georgie looks up shyly as Claudia slips off her gossamer chemise and push up bra, I'll tell you later, he answers dazedly, lights on or off the American dream couple gaze deeply into each other's eyes, with a single breath, a single heart, a single tongue, speaking together, they say, off, breaking down in hysterical laughter, they roll down to the bed together, blissfully laughing, forever after, on the white sand beach, Beneath the blue full moon, Georgie and Claudia's excruciatingly passionate lovemaking continues with a brisk skinny dipping ramp, and feverish roll among the beached blankets. At the San Clement Town Center and Shopping Emporium, the enormous black asphalt parking lot is empty except for one black jeep, parenthetical pet peeve, after waiting patiently for someone to back out of a parking space. Some moron comes around from the other side and zips into it before I can. The driver's side door of the jeep is open. Claudia and Georgie sway slowly to the wafting music, their perfect bodies sculpting and moulding together in romantic passion, smoke break, on the white sand beach, 
beneath a sultry white sun, Claudia and Georgie still in their elegant wedding attire, walk playfully along the windswept shore, they are waving digital cameras and flashing candid camera pictures back and forth at each other, they are laughing and happy, so much in love, on the old deserted fishing pier, Georgie and Claudia stroll leisurely along the boardwalk, wearing her black silk wedding dress, Claudia tosses silver coins into the splashing water, bemused, Georgie stands silently, admiringly, behind her, oh, Georgie Claudia gushes, you don't know, how I've dreamed, how I've waited for this, our honeymoon, oh, Georgie Porgie, I want us to stay this close together forever, let's not drift too far away, Georgie, please profoundly sensing Claudia's deepest desires, Georgie attempts to comfort and console her, to soothe the passionate heartache within her secret soul, tonight, he whispers huskily, is your night again, Claudia darling, Georgie takes her in his strong, flabby arms, whatever you wish for, Claudia dearest, whatever you dream for, I will do for you, your wish, your dream, is my command, it's exactly the kind of offer that always gets Georgie in trouble, well, now that you mention it, Georgie darling, Claudia says, since you offered, you know I really wanted to see that Tony Krishna play, at the Screaming Angel Theatre of the Absurd, but you said it was sold out it was sold out, Georgie deadpans, tongue in cheek, but for you, Claudio, Georgie, Claudia swoons, you're just so, so irresistible Georgie smirks, later that night at the Screaming Angel Theatre, Georgie and Claudia sit in their own invisible studio audience, watching themselves, it's as if they're alone in the theatre, in the center seats, the only spectators in their own private psychodrama, Georgie slips his arm around Claudia, she snuggles closer, you see, Claudia darling, Georgie whispers breathily in her ear, the whole play is sold out, I bought all the tickets they had, and they are all playing, just for us, oh Georgie, baby, Claudia whispers back, you're, perfect, she kisses him, but Georgie's too wrapped up in the spectacle on stage to respond, shhhh he hushes Claudia, it's starting, parenthetical pet peeve, high prices of refreshments at movie theaters, worse, having to go to the bathroom at the movies during an exciting part of the film, on the theater stage, the surrealist psychodrama has just begun, an old couple tramp on stage, two men, married, gay, they sit to eat an invisible meal with real forks, knives and spoons, and soon their son, Georgie, joins them, Uncle Ben, the son says, them people out there in the invisible studio audience probably think, just f on the way we're sitting here, but yeah both my daddies, I mean, Uncle Ben, yeah Georgie the first, and Uncle Eric, yeah Georgie the second, a something, a maybe, dad, you could be Georgie number two, all three Georgies laugh hysterically, walking off, Uncle Ben and Eric hold hands while the son watches, in the rollicking humor and action-packed excitement, Eric forgets his line, he stutters, ah, yeah for some inexplicable reason, Uncle Ben finds this hilarious, he can barely control his laughter, if y'all excuse me, he says, trying to hold back his snorts and hollers, I seem to have forgotten my lines, too, if y'all just lem grip from the script, all'll be fine, from the next scene on, our promise Georgie and Claudia are wide-eyed, stupefied, baffled, uncomprehending, the theater falls silent, strange, hollow sounds echo through the amphitheater, like whispers and screams heard in dreams, the two hear Eric's scuffling footsteps as he walks off stage. Eric snowballs into a hysterical laughing frenzy as he tries to re-enter the stage. He's laughing his ass off, really hard, until finally he collapses, writhing and wriggling on the invisible stage. It's totally gut-busting. Several minutes pass, 
the invisible studio audience squirms and twitches in their invisible seats. Still, Eric can't stop himself from laughing, and neither can the two spectators, Georgie Gust and Claudia Nesbitt. He's the funniest thing Claudia and Georgie have ever seen in their lives. He just keeps laughing and laughing. Now Uncle Ben and the kid get in on the hilarity, just like Claudia and Georgie. The whole invisible studio audience is cracking up. This guy's pathetically comedic. He just can't get enough of himself. Smoke break. The two self-satisfied spectators, Claudia and Georgie, leave the theater a few hours later still uproariously laughing. As they step outside the invisible theater doors, Claudia suddenly realizes something. Oh, my purse she shouts. Parenthetical pet peeve. My change purse opens itself, dumping change inside my handbag. But Georgie, our Georgie, the original Georgie, the real Georgie, Georgie 1, 2, 3, 4, is perfectly calm, unflustered, unruffled. Wait here, his stern manly voice commands. I'll be right back, with a skip and a jump. He darts back into the theater, obediently. The delectable, desirable Claudia waits patiently outside. As Georgie hastily makes his way back out of the theater, he holds up her purse, showing that it's safe, supremely serene, beautiful, beatified. Claudia smiles, but some fatal shadow of disaster makes Georgie cry out. Hey he shouts, watch out as they stand near the white shadowed street. A sinister black car comes crashing across the curb and hits Claudia from behind. There's a terrible scream, the blackbirds that were watching fly away. Three weeks later, Georgie is devastated by the unforeseeable tragedy but still trying to display a stoic courage. For Claudia's sake, he's visiting Claudia in San Clement Memorial Hospital, anxiously awaiting the white-suited doctor's post. Op prognosis, as he paces the waiting room floor, chain-smoking cigarettes and searching the white-veiled doctor's eyes for clues, he wonders, will a supremely desirable, delectable Claudia Nesbitt ever awaken from her sleepless coma to dissolve the watching? Weighing world with her eternal beauty once again? Finally the white-coated doctors deliver their verdict. Claudia Nesbitt is fully handicapped. She's awake, alive, and breathing, but almost completely paralyzed. Everything but her arms and her bust, from the neck up. Her once supple shapely torso and slim legs, including, tragically, her feet, fail to respond to her whispered commands. I'm so sorry, Georgie. Claudia sobs. No more pedicures, Georgie struggling not to break down completely, takes his delicate hands in his strong grip, it's it's, he whispers, quadriplegia, no, Georgie, one of the white-veiled doctors corrects him, quadriplegia means awful limbs, what Claudia has is only paraplegia, that is, two limbs, thank you, doc, Georgie sniffles, I had forgotten my latin suffixes, but before the white-coated doctor can elucidate latin prefixes, Claudia Nesbitt's bell-like sing-song voice breaks into their whispered conversation, you don't need to deal with this, she proclaims fighting back tears, Georgie, don't sacrifice your life for me, go ahead, Georgie, pretend I'm dead, marry Cleo, I'll be fine, overcome by emotion, Claudia smiles beneath her tears, sobbing himself, Georgie thinks furiously, she always said she could smile through anything, addressing Claudia again, Georgie swears his love, baby, I'll stay with you forever, he vows, I already told you that, Claudia, my love, Georgie and Claudia lock lips in a passionate but platonic kiss, smoke break, Georgie sobs in a highly arched cathedral, kneeling down in a front row pew with scintillating shafts of multicolored light falling on him from the stained glass windows, the black robed minister steps in to console him, offering a private communion, a prostrate Georgie accepts the proffered wafer on his extended tongue, 
In the flesh spots and dives of the big city, George is sorely tempted by strong drink and the lascivious women who come on to him, testing his devotion to the bedded and Claudia, giving into a brief moment of temptation, he steps up to the glittering bar and sees his slightly haggard, one face in the full-size mirror, the bartender is wiping the counter with a white towel, what'll it be, Mackie proposes, straight, no chaser, on the rocks a sexy, well-endowed brunette who is similar in superficial appearance to the sublime Claudia Nesbitt approaches Georgie at the bar, will you buy me a drink, too she rubs up against him, handsome, in a supreme act of strength and will, Georgie refuses both the strong drink and the lascivious woman with apparent ease and shyly eyes the door, looking for a way out, I gotta go, he mutters to the disappointed Eva, sorry, maybe next time, but we all know, now, don't we, there's never a next time, smoke break, after an incredibly long, agonizing year of painful therapy and massage treatment, Claudia Nesbitt recovers from her tragic accident enough to start performing her private tour elect and making brief forays outside the San Clement Memorial Hospital, so Georgie, encouraged and heartened by Claudia's progress, swears to resurrect her from her bedded and convalescence and finally release her from her captive hospital room, the white-coated doctors and physical therapists are skeptical, but Georgie and Claudia's love is strong, and eventually, we know, don't we, love overcomes all barriers, love heals all wounds, love conquers all, smoke break, Claudia, wobbling slightly but still standing on her own two feet, enters the physical therapy room of the San Clement Memorial Hospital convalescent ward using her miracle prosthetics, her devoted, obedient Georgie is watching ten years on the flickering TV, a discarded newspaper is scattered on the well-worn sofa beside him, quickly rising and throwing down his modern maturity, Georgie gets up from the couch, passionately, he kisses Claudia on the cheek, good morning, angel, he smiles, but he's surprised and stunned when Claudia playfully takes exception to her affectionate pet name, Princess, dummy she banters, I'm not an angel, yet, okay Georgie controls his temper, although he's still stinging from the rebuke, whatever you say, bet, he apologizes, contrite, but I didn't forget, today's your birthday, oh, Georgie, Claudia gushes, you remembered I'm taking you out on the boat today, he continues, then we'll check out your new prosthetics, and tonight I'll make passionate love with my wife, yes, you, Claudia, I'm offering 1000 kisses as a birthday gift, you just have to tell me where you'd like them, despite her prosthesis and paraplegia, Claudia still smiles, infinitely seductive, yet innocently sweet, smoke break, alone on the open sea, Georgie pilots the sleek streamlined speedboat at full roar, the white, firmed way crashing and plunging behind the propellers, alone, he's lost in thought, he's a man on a mission screaming over the deep-throated engine's dull roar, his splattering tears mixing with the splashes of seawater from the bay, the windshield wipers thrash the falling droplets, when he pulls up to the dock, however, Georgie's face is calm and smooth, with perfect solicitude and supreme devotion, Georgie helps the handicapped Claudia down into the hold, his divine love is evident in every gesture and move he makes, the prosthetic Claudia is self-assured, confident, and ready to seize the day and make the world her oyster once again, Georgie, honey, she says, I want to go out on that boogie ball thinge, Georgie's proud of her recovery as the proof of his love and their strength, and is pleased to see the fully recovered Claudia taking on the challenges of their future life together, whatever you say, bet, he beams, this is your day, baby, I'm just here to give you everything you want, my angel, sardonically, Claudia laughs, you forgot again, dummy she scolds, I'm your princess, remember, I like it so much better when you call me princess Georgie smiles, they stop, 
frozen in passion, Georgie and Claudia kiss, but then she breaks away, laughing, come on she shoves him playfully, it's my birthday, that's boogie board, he laughingly agrees and ties off the board, gingerly helping her down the ladder to the water, then he runs to the wheel of the sleek, streamlined speedboat and looks back at her over his shoulder, basking in Georgie's gaze, Claudia's excited, almost childlike, in a shrill voice, she calls out, okay, I'm ready, let's go casting a wistful look over his shoulder, Georgie calls back, you ready back there, I'll go slow, full speed ahead, Captain Claudia cries, he slowly accelerates, checking behind him with each increase in speed, as the sleek, streamlined speedboat reaches full steam, Claudia gives Georgie a big thumbs up, faster, faster she shouts, I want to feel the sea wind in my hair still, Georgie is careful, maybe overly cautious, not yet, he cries, wait until we're further out, the white capped inlet between the bay and the sea stretches before them, the sleek, streamlined speedboat, with Claudia trailing behind, reaches the open sea, Claudia clings tightly to the boogie board, her numb legs dragging along behind her, Captain Georgie steers the booking and plunging speedboat through the white capped inlet, behind him, completely inaudible above the roar of the high speed motor and the crashing waves, Claudia cries out, I just love this summer weather the white blonde haired mermaid Claudia, all smiles, cries out again, still unheard above the screaming outboard motor noise and wave roar, you know I just love to swim, on the plunging and bucking buggy board, Claudia slowly loses her grip, slowly, silently, she slides off the slippery board, sinking down into the chill, fathomless waters, above the thundering waves and the roaring motors, Georgie can't hear her shrill girlish voice crying out her last words, I love to stay in shape, I believe in fate on the high arched poop deck, Captain Georgie still steers the boat dead ahead, oblivious to the tragedy and disaster in his wake, the throaty roar of the magnificent twin outboard engines fills his mind with power and speed, Claudia struggles to take a few teeth clenching gasps above the surging seawater, she futilely tries to grab onto the board, but it slowly slips away, she gasps feebly and then goes down for the third time, I'd have to say it's my unending ability to smile, she thinks, with wild sea spray in his eyes, Captain Georgie casts a last look back behind the boat, he sees the plunging boogie board bouncing upside down in the white capped wake, thank you, Georgie boo boo, for the bonsai tree and the bag of chocolate kisses, he remembers her voice, silently, with a wide open mouth and bulging eyeballs, Georgie screams a silent scream of agony and despair, Captain Georgie yanks the keys out of the ignition, he checks for life preservers, life jackets, and then freezes as a slowly dawning realization strikes him, shite, he curses, I don't even know how to swim, oh, Claudia, oh, Claudia, oh Claudia, don't do this to me, Claudia, not now, not forever, how can I go on living with myself knowing I'd have to say, it's my unending ability to smile, she thinks, breathing seawater, a pleasant way to meet each other for the first time, smoke break, on the white capped beach, the bereaved Georgie takes a long, self-torturing walk, every step he takes in the slippery wet sand is staggering, agonizing, smoke break, on the bucking and plunging speedboat, Captain Georgie rides hard into the stormy night, he's trying to get over the tragic death of his ex-wife, he's moving on the best he can, smoke break, at Georgie just enterprises, the guys faces are all downcast, drooping, glum, balefully glaring around the morose staff room, Georgie suspiciously stares them down, there's a long uncomfortable silence, finally, Georgie speaks, well, come on guys, get out there and trade he hollers, intercoastals at 24.50, 
Why don't you dump half at a quarter? There's an answering silence from the guys. Georgie has to bluster and bluff to break their sluggish spell. Snap out of it, guys, he shouts. Now get out there and hit the floor slightly embarrassed. Ismail Marks approaches Georgie. Georgie, he asks sympathetically, shyly, are you alright staring Marks down? Georgie smiles a frozen white toothed smile. See this smile, Marks Georgie boasts. It's a skill I've learned. It gets me through times when the going gets tough. I just smile in the face of tragedy and disaster and the whole world has to smile with me, whether it wants to or not. With these inspirational words, Georgie claps Ismail on the back. Listen, Marks, he says, things are fine. Now, we've got to get the energy reports finished by the end of the day, so let's get on with it. Ismail Marks reluctantly shuffles out of Georgie's enormous office, sneaking a glance back for one last look. On the big wooden office desk there's a gold-framed wedding photo of Georgie Gust and Claudia Nesbitt, both happy as all hell. Dear diary, I realize I can, yes, I can experience peace of mind, a sense of purpose and meaning with mental illness or not. Writing out the transgression does help, enormously part 10, down and out with Georgie Gust it's an old, dingy, broken down luncheonette on some big city downtown street. White fluorescent lights beat down on the chip for mica countertops and the swiveling lunch counter stools. Through the big picture window, we see the half dozen regular customers and a few walk-ins slouched and hunched over half-eaten plates and steamy coffee cups. A waitress in a white and red dress and beehive hairdo stands waiting, taking orders. A young man clumsily bundled up in a green duffel coat, slacks, and utility boots walks past the luncheonette entrance, smoking a pipe. He stops thinks about going in, and then shrugs and turns away. An old beat-up domestic car drives past the young man and toots the horn jauntily. Someone inside waves. The young man waves back. He doesn't even notice the scruffy, dirty old bum who elbows past him and makes for the luncheonette door. Georgie's now a disheveled old homeless man wearing an unbuttoned, olive green, Vietnam veteran's jacket and Salvation Army shoes. He's filthy and disgusting but he still has a confident self-assured step. Without hesitating, Georgie opens the entrance door to the luncheonette. Two middle-aged women shoot dirty looks at Georgie as they brush past him on their way out. Georgie walks in without noticing them and slouches over to the counter, watching a couple in the corner with the shadows of his eyes. The man is in his early twenties. He's slick, handsome, athletic, and bored. He's wearing a college sweatshirt. The girl is slightly older, but still pretty. She's coed cute, but still insecure. A couple of large shopping bags sit next to her on the plath seat. Travis, I'm talking to you Ashley grimly purses her lips. Wake up. What the hell's wrong with you? But Travis scarcely notices. Huh? Nothing. He slurs. Nothing's the matter with me. Are you coming with me to Julie's party? Ashley looks worried. It's tonight. Travis shrugs. Ashley. Travis starts to say you. No but. Ashley cuts him off. Who's more important? She demands pettishly. Me or your friends? We were invited to Julie's party two weeks ago but, Ashley, Travis starts to say again, I promised, but again Ashley cuts him off, you promised me she shrilly pouts, bored, Georgie turns his head to the man sitting next to him at the counter, Mr. Wilton, Georgie knows that Mr. Wilton is Mr. Wilton because he's one of the regulars, dressed in a 1950s style grey flannel three-piece suit, Mr. Wilton reads the Wall Street Journal over lunch every day, after scanning the stock prices, he stuffs the paper in his brown leather briefcase that sits on the booster seat next to him, and lifts up a packet of official-looking papers. Mr. Wilton mumbles some garbled pseudo-cursing. He gets tense when Georgie turns his face to him, 
like George is butting into something he is going with the waitress or something, the whole rest of the counter is empty, although she's a completely different person, it's obvious that the waitress is Claudia, she pours Georgie a steaming cup of black coffee, unlike the 30ish new age Claudia or the older francophone Claudia, this Claudia is slightly plain looking, plain speaking, monotonous, dull, and distinctly unoriginal, she's a waitress in a greasy spoon cafe, what did you expect, Bridget Bardo, how are we doing, how Claudia asks, cold enough for you what do you want me to do, predict the weather Georgie snaps back, although he's not really being unfriendly, he's just a bit surly all the time now, on account of something, I can't do anything about it that's right, Claudia agrees, placating him, you can't, everybody talks about the weather, Georgie complains, he leaves the sentence dangling, after Georgie's outburst, Mr. Wilton slides over one seat to avoid any more contact with the bum, he knocks over his coffee cup in the process, damn it Mr. Wilton curses, spill the damn coffee Claudia comes over with a not too clean looking rag, she wipes up the mess, Mr. Wilton, you ought to be more careful, Claudia scrolls gently, damn it Mr. Wilton curses, it's all over my mortgage papers, I'll get you a fresh cup, Claudia soothes his wrath, it's no big deal, she fills a fresh new cup of coffee for Mr. Wilton, she's the matchmaker, the peacemaker, the go-betweener, she's the woman-in-waiting who greets men at the door and serves their manly needs and sends them back into the cold, cruel world again, a little warmer and a little less peeved, usually, while Claudia clucks in sympathy and pours another cup of coffee, the big glass door swings open and two young kids enter, Georgie slowly turns his head to examine them, well groomed and dressed conservatively, but still looking slightly depressed, the two mope their way inside, one of them walks with an old-fashioned black cane, Georgie knows them, too, the one with the cane is Adam and the other is John, the two pause at the first booth, but decide to sit next to Georgie at the lunch counter, Claudia notices they are looking sort of down and beat, hey, boys, she greets them, aren't you going to sit at your regular table it's just not the same, John tries to smile, since I know, it seems like only yesterday, Claudia commiserates, I remember Adam chokes back tears, he stands up, I'll be right back, he says to John, not looking at anyone, Adam limps to the back of the diner toward the restrooms, without missing a beat, Claudia switches her services to John, there's fresh coffee today, she says, it's nice and hot, the white and red smiling waitress turns to pour the boys some coffee, Georgie slides over a seat to sit next to Mr. Wilton again, rough day huh, but he whispers, Mr. Wilton is taken aback, excuse me he says, were you talking to me, why don't you mind your own business, Mac, and I'll take care of mine, don't knock yourself out, buddy, Georgie snorts, ever hear the phrase don't work too hard if you keep on worrying like that, you'll never get anything done, Mr. Wilton becomes ruffled and defensive, he seems to grow a little in his jacket, hey, I work like this all the time he snorts, 12 hours a day, 6 days a week, and in a year, that's like, let's see 12 times 6 times 54, that's, parenthetical pet peeve, when 8 hours at work pass by much slower than 8 hours at home, Mr. Wilton looks to Claudia for validation in his calculations, but all he gets is a smirk and a blank stare, what is this, Grand Central Station he objects, can't a guy even get a simple cup of coffee here without some low life, some deadbeat, some some stumble bum getting in my face Mr. Wilton pokes Georgie with his pointed finger, hey, butteroo, Georgie protests, you'd better think twice before you put me down, look, see there, right there in your hand, three fingers pointed back at yourself, see Mr. Wilton checks his distemper and decides to loosen up a bit, 
Ah, so, what is this now he jokes? Fortune cookies for breakfast yup. Georgie grins. The kitchen was empty, except for a smart cookies. Warming up to Georgie's friendliness, Mr. Wilton transforms apoplexy to apology. Sorry, but, he says, I didn't mean to snap at you. It's just, business hasn't been so great lately. Georgie shrugs. Don't sweat it, he says. I don't worry about it. Georgie changes the subject. So what line of work are you in he asks jovially. Mr. Wilton grimaces. I'm working hard or hardly working, Mr. Wilton bluffs. That's what all the girls used to ask me before I got married. He slaps Georgie on the back. But hell, after I was married it was different. The women, they had to know what size my bank roll was, because I run the biggest bank in town. Mr. Wilton guffaws and chokes on his own joke. Georgie slaps him on the back until he stops coughing. Then Georgie picks up Mr. Wilton's BMW key chain and twirls it around his finger. Well, he starts to say, you don't seem to be doing too bar. But Mr. Wilson cuts him off. Yeah, you could say I'm doing alright. Okay he snorts again. As good as anyone else these days, Georgie laughs inappropriately. Okay, Mr. W here's another fortune cookie for you. You should work to live, not live to work. You know yeah, you know. I always say you have to stop and smell the roses, Mr. W blusters. I mean, what's the point of planting roses if you never take the time to smell them? Georgie beams inscrutably. Simple, huh? But sweet, he says. Just like a fortune cookie and your tea leaves, Mr. Wilton takes a serious turn. It's like they say, son, it's all about reaping the fruits of your labor, or they used to say that, anyway. But when do I get my fruits, huh? Tell me that. Before Georgie can snap back another sweet little fortune cookie of immortal wisdom, Mr. Wilton's huge cell phone rings. Excuse me, he nods apologetically. I gotta take this phone call, without getting up. Mr. Wilton takes the call. Can he? I won't be coming in, Mr. Wilton says. No, not today. Why don't you reschedule? Just reschedule everything. No, not tomorrow, either. I'll tell you what. How about I call you? Don't call me. Mr. Wilton shuts down the phone. Georgie beams approval. See, Mr. Wilton Georgie says, don't you feel so much better now Mr. Wilton smiles, you know, mister, what's your name he says, you really made my day, Georgie smiles satisfaction, don't mention it, he says, and I really do sound like a fortune cookie, how finally, Adam returns to the counter, you okay John asks, you all right now, but Adam shrugs, I'm still alive, he says, I guess, John pokes and prods him playfully, hey, come on, Man he rips Adam, enjoy your java, get an edge, but Adam stays distinctly surly, I'm already stoned, he says, I've got my edge, go get your own, buddy boy, meanwhile, Ashley is still probing for Travis reactions, it's like trying to find the pulse in a prune Danish, what's your problem, Travis Ashley pleads, why are you like this what are you talking about, like what Travis sneers, hey, I woke up and went shopping with you, didn't I, what more do you want, Parenthetical pet peeve, hot dogs, 10 to a pack, buns, 8 to a pack, what more do I want, what more do I want Ashley rants, you know them well what I want, I'm sick of your stupid jokes and your silly attitude, you always act like I'm, just, so not important to you Travis sits up to make a big speech, listen, he starts to say, but before he can continue, Travis forgets whatever he was going to say, whatever, Ashley he concludes. Since Claudia's behind the counter picking up dirty dishes, it's up to Georgie to be Mr. Hospitality. So he tugs on John's slumped shoulder. Sorry for interrupting, but he smiles knowingly. Lousy moods seem to be contagious today. I'm getting yours. 
Do you mind if I but am glad to be distracted? Adam and John give Georgie their undivided attention. Where's Josh? Georgie asks. If you don't mind my asking, Josh is dead, man. Adam deadpans. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that, bro. Georgie says, sympathetically. But hey, you know, I know the feeling. Hey, man. John says, you weren't even there, and you're not dead. Adam follows up. So just buzz off. But Georgie's not bugged, and he doesn't buzz. You think I haven't been there? He shoots back. You think I haven't done that? John and Adam stared up into Georgie's red eyes. But still, Georgie's not bugged. It's just, guys, I've seen too many kids go down too soon. He sighs. I cope by remembering the good times. You guys really had some great times together. Don't throw away the good times. Don't let those memories die, either. Adam and John stare at Georgie with obvious hostility. Hey, man. He was our best friend, man John says, of course we had good times with him, that's just what I mean Georgie cheers, keep those alive, keep the good times alive abruptly, Adam breaks down, distraught, oh, I, God, he confesses, it really was all my fault, the car skidded, there was black ice on the street, I couldn't stop, don't take it out on yourself, man, don't blame yourself Georgie blurts, how can it be your fault, shite happens. And shite like that happens to everyone, everyone, so just think about it, as Georgie, John, and Adam try to work out their deep grief and mourning for their beloved lost friend, Travis and Ashley are working up to a serious domestic episode, Ashley's stifled frustration and silent rage intensify, she points her well-manicured finger at the sulking Travis, still angry as all hell at his neglect and indifference, what do you mean, whatever, Travis she rants on, don't give me that self-pitying garbage. For two years, I've been dealing with your selfishness and I'm sick and tired of it. You hear me? I'm sick and tired of it but Travis, of course, is still indifferent. Ashley, he sighs half-heartedly just, relax. You're making a scene, you know making a scene. Making a scene Ashley shouts. I'll make a scene for you. Just you try to stop me she jumps to her feet, blown up twice life size with rage, and glares down at the incredible shrinking Travis. You know, Travis, she says with withering scorn. You're the most self-centered and shallow person I've ever known without flinching. Travis rests his arms on the back of the slick plastic booth. What about your old boyfriend Travis smirks? What's his name finally Ashley cracks? That's it. That's it she shouts. I've had it. We're finished like, whatever, babe. Travis shrugs. Enraged, Ashley dumps her plate into Travis' lap. He ducks his chicken and gravy spatter across his jeans and onto the vinyl of the seat and the hard tile floor. Ashley grabs her full shopping bags and storms toward the big glass door, but she trips on the floor mat and nearly falls before making her exit. Always the good Samaritan, Georgie Mr. Hospitality, Gus reaches for some napkins on the counter and gallops over to Travis, helping him clean up the mess in his lap. Thanks, dude, Travis says, that chick is, like, crazy man, Georgie takes a seat beside Travis, you really don't give a damn about her, do you Travis smirks, sarcastically. What a brilliant observation, he says, Georgie nods, hey, when I was your age I didn't care about a thing, and I had everything going for me, and now look at me, I'm down and out, I'm a deadbeat, a bum Travis sneers, so now you're going to tell me how looking back, you had this flashback or something and you saw, like, how you should have done things different, huh, not exactly, Georgie stays calm, he's a shining beacon and quiet center of wisdom and wit amidst the chaos and confusion of a luncheonette. Travis scoffs, I got drafted, Georgie begins, Travis begins to take interest, you mean you were sent to Vietnam or something Georgie continues speaking in his calm, 
passionless voice. Two weeks later, I was getting my head shaved, grabbing my ankles, bearing my butt, and hauling a brand new rifle around. Suddenly, I had to care. I had no choice. Travis perks up. Yeah he says, I left my girl, my hometown, everything. I was stuck out in the jungle, and 10,000 little guys in black pajamas were trying to kill me. It was crazy. I had to start all over again from scratch when I got back home. It was tough putting the pieces back together. Georgie pauses, weighing for his harsh life lessons to sink in. Travis is silent, absorbing the message. Georgie continues, we've all been through a lot. There's a lot of shite coming down and when it hits the fan, you have to do whatever you can to get by. You know, we need to get through it, whatever way we can. I want to learn to live through everything I can take, everything I can handle, just so I know I can take it. Hopefully, I'll even enjoy it, too. Georgie's used up his whole stock of platitudes and aphorisms from the collected wisdom and wit of Georgie Gust, yet, he goes on. So, Georgie looks Travis in the eye, what gets you up in the morning, guy Travis sticks out his hand, my name's Travis, he says, I don't know, exactly, how about you well, if you haven't figured it out yet, Georgie recommends, don't sweat it, Georgie relaxes again, you're still young, Travis, Georgie smiles, you probably hear that all the time, right? Don't you? That your young Travis smiles back like he knows exactly where Georgie is going with this. Um hum he hums, nodding excitedly. So, are you going to try and tell me you never felt anything for Ashley? Not ever? What about in the beginning, when you guys first met Travis yawns? Shite. You know, I was just so intimidated by her. She's older and smarter. I felt stupid, clumsy, like a kid. I couldn't, I couldn't. I don't know the word, deliver. Georgie finishes for him. Travis abruptly gets up out of his seat and slides a tin under the water glass. Hey man, I gotta go, he says. Nice meeting you though, Georgie butts in before the young man can bolt out the door. Like I said, he says, you're still young, bud, don't make the mistakes I made, don't throw your life away. Go call her, tell her you're sorry, tell her exactly how you honestly feel, and see what happens. You really can't lose, it's a win-win situation, you'll just be doing the right thing, yeah thanks, man. Travis is obviously smitten with gratitude, but I really got to go, Travis sticks out his hand again, Georgie clasps his palm in the death grip of the brotherhood of flawed men and slaps Travis on the back, don't mention it, Georgie says, if you ever need anything right on, thanks, Travis says, but I didn't quite catch, Georgie cuts him off, it's Joe, he says, right on, Travis repeats, Georgie and Travis do another brotherhood handshake, Travis can't quite break Georgie's strong grip, Finally, Travis slaps Georgie on the back and breaks free, catch ya later, bro, he says, and heads out of the cafe, watching Travis leave Georgie shakes his head and mutters to himself, stupid kid, you know I was like that, too, once, with Travis out of his sight, Georgie approaches Claudia at the cash register, parenthetical pet peeve, store clerks who ignore kids waiting in line to wait on adults who came in later than the kids, Claudia peers shyly at Georgie, she won't meet his eyes, so, she says, you fixed that, ha hey, babe, Georgie says, I'm finished with that coffee now, Georgie slaps a five dollar bill on the white formica countertop, could I ask you a favor he continues, Claudia smiles, depends on what it is, she says, name it, next time, Georgie wisecracks, I'd like it black as hell, Georgie smiles at Mr. Wilton, who has moved on to this month's copy of Sports Illustrated. He has his smiling face stuck in a chocolate ice cream sundae topped with a fudge brownie and whipped cream, lost in a brave new world that was once much sadder and darker. 
strong as life, Georgie emphasizes, on the other side of the lunch counter, Adam and John are holding their guts, laughing as ice cream drips down their knuckles from the cones they grip tightly in their hands, strong as death, Georgie repeats, just then, Travis walks back into the luncheonette, he's clutching two quarters in his sweaty palm and trying to remember an important phone number, do you have a payphone he asks Claudia, Claudia tosses her frizzy red hair toward the back room, in the back, she says, by the restrooms, Georgie smiles again, sweet as love, he whispers seductively, Claudia gives him a sidelong look with her bright green eyes, hum, she says, just like a cup of joe, Georgie sets down his mug and abruptly the whole scene changes, smoke break, once again, Georgie is dressed in smart and professional business attire, he walks up the crowded street with a brown paper bag in his hands, the brown paper bag is just big enough to hold a small revolver, he stops in front of Dave's gun shop, which squats beneath the bright glow of a revolver in Neon, absentmindedly, Georgie drops a set of keys and a bottle of Prozac on the white concrete sidewalk, they bounce slightly and then rest against the toe of his right shoe, from somewhere, a single electric guitar note resonates, Georgie bends over and picks up the keys and the bottle, he opens the Prozac bottle, removes two pills, and swallows them down, he puts the keys back in his pocket, Georgie walks on, still absent-minded, the whole scene changes, smoke break, Georgie is riding the bus, he's sitting in an aisle seat, sitting beside him is another Claudia, a completely new Claudia, this woman is sympathetic, maternal, and middle-aged, wearing inexpensive Walmart variety clothing, out of nowhere, Georgie starts talking, do you like buses he asks, I mean, city buses, like this Claudia of the Walmart wardrobe smiles sympathetically at Georgie, but says nothing, encouraged, despite her silence, to carry on his one-way conversation, Georgie continues, I like buses, I like their smell, all those diesel fumes, they really get my heart pumping, Georgie pauses in his monologue, then he strikes out in a completely different direction, not that I need to ride a bus, Georgie sniffs, not with my money, Walmart Claudia smiles disbelievingly, condescendingly, at him, uh-huh, sure, you have money, she thinks, Georgie notices Claudia rolling her eyes and blusters back, really, I'm worth millions, 25 million, in fact, Georgie pauses again, but it's in trust, you know about trusts the Walmart Claudia stares out the window, imagining that the conversation will end if she stops paying attention to it, but Georgie goes on anyway, I didn't think so, he smugly remarks, most poor people don't, Georgie glances across the aisle at another woman, this woman is a stunning blonde in her early twenties, but she's not Claudia, she's not even close to Claudia, floundering slightly in his own verbiage, Georgie tries to bring the conversation back to the original subject, parenthetical pet peeve, confused shoppers who block store aisles while they make up their minds, but I was talking about buses, he addresses the Walmart Claudia, wasn't I the Claudia of the Walmart wardrobe glances back at him, friendly again, talking about buses is something she's suddenly happy to do, even if Georgie does all the talking, the thing is, Georgie says, I really like buses, I really do, buses make me feel like I live in a big city you mean, the Walmart Claudia speaks for the first time, you don't live here I mean a real city, Georgie emphasizes, you know, with skyscrapers and subways and garbage in the street, Claudia looks confused, but Georgie plunges on, you know, like New York, Georgie is displaying his sophistication, or London, or Brussels, even, Claudia tries desperately to keep up, I didn't know Brussels even had garbage, Georgie smirks, every city has garbage, he says, especially big cities, 
Yes, Claudia admits, I guess that's true, distracted, Georgie glances away from Claudia to see the sleek stylish blonde across the aisle, he stares intently at her until finally she feels his stare, she glares back at him and angrily clutches her purse to her chest, Georgie chuckles, she thinks I want her money, Georgie laughs, me, Mr. Georgie baby Georgie shakes his head, stupidity like that, he shrugs, I used to get so mad, the Walmart Claudia stands up and clutches the hand grips, but not anymore, Georgie adds, somewhat pleadingly, sorry, Mr. Claudia apologizes, this is my stop, Georgie stares uncomprehendingly, he keeps talking to himself, I really don't get mad about anything anymore, Georgie tries to convince himself, or hardly anything, anyway, um, Mr. Claudia is becoming peevish, I need to get off, still Georgie stares at her blankly, could you let me out, Mr. She almost begs, she's pushing against Georgie's shoulders and knees as he continues his self-obsessed soliloquy, you see she says, there it is, Walmart, that's my stop, the great shrine of middle American democracy beacons through the smog and debris of its vast black asphalt parking lot, as other passengers stand up in the aisles, getting ready to disembark, the Claudia of the Walmarts is becoming increasingly desperate, almost ready to break down in a flurry of confusion of cheap hairspray and sticky deodorant, shedding blood, sweat, and tears, after a slight pause she says pleadingly, please Georgie stands up and lets her into the aisle, she hurries up the bus and disembarks at the crowded bus stop beneath the enormous sign, Georgie sits back down again, he's left alone for several seconds mumbling to himself, they used to call me a madman, Georgie grumbles, a madman, I'm not a madman, and the young blonde woman across the aisle glances around the crowded bus as other Walmart passengers get on, looking for an empty seat far away from the crazy, mumbling man, a Natalie dressed older gentleman carrying a newspaper approaches Georgie, he looks questioningly at the seat next to Georgie, is that seat taken here asks, I'm not a madman, Georgie repeats, really, I'm not, I really don't give a damn what you are, mister, the older man says, I just want the seat, grudgingly, Georgie stands up and gives the older man the window seat, I'm not mad, Georgie keeps mumbling, really, good, the older man says, I'm glad for you, mister, he opens his newspaper and begins to read, madman, Georgie goes on, it's an outdated term, anyway, the older man tries to ignore him, the same with lunatic, Georgie adds, it's completely out of date, the Natalie dressed older man continues to ignore Georgie, the stylish blonde woman glances even more nervously at him, we prefer mentally ill, Georgie informs them both, or maybe schizophrenic, Georgie pauses, or how about, here's, nuts, the Natalie dressed older man nods at his newspaper, trying to convince Georgie he's not even listening to this one way conversation, Georgie chuckles, people used to be really mean to me, he says, but not anymore, the Natalie dressed older man sighs and gets to his feet, oh, is this your stop Georgie asks, the older man doesn't answer, he just pushes past Georgie, Georgie slides over to the window seat, now people are kind to me, Georgie's talking to the window, which doesn't respond, like my nephew, for example, he's only seven and already he understands bra sizes, parenthetical pet peeve, bra straps that bop, a fat lady with a plethora of bulky packages sits down next to Georgie, I didn't understand bra sizes until I was married, Georgie explains to the fat lady, and then my wife explained to me what it meant to be a 36C, you mind scooting over a bit, buddy the fat lady asks, I'm kind of crowded here, Georgie looks at her for a long, long time, finally, he says, that's because you're kind of fat, and you're kind of rude, the fat lady snaps back, 
So move the fuck over and shut up. Georgie slides over until he's taking up only half a seat. I used to think I was invisible, Georgie confides, but now but the fat lady cuts Georgie off. You always talk to yourself, she blurts. Georgie's unperturbed, only when no one else will listen, he says. The fat lady shakes her head in disapproval. You see, he confesses, I see a shrink. He's a bona fide, certified member of the American Psychiatric Association. The fat lady shrugs. So what you see, lady? People who see a shrink, Georgie explains, they are allowed to talk to themselves, not in public, the lady strongly objects, it's annoying is what it is, I beg your pardon, Georgie says, but you're annoying too, the fat lady rolls her eyes, you're just lucky I don't get mad at people anymore, Georgie adds, because if I still got mad at people, boy, oh boy, would you ever be in trouble, but the fat lady stares him down and Georgie slowly shrinks away to nothing. He doesn't say a word until he gets off at the office of his clinical psychiatrist. At the psycho's office, the older heavy-set psychiatrist, Dr. Sheeskopf, sits trying to listen with open ears to Georgie's diatribes and rants. As usual, Georgie completely fails to make eye contact with the doctor. He has no facial expression, no emotional affect, and a completely flat voice, yet he speaks very distinctly and brightly, almost autistically. There is a long silence as Georgie runs out of steam. When Georgie doesn't start talking again, the psychiatrist tries to break the ice. So you took the bus today, huh? Georgie here asks. He's feigning interest, trying to get Georgie to talk. How was that? Georgie Georgie stares blankly without responding. Am I right? The psychiatrist goes on. That's what you said, isn't it? You took the bus. Georgie shrugs, his face expressionless, his eyes empty. If I said so, then yes. He answers. It must be true. You must be right. Trying to pick up on Georgie's response, the psychiatrist keeps prodding and probing. You rode the bus then, he observes, and how did it go but Georgie still looks blank. The bus ride, I mean, the psychiatrist has, how did it go Georgie shrugs again still blank and empty, expressionless, it went alright I guess, he admits, I'm here now, and I guess, you are, Georgie, the psychiatrist prompts, are you glad to be here again, Georgie shrugs, just as well here as anywhere else he says, and if I weren't here, I'd be somewhere else, wouldn't I the psychiatrist has to submit to Georgie's unimpeachable logic, yes, that's right, Georgie, you would, he says, but what I wanted to know was if anything unusual happened along the way, Georgie furrows his brow and purses his lips before indifferently answering, number, I can't say that anything unusual happened, he finally admits, what usually happens on the bus, I get on the bus, I get off the bus, Georgie pauses, I talk to some people, he says, the psychiatrist thinks, now, we're getting somewhere, maybe, you talk to some people, Georgie repeats, that's unusual, isn't it Georgie shrugs again, I don't know, I guess so, he confesses, I told them that I like buses even though I don't really have to ride them, and even though I have a trust and I could buy a bus if I wanted, I told them all that, Georgie's flat emotionless voice trails off, the psychiatrist pushes his lead, so you talked to people, he says, and how did people respond to that thinking of the blonde woman and the fat woman, Georgie starts to become slightly animated, almost interested, for some reason, he's already forgotten about Claudia with the Walmart wardrobe, there was this one woman, he says, she thought I wanted to steal her money so she tried to protect herself like this with a certain genius for imitation, Georgie mimics the pretty blonde woman clutching her purse to her chest, she was funny, Georgie says without laughing, I laughed at her, after a brief pause Georgie tells about the fat woman, too, 
and there was this big fat lady who sat next to me, she told me to move over, he mimics her settling herself in the seat and making him move over, like I was crowding her, like I was taking up two seats, she was real funny, too, still, the psychiatrist doesn't say anything, he's trying to silently prompt Georgie to talk, which Georgie finally does, I told her it was a good thing I don't get mad at people anymore, he says, with a slight hint of anger, boy, oh boy, he says, that's what I said, boy, oh boy, after getting what he was after, the psychiatrist finally breaks his silence, were you mad at her, Georgie he prompts, did you threaten her but Georgie shrugs off the psychiatrist's question and continues his monologue, I went to Wakefield, I told her, he says, Harvard, too, after my NYU undergrad, she said she didn't care, I said, maybe she should care, huh, people are so stupid Georgie abruptly stops talking and leaves the phrase dangling, the psychiatrist keeps silent again waiting for Georgie to talk, Georgie finally does, and you know what else I told her he says, you know what else, doc number, what, Georgie the psychiatrist raises an eyebrow, what did you tell her I told her that the more I learned, the more I became conscious of the ridiculousness of human nature, that's what I told her, the ridiculousness of human nature and the sheer absurdity of it all, the psychiatrist is obviously disappointed, he's set a trap but Georgie somehow didn't step in it, so you didn't threaten her, Georgie he prompts, you didn't try to scare her, or make her afraid of you already bored, Georgie looks at his wristwatch, what time you got, Doc he asks is this almost over the psychiatrist relaxes, convinced he won't get anything incriminating out of Georgie this time, oh, well, better luck next time huh, Doc, it's over whenever you like Georgie, he says calmly, you're the boss here, remember there's a long pause, the big white wall clock above the couch ticks on, finally Georgie offers another off the wall observation, it just seems like, I told her, all my years at Wakefield, and all my years at Harvard, existed for the simple purpose of proving to me that I was an utterly absurd person, no different from any other absurd person, no different from her or anybody else, because we're all absurd people, see the old overweight psychiatrist looks at the white-faced, expressionless world clock, oh god, he thinks, now he's turning into a philosopher on me, huh, but still he plays along, and how do you feel about that, Georgie here asks, does that make you feel sad, depressed, anxious Georgie laughs sardonically without amusement, I think you know how I feel about that, doctor, he answers, it doesn't make me feel depressed or suicidal, or anything, but sometimes I wonder, is that all there is, you know the older heavyset psychiatrist feigns interest, but he's really thinking of something else, or thousand other things, just waiting for Georgie to talk himself out, of course, eventually he does, you know, doc, Georgie goes on, I've never been much of what you might call a joiner, I'm more of a loner, doctor, and the idea that I may be no different than anybody else, no less absurd than anybody else, well, it tickles me, it makes me Georgie lets the thought go unfinished, he gets slowly to his feet, let's just say, he says, it's been a bitter pill to swallow, I like that, though, it's been the bitterest of pills, not like those meds you give me, doc, Georgie puts on his coat, bundles up, and stuffs some leftover bags into his pocket, it makes me laugh, doc, he says, it makes me feel clear and calm, and empty, and I like that, and I also like the fact, Georgie goes on, that I no longer feel angry, I get mad sometimes, sure, like I did with a fat lady on the bus today, but when I think how stupid and absurd, and comical everything is, I just laugh and I'm okay again still, the older psychiatrist can't resist taking a few jabs at Georgie's exposed psyche, 
just to see what kind of reactions he'll get, and you don't have trouble with your neighbors anymore he asks, like you did before but Georgie is gone, empty and blank again, neighbors he asks, what neighbors you know, the psychiatrist's prompts, the ones who fight still Georgie stays expressionless, his slightly overweight face a smiling, leering, tragicomic mask, the ones who keep you up at night the older psychiatrist goes on, who you hear slapping and beating each other through the wall still, Georgie says nothing, you're no longer having trouble with them indifferently, Georgie shakes his head slowly, the bored psychiatrist finally gives up, good, he says, next week then, same time, same place yes, Georgie repeats, same time, same place, Georgie is already gone, as he opens the door he stops, and then turns back, or better yet, he says, I'll call, I'll call to confirm, how that the psychiatrist has already dismissed his patient, that'll be fine, Georgie, he says, you just call and let me know, as Georgie shuffles out the door the psychiatrist calls after him, next week then, Georgie, the psychiatrist mumbles to himself, a clear case of Asperger's syndrome, with complications, of course, underneath his notes, the psychiatrist writes, Asperger's, with, and then he continues, patient name, Georgie just very bright, misinterprets figures of speech and or social cues, several psychosocial stressors, flat affect and voice, lack of motivation, suicidal ideation, and beneath that, prognosis, interminable analysis, no hope for cure, dear diary, it works part 11, epilogue, the wax works with Claudia Nesbitt tragically dead, the bereaved Georgie crushed, devastated, without reason to go on living, decides to sink his whole inheritance into a colossal project, an enormous wax museum containing surrealistic waxwork mannequins of classical heroes, and immortal figures of ancient and modern history, Georgie's secret plan is to immortalize Claudia by making her into a Greek goddess or Romanesque empress, a Byzantine queen or Hollywood sex goddess, Helen of Troy, Cleopatra, the Venus de Milo, Claudia of Monroe, whose statuesque sculpture, breathtakingly captured in perfectly lifelike wax, will live forever in the bemused and astonished minds of contemporary women and men, to fulfill this rapturous fantasy and romantic dream, Georgie must find a still living woman to serve as the perfect waxwork model for the immortal Claudia, although he has found a highly skilled waxwork sculptor Amos famous Daedalus, whose craft in fashioning supple wax into divine human forms almost matches Claudia's perfect beauty, the sculptor cannot work without a suitable true-to-life model, and there Georgie's grandiose project and glorious dream stews and stymies for want of a second beauty to equal the one and only, the incomparable, the true, Claudia Nesbitt, strolling down the crowded city street, Georgie just swaggers and struts through the shuffling crowds with a big lollipop stuck in his mouth, it's a day-long sucker, and so is he, there's one born every day, and it's Georgie's day to be, Georgie pauses on the white concrete sidewalk to contemplate the enormous edifice, an old abandoned waterfront warehouse with smashed windows and a broken down roof, that soon will be unveiled as, Georgie Gust's one and only original, classical, wax museum, the shuffling crowd around him has no comprehension of his grandiose project and glorious dream, they only push, shove, and elbow him out of the way, hey, Mackett sneers, what's the matter with you you stupid or something get out of the way, how Georgie continues to slurp his day along sucker, oblivious to the barbarians and philistines around him, although he's in the same sophisticated elegant clothes as before, he's much heavier, in fact, he's become rather portly and almost fat, in Georgie's perpetually bemused mind, Claudia Nesbitt is still as perfectly statuesque, as eternally beautiful, 
and as immortal youthful as she was in the golden days of their secret love. A broadside poster next to the museum door shows a brightly colored, glossy picture of several wax figures, including Claudia looking supremely beautiful, incomparably sexy, yet untouchable, and death as in life. Crashing through the museum's workroom door, Georgie enters to find his faithful assistant, Amos, hard at work on his immortal project, engrossed in his sculptural work. Famous Amos looks up to see the boss in a distinctly un-Georgian state of distraction, stupefied, mesmerized, and bemused, Georgie peers around the cluttered workroom as if he's never been here before, as if he is seeing these works of classic heroes and ancient deities for the first time, as Georgie dawdles and gawks, Amos works among several wax figures in various stages of disfiguration and defacement, deconstruction and disrepair, there's a sway-backed, bow-legged figure vaguely reminiscent of Roy Rogers or Gene Autry, whose cowboy-hatted head is melted, making him the wild, Wild West's greatest disfigured cowpoke or zombie lawman, beside it is a conservatively dressed feminine figure, vaguely reminiscent of a very young 1960s-esque Queen Elizabeth, with a smiling face that is chipped and gouged, and makes a Great Britain's first deface maiden queen or living dead monarch, snapping out of his stupefaction and distraction, Georgie finally pulls up a chair and sits down, he looks impatiently at his wristwatch, you got five minutes, Amos, Georgie snaps, Convince me this Hall of the Unknowns thing is the way to go, make me believe it's the next big thing, Amos drops his work and wipes his hands, he shuffles his feet on the dusty floor as he hems and haws for a few seconds before answering, think about it, Georgie, Amos says, who really wants to see another waxwork Tom makes Georgie's eyes widen as he does a double take of the disfigured cowpoke, that's Roy Rogers, he says, I think, or a baby Queen Elizabeth the 93rd, Amos goes on, when they can see themselves, their family, their friends and next-door neighbors captured in immortal wax the cherubic Amos face is faintly illuminated and numinously haloed by his immortal conception, but Georgie still looks unconvinced, so famous Amos winds up his pitch, it's not just my idea, Georgie, Amos coaxes, it's a really old idea, it goes back to the Greeks, Romans, and the Christian Middle Ages when artists made dolls in the images of their monarchs, s, and their family, friends, and neighbors, it was for admirers to worship and adore, or maybe just to stick pins into the Of course, some things have changed since then and maybe some people have changed, too. But one thing doesn't change and that's the eternal human need to desecrate, defile, and downright hate whatever they once worshipped, adored, and loved. Smoke break, Georgie Gust's one and only original, classical, wax museum will serve the profoundly spiritual need for the contemporary populace. The only difference is that we make our suckers and dummies perfectly lifelike, life-sized, and realistic, the better to worship and adore, and the better to stick pins into, too, and, of course, we charge them to see them, and we charge them to worship them, and we charge them to stick pins in them, too, or to stick pins in themselves, as the case may be, smoke break, with furrowed brow and pursed lips, Georgie still looks unconvinced, I'm telling you, Georgie. Amos cajoles, it's the biggest pitch since P.T. Barnum's three-ring big top circus, it's the biggest spiel since Jenny Lind, the swinging soprano songstress, it's a surefire winner, as the man once said, you'll never go broke trading on the American public's need to stick pins in celebrities, and besides, Amos concludes, it really can't be any worse than what we're doing now, can it spent by his impassioned spiel, Amos swaps the sweat from his brow and goes back to working on the cowboy, abruptly, in a fit of pique and faced with Georgie's yawning indifference, he throws his tools down on the waxy floor, 
Just listen to me for a minute, Georgie. Damn it Amos Bluffs. Do you know how many times I've fixed this guy after someone decided to deface him? Georgie just shrugs and sighs. No, Amos. Tell me, how many times have you fixed him? Amos starts to count, moving his lips and using his fingers like an elementary school student learning mathematics, but finally gives up. A lot the exasperated Amos blurts out. That's how many, and we don't even know who he is still breathing heavily. Amos pauses as he tries to keep his cool and pull himself together. He's just some big cowboy creep. Amos spits out bitterly. At least if we put in some humble, homely local people from Sheltered Cove, we'd know who they were, and so would they. Giving in to Amos' enthusiasm, Georgie finally laughs. If anybody really wants to know how Georgie scoffs, which I doubt, famous Amos turns back toward him, sensing an opening. Just think of it, Georgie, Amos wheedles. We start small, one or two small town celebrities, just to see how it goes, hesitating and cautious, Georgie thinks it over, and once it catches on Amos leaves the sentence dangling, I'm not sure, Amos Georgie is still dubious, maybe if we dress them up a bit, you know, give them different clothes, different noses, and different heads I'm telling you, Georgie, Amos slaps Georgie's back, this is going to be big, really big, it's the next big thing, finally, Georgie nods, okay. Amos, we'll give it a try, he grimly agrees, but I'll tell you, buddy, this better work out, because if it doesn't Georgie waits to let the threat sink in, your ass is waxed, smoke break, the swank three-story suburban McMansion in Sheltered Cove, New Jersey, is dimly lit as it usually is, Georgie just dreams for days on end, he's sprawled on the living room sofa, drinking beer and munching junk food while his current dream wife, in his dream life, is Cleo. She performs domestic chores in their beautiful, very modern kitchen. The dream connects Georgie's thumb and forefinger into a circle, making it A-OK. -okay. He watches Jeopardy on television. A smiling Alex Trebek is waiting for a successful contestant to select another $10,000 question. I'll take Greek mythology for $300. Alex, the sweaty contestant looks slightly nervous and on it as his finger taps the buzzer. Alex reads the cue card. Hesiod referred to them as the nine daughters of Zeus and Memosine. The invisible video camera pans across the three contestants as their faces go totally blank. Georgie just blasts them with his withering scorn. God, what idiots he scoffs. Who are the muses? Alex he mocks. Then suddenly, Georgie pauses. I used to think Cleo was my muse, he mutters, because of the name. Another pause. I met her at state. When was it? Back in the golden age of smoke break. A slightly more well-groomed and younger, but still awkward-looking, Georgie sits at a big wooden table. Books are strewn around him. He holds one book in front of his face, pretending to read. Instead of reading, he's actually staring across the room at a slightly more statuesque, younger, and prettier Cleo, who's intently reading a book and chewing on a yellow pencil. Yes, that's her, Georgie muses, Cleo, just as she was when I first fell in love with her. I just love the way she chewed on the pencil and how she left little bite marks all over it. Little love nips. Now, Cleo still chews pencils, but now, I don't really love it all that much. Smoke break. At the same big wooden table in the university library, Georgie and Cleo are talking. Both are smiling, laughing, and shuffling books and papers with their distracted hands. Georgie, the campus hotshot, is practicing his technique and working his lines. So, he smiles suggestively. Your name is Cleo. Huthershy and Bimyo Cleo nods pettishly as she whispers, yes picking up the subtle cues. Georgie goes on. I've never met a Cleo before, he says. 
sounds like an astrological sign, sort of Cleogiggles, seriously, though, the suave Georgie pushes on, where did you get a name like that, a Greek goddess or a household detergent, or something Cleo laughs awkwardly, my parents are classics scholars, she says, they love the Greeks, she pauses, as if she is exposing her deepest secrets, you think Cleo is a funny name she says, you should meet my brother, they named him Holmes, Georgie clucks sympathetically, I bet the other kids gave him hell on the playground, Cleo nods, looking dreamily away, they still do, smoke break, Georgie is still sitting on the overstuffed couch, still staring at Jeopardy on the enormous, 205 inch TV screen, slamming the door to the three car garage, Cleo walks in carrying bags of groceries, Georgie, are you busy she calls, could you give me a hand, please sluggishly, Georgie gets up from the couch, glancing at the TV, Cleo notices that Georgie is watching Jeopardy, Georgie she clucks critically, you're watching Jeopardy, again shrugging off Cleo's tone, Georgie takes the bulging shopping bags from her, this is a new one, honey, not a rerun, Georgie keeps watching the TV set behind Cleo's back, they ran the Greek mythology category again Cleo ignores Georgie's excuses, there are more groceries in the car, she says, if you can tear yourself away from the TV, Georgie grabs a couple of grocery bags and follows Cleo into the kitchen, sure thing, honey, Georgie says, glad to help out, Cleo is still slightly peevish, it's just she pauses, I thought you knew mom and dad were coming over, I thought you'd be cleaning and tidying up, whatever Georgie sets the grocery bags on the counter, he doesn't react to Cleo's innuendos, Cleo pushes her point, you did remember, didn't you she asks, Georgie walks out of the kitchen, I don't understand why they are always over here, he mutters, your mom and dad, I mean, Cleo snaps back, they are not always over here, Georgie, she says, you're exaggerating again what is it Georgie mocks, they can't afford to feed themselves, is that it Cleo's takes up the defense, they're old, she says quietly, and frail, yeah, maybe, Georgie concedes, but they can sure pack in the groceries, ha Georgie, Cleo warns, they are my parents, yeah, yeah, okay, honey, Georgie sighs, I'll try to be good, later that evening Georgie, Cleo, and her parents, June and Leopold, are sitting around at the big wooden dining room table that is piled high with food, Cleo's parents are old, yeah, but they sure are not frail, in many ways, they look stronger, huskier, and healthier than Georgie, who's looking a little peaked, Leopold is a stocky and muscular specimen, while Georgie watches Leopold stuff fried chicken and potato salad down his gullet, he checks out Leopold's stylish no-whining t-shirt and tattered designer jeans. June is a stringy and vegan thin woman with long, unkempt, grey hair and no makeup. She wears only natural fibers and picks at a full plate of food. Cleo, honey she asks is this chicken free-range catching Cleo's eye? Georgie raises an eyebrow. Cleo ignores him, suspiciously. Cleo's mother puts a tiny forkful of food in her mouth and chews tentatively, like she's afraid the chicken will bite back. Meanwhile, Leopold is eating heartily. Georgie boy he booms out. How's that shop of yours coming along? GW Cleo rolls eyes. It's a wax museum, daddy, she says. I told you, Leopold shrugs and waves his hands. Sweat shop, wax museum, he gripes. Same thing, Georgie wants to impress Leopold. We're expanding, he says calmly, glancing at his father-in-law's waist. Cleo rolls eyes. Don't call him GW, daddy she scolds, his name is Georgie, I told you, Leopold shrugs and waves his hands again, Georgie, Porgie, pudding and pie, he says, Georgie, GP, GW, same thing, across from Leopold, 
Cleo's mother reaches her skinny fingers into her mouth and plucks out some half-tewed chicken. She smiles apologetically, but Cleo is not amused. Mother Cleo TSKS. Leopold ignores them both. You don't mind if I call you GW, do you? He asks Georgie. June blurts out, I'm sorry, she says, but you know I eat only free range, Georgie, ignoring Leopold, but in, and organic, he observes drolly, smug and self-satisfied, June beams back at Georgie, see, see she says to Cleo, your husband remembers, meanwhile, Leopold continues to pester Georgie, what kind of money are you making, now he asks tactfully, that you can afford to expand Cleo rolls her eyes again, dad die, she whines. Leopold brushes her off, he doesn't mind, he says, he playfully punches Georgie's shoulder, do you, GW he says, smoke break, after the great free range chicken dinner massacre is over, Cleo washes a sink full of dirty dishes while Georgie dries, that wasn't so bad, Cleo casually observes, was it compared to what Georgie asks incredulously, World War II, the battle of the bulge on knee Cleo sings songs, it really wasn't, Georgie finishes drying a big stack of dinner plates and hangs the damp towel on the refrigerator door handle, Cleo nervously observes, watching and waiting, finally, she bursts out, well, say something, Georgie, don't just stand there, you feel like taking a walk, Georgie asks, Cleo frowns and shakes her head vigorously, no shrugging her off, Georgie walks out of the kitchen, he rummages through the cluttered hall closet for his summer weight jacket, slips it on, and shuts the front door on his way out. Slightly distracted, shoulders stooped in his thin jacket, Georgie walks past the brightly lit and bustling Tully's diner. Through the big plated glass windows he notices Claudia, the waitress, flirting with the customers in her short skirt and low-cut blouse. Bemused, he stares at her, smoke break. As before, famous Amos works amidst the clutter and ruin of the workroom. This time, however, the workroom is even more cluttered than usual. There are several bulletin boards and a display board, each filled with bristling clippings of black and white photographs from the local Sheltered Cove newspapers, the Sheltered Cove Sentinel, the Sheltered Cove Gazette, and the Sheltered Cove Observer. In the newspapers, there is an array of pictures of the swarthy and handsome young Mayor Green and the whole Sheltered Cove Police Department in full-dress uniform. Also, the Sheltered Cove Fire Department in partial undress, with trucks and hoses and the sheltered Cove Elementary School complete with the principal, teachers, and students. Of course, there's a picture of the frizzy-haired, hipshot Claudia in a white cap and waitress skirt, working at Tully's. She's smiling and laughing as she carries an enormous tray full of heaping plates. Behind his big wooden desk, Georgie shuffles through piled stacks of mail. Despite his well-dressed and elegant demeanor, he looks worried we know just what he's worried about, don't we? Smoke break. In the white-carpeted living room of Georgie and Cleo Gust's white pillared, classical and elegant McMansion in Sheltered Cove, New Jersey, Cleo works at her computer. She's talking on the phone and laughing all the while. The big white wooden front door swings open and Georgie walks in, as he slams the door behind him. He briskly strides into the living room, still looking distracted and worried. A guilty expression flashes over Cleo's face. She hurriedly hangs up the phone and smiles weakly at Georgie. You're home early, she says, without looking at Cleo, Georgie glances at his watch, he shrugs as if he hadn't even noticed the time, Cleo notices his furrowed bro, anything wrong she asks, Georgie doesn't answer, smoke break, two hours later, Georgie slouches on the overstuffed couch and stares blankly at the TV, swishily and silently, Cleo, dressed in a black silk evening dress, sweeps into the room, 
Abruptly shaken out of his distraction and worry, Georgie looks up and whistles, Woo-woo, Cleo, he says, and you fancy like a classic ballerina, Cleo swirls and twirls before Georgie's eyes, then finally whirls to a stop in a perfectly poised relevé, you like it, she whispers, it's for you, Georgie beams, you look terrific, honey, he says, what's the occasion, Cleo blushes, no occasion, she murmurs, just a night out with the girls, that's all. A shadow seems to pass across Cleo's face, but Georgie is too amused to notice, looks like quite a nighty blurts, where are you girls going defensively, Cleo feigns hurt at Georgie's distrust, I don't ask you where you're going when you go out, Georgie rolls his hands up in mock surrender, just making conversation, Cleo, he says, nothing to get upset about, Cleo smiles, I know, I know, she says, I just feel a little guilty, maybe, that's all, you know just getting out with the girls, it's been a while, she heads towards the door, are you going to be out late Georgie asks, she turns back, looking annoyed again, I don't ask you she starts to say, and then leaves the sentence dangling, I know, I know, Georgie repeats mockingly, you don't ask me when I'm getting home, she stares at him, still looking annoyed, should I wait up Georgie asks, number Cleo answers, don't wait up, after a microwave dinner on the couch, Georgie walks past Tully's diner, through the big, plated glass window he glances into the white lit and busy restaurant, in her white waitress cap, low-cut blouse, and short skirt, Claudia is laughing, shivering slightly in his thin jacket, Georgie stares longingly at her, that night, in the white and red canopy bed, Georgie is fast asleep, still wearing her black silk evening dress, Cleo tiptoes into the white carpeted bedroom and undresses silently, she slips into bed beside him and rests her head on his chest. Smoke break Amos Day Dallas sits at his workbench, cradling the disembodied head of a statuesque wax figure on his lap, as he carefully positions a platinum blonde wig on the bald pate. There are noises at the warehouse door, as if somebody was trying to open it, but the door is stuck shut. Famous Amos looks up just as the big wooden door crashes open and Georgie flies into the room. Amos, amused. Watches Georgie slowly pick himself up off the floor. Jesus, Georgie, he says, you about gave me a fucking heart attack. You know Georgie carefully brushes off his stylish clothes, trying to look dignified. I just stopped by for a minute, he says, looking at his watch. I just thought I'd see how the hall of the unknowns is going, without getting up. Amos turns the platinum wig and waxen head on his lap door. Georgie, it is a generic mannequin's head, it could be anybody, seeing Amos' expectant look. Georgie reacts with befuddlement and confusion, it's Claudia, Amos says, Georgie does a comic double take, Claudia he says doubtfully, you mean, from Tully's diner, that Claudia seeing Georgie's scornful look, Amos reacts with defensiveness and hurt, she's not done yet, he whines, I still have to get the nose correct, in Claudia's presence, Georgie is more calm and quiet than usual, but Amos, he says gently, it doesn't look anything like her, dashed, downcast, and defeated, Amos still faces up to Georgie's criticism, yeah, okay, he says, maybe it doesn't right now, but it will, I swear to god, it will, yeah Georgie says, you swear Amos lip quivers slightly, he nods, Georgie rolls out his hand, okay, Amos, he says, give her to me, cradling the waxen bust in his strong hands, Georgie carefully examines the mannequin's head, this isn't Claudia, he says, Claudia has those fiery green eyes, that frizzy red hair, and an unusual bone structure, those perfectly sculpted Georgie leaves the sentence dangling, slowly and thoughtfully he gives the platinum wigged, waxen head back to Amos, 
Amos takes the false Claudia by the hair and holds her up like Perseus with a laughing Medusa. So, Amos, where did you get this bogus Claudia? Georgia asks. Did she ever even marvel for you slightly embarrassed? Amos shakes his head. Georgia is baffled. Then how did you ever get this Claudia? Amos points to the newspaper pictures tacked to the bulletin board. Striding over to the nearest bulletin board, Georgie looks over the clipped out newspaper pictures. He finally pulls the black and white photograph of Claudia, the waitress, off the board. Geez, Amos he scoffs. No wonder. This doesn't look a thing like her, either. With his bare hands, Georgie rips up the false image of Claudia Nesbitt and disdainfully hands the shredded picture back to Amos. You'll never capture the true Claudia that way, Amos, he says. You need to get her to sit for you. Amos only scuffles his feet and shakes his head. Number, huh? No way, he says. That modeling thing never works. Not with wax works. Not for me. I'm telling you, Georgie, models, when they are not professional, always move. And when the model moves, the wax melts. Georgie ponders this profound artistic truism for several minutes before responding. Well then, Amos, he finally says if she won't sit still for you, you can at least take her picture. Close up. As close as you can get. Pulling away suddenly, Amos shudders, like maybe he's afraid to get too close to his work. Georgie, man he says, I'm an artist, not some kind of trick photographer. Georgie flashes Amos a withering look. Amos, he says calmly, you promised me, you swore to me, before Georgie can finish his sentence, Amos cuts him off. Okay, okay, he says, I'll take her fucking picture, smoke break. Sometime later, Georgie just leaves their one and only original, classical. Wax Museum, his faithful, loyal, and trusted accountant, Richard, is with him. At the doorway, they talk confidentially and repeatedly nod to each other. Finally, they shake hands and then go their separate ways. Georgie locks the big wooden door with one of many keys on his giant gearing. In the bustling and crowded Tully's diner, Georgie and Cleo sit at an intimate table in the farthest corner of the restaurant. Empty plates and half-full glasses of soda litter the small table, parenthetical pet peeve opening a can of soda that has been shaken up, there in the middle of a difficult conversation, Cleo's grilling Georgie about Georgie Gust's one and only original, classical, wax museum, but, Georgie, really, she protests, how is this wax museum ever going to make money Cleo, honey, Georgie soothes her, can't you at least listen to me Cleo feigns a long-suffering patience, I am, Georgie, she says, but without paying the slightest attention to their petty spat, Claudia the waitress sidles over, imperturbably, she starts clearing their plates, how you kids doing she asks, offhandedly, want anything else trying to put on a false face, Cleo smiles grimly, she gently kicks Georgie under the table, Georgie takes the hint, just the check, he says, Claudia, of course, pretends to not notice the ill feeling that surrounds their table like a foul stench, you got it, is all she says, she rips the check from the pad and smiles at Georgie. Thanks for coming in, she says, come back and see us. Okay distractedly, Georgie watches Claudia sashay off as she swishes her hips. Cleo watches Georgie's eyes. After a terse silence, she finally bursts out. You know, Georgie, I have never liked that waitress. Still distracted, Georgie stares at the check. Huh? What he says? Why not? What's wrong with her Cleo sniffs? Well, she says, she's cheap. For one thing, still staring at the check, Georgie doesn't respond. Cleo tries to break Georgie out of Claudia's spell. Well, Georgie, she sniffs. Did she at least get the check right without looking up? Georgie says, hum the bottom of a check reads, your server, number 9. 
Claudia Nesbitt, smoke break. Later that week, Georgie and Cleo Gust are sitting at the same intimate table at Tully's Diner. It's honestly just a poorly lit table off in a dark corner. Of course, they are having the same secretive, festering, and seething marital difficulties that they both stubbornly, and futilely, pretend to ignore. In the dismal illumination, they begin to peruse the oversized sticky-looking menus. As they sit brooding silently behind their menus, Claudia the waitress sidles over and stands waiting with her pencil and order pad in hand. Behind his sticky menu, Georgie smiles shyly up at her. Behind her greasy menu, Cleo looks disenchanted, peevish, and bored. She notices Georgie's infatuation with Claudia and she's obviously not amused. Claudia is serenely wrapped in her distant beauty, with her white waitress cap, and her shocking red hair sticking out in every direction like a frizzy halo. Morning, afternoon, or evening, folks, she wisecracks, we serve breakfast in a time at Tully's Diner. So, what would you like to drink? Coffee? Tea? Soda? Postum Cleo tries to smiles at Georgie through his sticky menu, with no success. She glances sideways at Claudia as she orders, iced tea for me, she says. Do you have herbal? Claudia smirks and smacks a juicy fruit. Sorry, hon, she says. Nothing but Lipton's, and no decaf, either. Cleo frowns slightly. Well, then, she says. How about lemonade? Claudia, scratching her head with a pencil, doesn't answer. Instead, she turns to Georgie. Basking in Claudia's beauty, Georgie's quick to speak. I'll have a chocolate malted. Georgie puts down his menu and briefly turns to Cleo. Cleo, he says, not meeting her eyes. The conspiratorial silence and sexual buzz between Claudia and Georgie is undeniable, palpable. From her dark corner, Cleo mutters annoyed, muttered, just water, okay, Claudia says, one chocolate malted and one water, coming up swinging her hips, Claudia starts to walk away, before she's out of earshot, Cleo calls out, with lemon, although she obviously catches Cleo's order, Claudia doesn't turn around, she just waves her hand in acknowledgement, you got it, she says, Still not looking back, Cleo, disgusted, shakes her head. Georgie picks up Cleo's disgust but doesn't admit it. Instead, he changes the subject. So, Georgie still won't meet Cleo's eyes. How are that promotion going? Honey Cleo reels back as if Georgie has slapped her. Georgie, it's not a promotion she snaps. You know I work for myself, right? Georgie's indifferent, unperturbed. I know that, Cleo, he says calmly. Cleo rolls her eyes in exasperation. Georgie recognizes the familiar gesture and backs off slightly. Okay, Cleo, Georgie says, how about we start again? I say I'm sorry, you say that you forgive me, and then we'll be even. Okay, Cleo, in a huff, says nothing. Please, Cleo, Georgie pleads. Georgie obviously doesn't want to be embarrassed before Claudia, but Cleo wants to make him squirm. There is a long silence. Finally, Cleo breaks down. It's all right, Georgie, she says in her martyred voice. I don't mind, you can't even keep track of what I do or who I am, really, I don't mind if you ignore me, you'd rather pay attention to that that Claudia swishes back, she swings her waitress tray casually in front of their faces as she sets the chocolate malted in front of Georgie, then she puts a sweaty glass of ice water, without lemon, in front of Cleo, Cleo, of course, can't help but notice, still, she says nothing, Claudia sashays away again, serenely indifferent. Cleo fumes, it figures, she says, I just knew she'd do that, Georgie looks quizzical as if he hadn't noticed, the lemon Cleo says, really, I just knew she'd forget, Georgie feigns concern, well, so what, honey he says, why didn't you say something Cleo sniffs, it doesn't matter, 
pretending to want to make the evening with Cleo work, Georgie tries one more time, okay, Cleo, he says, just tell me about the big account you landed today, then, he pauses, please he says, while Georgie and Cleo are still snorting and sniffing at each other, Claudia comes swishing back carrying a small bowl of lemon slices, she makes a dramatizing display of setting the bowl in front of Cleo, silly me she sings songs in a sweet musical voice, I forgot, Cleo accepts the offered bowl petulantly and ungratefully, oh, thanks so much she says, dripping sarcasm, naturally, Claudia is sublimely indifferent and coolly distant, you two ready to order she asks, frowning and pursing her lips, Cleo rolls her eyes and picks up the menu, behind his menu Georgie smiles at the imperturbable Claudia, Claudia pretends not to notice, several hours later, Cleo and Georgie sit in the half-empty diner at the same small table in their dismal, poorly lit corner, they are subdued, restrained, but obviously still fighting, plates of untouched food sit on the table between them, the crushed ice has melted in Cleo's glass, I just don't understand, Georgie, Cleo continues, why you never remember anything I say, I told you weeks ago about the Times account and how, if I got it, I'd be copy editor for this entire area, not just sheltered cove but the whole greater metropolitan area, too, the entire northern part of the state, you still just don't give a damn Georgie Fane's interest most unsuccessfully, I remembered, he says, I took you out to dinner to celebrate, didn't I Cleo stares at the ceiling, she's frustrated, unhappy, and angry, while scattered customers slouched or the checkout counter Claudia swishes over to Georgie and Cleo to see if they are ready for the check, okay, she says, that's two meatloaf specials with succotash and gravy and a small dessert bowl, can I get you kids anything else perking up in Claudia's presence, Georgie smiles and shakes his head, Cleo turns her face away as she tries to snub the imperturbable Claudia, Claudia simply drops the check on the table and walks away, frustrated, exasperated and fed up, Cleo jumps to her feet, that's it, Georgie, I'm walking home, she says, I'll see you when you get home, if you get home, as Cleo huffs out, Georgie sits silently and watches her leave for several long seconds, when Cleo sweeps through the big glass door, Claudia swings back toward the dark corner table, he takes out his wallet and pays her with a $50 bill, you can keep the change, he says, I'll see you next time, but Georgie doesn't get up to leave, and Claudia hangs around, she's some lady, hushy says, jerking her frizzy red hair toward the swinging glass door, is she your wife's Georgie nods, yeah, I guess so, he says, at least, we've been married seven years parenthetical pet peeve, the idea of giving the bride away, like a bag of old clothes, well, you know, Mr. Claudia says, forgive me for saying so, but she seems a little, harsh, maybe Georgie shyly glances up at the statuesque and beautified Claudia, his slightly haggard and unshaven face is a curious mixture of gratitude and guilt, yeah, he says, that's my wife, alright, Claudia smirks sympathetically, later that night in their enormous master bedroom, Georgie and Cleo lay in bed, Cleo is sleeping and snoring softly with her bristly back turned, Georgie is still wide awake as he stares at the ceiling, the silently screaming clock on the nightstand says, 3.10am, Georgie lies there and fantasizes, at Georgie Gust's one and only original, classical, wax museum, Georgie sits on the cluttered workbench, bemused and entranced as he stares at the statuesque waxen head of Claudia the waitress, the whole workroom is dimly and sadly suffused with a sepulchral green twilight, the mannequins, even Claudia the waitress, look slightly ghoulish, Georgie stares at Claudia, at her pallid and waxen face, then he turns his own face toward her and smiles, 
For a brief and fleeting second he almost believes she is smiling back. For a few seconds more he stares at her shapely, waxen breasts. Then, blushing deeply, he averts his eyes. Smoke break. A slightly slimmer, younger, and more handsome Georgie, Natalie dressed in a blue pinstripe suit and flashy tie, walks by Tully's diner. He impulsively walks over to the big plated glass windows and peers in. Claudia the waitress dances from table to table, breezily taking orders and flinging downfall, heaping plates of steamy cheeseburgers and grueling meatloaf specials before the smiling, laughing customers. She's still sporting her white waitress cap and frizzy red hair, but she's exchanged her ordinary, humdrum waitress uniform for a breathtakingly sexy, belly-dancing costume, parenthetical pet peeve, dogs who drool on me. For a few minutes, Georgie simply watches her and laughs. He then suavely glides over to the swinging door, throws it open and steps inside. The whole diner sparkles and flashes. Soft music plays in the background. Glasses clink. Customers eat and drink and laugh merrily, wanting to join the crowd. Georgie sits down at a spotless table with white linen tablecloth, crystal wine glasses, and sterling silverware. Without missing a beat in her swirling, dancing waitress routine, Claudia swoops over to him. She sets down an elegantly upholstered menu with a monogrammed leather cover in Boston gold letters, then she stands transfixed in the brilliant white fluorescent lights awaiting his order. What'll it be, Mr. She asks in a scintillating and golden voice. Cheeseburger and fries? Possibly the meatloaf special you're beautiful, Georgie says. I know, Claudia beams back. That's what all the guys say, you're immortal, Georgie adds. You're divine, yeah, that's right. Claudia chews her juicy fruit gum. I wouldn't have it any other way. So, what are you having with this sophisticated, debonair, playboy manner, and irresistibly sexy smile? Georgie winks and says, You, Claudia the waitress laughs melodiously. After a brief epiphany Georgie drops his sophisticated, playboy manner and suave style, and steps back into some version of reality. Just kidding, I bet, he says. Bring me the usual, Claudia the waitress smiles knowingly. The usual, hush she says, you mean? The works Georgie smiles back, immediately, Claudia swirls, twirls, pirouettes, and dances balleretically away, she reappears instantly with a silver platter filled with an assortment of gourmet foods and wine, foie gras, escargot, and exotic cheeses, Claudia hovers over him and feeds him bits and morsels of tasted delicacies, harem girl style, Georgie swims back in his chair and starts eating voluptuously. Somewhere outside this brilliantly glittering soap bubble of seductive and sybaritic fantasy, somebody sneezes and sniffles with post-nasal drip, parenthetical pet peeve, sneezing, the boorish, anonymous somebody sneezes and sniffles again, snapping out of this self-hypnotic fantasy, Georgie skulls, frowns, and harumphs, the sophisticated and elegant restaurant immediately fades away, smoke break, now, Georgie, in shabby overcoat and grungy ragged pants, is standing on the scruffy sidewalk in front of Tully's diner. A decrepit old homeless man stands next to him sneezing, sniffling, and wiping his nose on the empty sleeve of an old ragged coat. Smoke break, in Georgie Gust's one and only original, classical, wax museum. Georgie is, as usual, hard at work as he gets ready for the spectacular grand opening celebration and gala wax warming that is scheduled for just a few weeks away. He sits at the workbench holding a headless Claudia the waitress in his arms. The white fluorescent lighting is perfect, the strikingly lifelike mannequins appear to pulse and glow. Holding Claudia in his arms, Georgie can't take his eyes off of her breasts, her perfect, inviting, and delectable breasts. 
But then Georgie looks up at where her perfectly sculpted head should be. There's nothing there. Quietly, Georgie mutters to himself, no head. Suddenly, and with a horrendous crashing sound, Amos breaks through the front door and falls face first onto the workroom floor. With Amos' unexpected entry, Georgie is rudely shaken out of his worshipful reverie. What the fuck, man he shouts, didn't I tell you? Always knock first from the dusty workshop floor. Amos looks up at Georgie and slowly gets up. Huh? Georgie he spits out, still somewhat confused. What are you doing here at this hour? Amos spies Claudia Nesbitt on Georgie's lap, and with Claudia the waitress, too. How Georgie sets the statuesque and headless Claudia mannequin down and glares at Amos, but he's still too stunned and embarrassed to come up with a quick comeback. Amos takes advantage of Georgie's silence to make up. Hey, man, he says, I'm sorry if I scared you, I've been having a problem with that freaking lock all day, finally getting his bravado back, Georgie blurts out, so you just break the fucking door down as sheltered cove's greatest wax sculptor, Amos isn't famous for thinking fast on his feet, well, he says, yeah Amos deftly maneuvers the conversation away from the broken door and nods at the mannequin in Georgie's arms, what do you think of her he asks Georgie, she doesn't have a head yet, but I'm working on it. I'm working her head and I'm going to make it perfect. Georgie is caught off guard by Amos' quick change act. Perfect here asks. How what do you mean? How Amos parries? I'll tell you, Georgie. I mean, Georgie counters. Do you have a picture of Claudia or something? Or maybe he shudders. A death mask Amos scoffs. What you talking about he snorts. Picture? I don't need a picture he gestures at Claudia the waitress. How can you forget a face like that here asks. Still slightly off guard. Georgie looks at the defaced and headless figure, then back at Amos. Like what? Like this he snorts. This Claudia doesn't even have a face still. Amos keeps up his bluff. Shucks. Georgie. He scoffs again. I remember what she looks like. Okay. Then, Amos. Georgie smirks. If you remember Claudia Nesbitt so well, then what color eye does that woman have? Ha still. Amos tries to fake Georgie out. Blonde hair. Blue eyes. He says. All blondes have blue eyes, you know Georgie stares at Amos until the embarrassed sculptor drops his gaze, she's a redhead, Amos, Jesus, you have no clue, and now it's Georgie's turn to scoff, hey, you need a photo of Claudia to work from, or else, but before Georgie can make any other stellar suggestions, Amos cuts him off, fine, man, I'll work from a photograph he blurts out, so hook me up with a photo me Georgie sputters, caught off guard by the unexpected twist. Yeah, you, who else, smoke break, the stylish and elegant Georgie walks past Tully's diner and glances inside, he stops when he sees Claudia swooping gracefully from table to table, she seems even prettier than Georgie remembers, even prettier than he fantasizes and dreams about, he stands there for several seconds, just staring at her, smoke break, in still another version of this obsessively repeated scene, Georgie walks past Tully's diner and abruptly stops. It is the evening hour between late lunch and early dinner specials. He spots Claudia the waitress sitting at the counter alone. From the inside pocket of his blue pinstripe suit, he removes his camera phone. He just keeps staring at Claudia until, as if sensing his presence, his breath, his eyes, his voice, she slowly turns. Georgie pretends to talk on the phone. There's a silent click. Claudia instinctively sneezes. Georgie ducks his head and walks away. Smoke break. In still another repetition of this obsessively repeated scene, is it a nightmare, obsession, psychosis, Georgie walks past Tully's diner and abruptly stops, there's no Claudia there, 
Georgie keeps walking, in still another repetition of this obsessive scene, alright already, we get the picture, Georgie walks past Tully's diner and abruptly stops, he scans the smiling and laughing crowds and the hustling, bustling waitresses for a long time, finally, he sees Claudia waiting on tables as she smiles and laughs with some regular customers, in a split second flash, Georgie aims the camera phone through the big plated glass window and shoots his masterpiece, swept up in his obsession, he continues to stare at Claudia with a strange mixture of desire and repulsion, he's torn between the obsessive drive to flee immediately and the intensely consuming desire to fling himself at her feet, finally, he walks over to the big glass, swinging door, the door swings open, satisfied customers exit, bemused, consumed, and dazed, Georgie flees, smoke break, amidst the wreckage and rubble of his cluttered sculptor's workshop, Amos unveils the completed Claudia figure, Georgie does a tragic double take, he's immediately stunned, shocked, and horrified, the statuesque and waxen effigy of Claudia the waitress looks like she's about to sneeze, Georgie is appalled, aghast, and disgusted, what the fuck he bellows, she looks like she's about to sneeze famous Amos sighs and shrugs, yeah, well, he says, it's realistic, you snapped the pictures and I gave it my best shot, you should have taken more photos and maybe I'd get her, like, you know, smiling or something, Georgie struggles not to snarl and leap at Amos throat, Amos, listen, he says, we don't have enough money to be, but before Georgie starts screaming, Amos cuts him off, to be what he scoffs, craftsmanlike, artistic, aesthetic, maybe to be fucking around, Amos Georgie screams, Amos only snorts, fucking around he sniffs, freaking fucking around he repeats, who, me, you brought me the world of shitty teased photograph to work from, Georgie, first of all, like maybe you took it through a big plated glass window or something, and then you didn't, I did it what Georgie snaps, what didn't I do, Amos Amos slacks off slightly, you didn't ask her, that's what he scoffs, like, you didn't have the freaking balls to ask her to even model, pose, or vogue, or whatever, or or, or even fucking smile, Georgie, I mean, fuck, man now it's Georgie's turn to cut Amos off, fuck that, Amos he shouts, fuck this, man, fuck that, man, fuck, fuck you, man taking a wild swing, Georgie kicks some junk on the cluttered floor, he's obviously losing it, a waxen head embeds itself on his pointy toed shoe, Amos shakes his head in disbelief, Georgie tries to shake off the disfigured head, there's a long and stupefied silence, finally, Georgie sputters, JJ just, fuck it, Amos Amos pats him on the back and smiles sympathetically, don't worry, Georgie, he says, I'll work it out, man, the disfigured head falls off Georgie's foot, Georgie stops sputtering, Amos smiles sardonically, and, Georgie he says what Georgie shouts, sorry, man, smoke break, several days later, nothing has really changed, Georgie is still standing next to the cluttered workbench, the white fluorescent lighting is dim, slightly garish, and slightly ghoulish, the statuesque sculpture of Claudia the waitress seems vaguely greenish, slightly cheesy, and maybe half dead, or half alive, her white toothed, half open mouth looks harsh and biting, her glittering green eyes are cold and hard, somewhere between nightmare and dream, Georgie hears Claudia, what Claudia, which Claudia, call to him in a soft, seductive, and siren-like whisper, photograph me, Georgie, she whispers, picture me, print me, capture me and keep me in your memory, I just love, love, low-o pictures, take more pictures of me, please, please, 
please, Georgie Boo Boo, I can never get enough pictures of me, more, more, more pictures, snapping out of his reverie, Georgie slowly exhales, he holds his hand to his heart with a slight shiver like he's having a coronary, or something, Georgie just is not a profoundly religious man, usually, but at this moment he crosses himself and whispers, Jesus, Jesus freaking Christ, he shakes his head as he walks out of the workshop and leaves behind only silence, darkness, and the faintly creepy sound of slowly melting wax, in the stifling gloom, black mascara runs like black tears down Claudia and the waitress perfectly waxen face, in the black asphalt parking lot outside, Georgie finds his piece of crap Toyota Tercel parked in the white semi-circle of the silent streetlights, as he reaches into his pocket, he drops his car keys and, bending to pick them up, discovers a large piece of red linen slowly floating down to the black asphalt parking lot, bemusedly, he picks up a scrap of linen and slowly picks up the keys, indecisively, he casts a furtive look back at the brooding and silent building, then he looks back at his jingling car keys, he thinks about going back in, then he thinks about his car keys, back and forth, and back and forth, until, finally, in the sweaty waxwork workshop, Georgie stands next to the cluttered workbench, the white fluorescent lighting is soft and slightly pink, he is alone with the sculptured mannequins of the Hall of the Unknowns, and especially with the statuesque figure of Claudia the waitress, with a sweeping and magisterial gesture, he pastes the frizzy red cloth from the black asphalt parking lot back where it obviously belongs, on Claudia the waitress pubic patch, Georgie catches his breath, Claudia Nesbitt stands in front of him, she's perfectly beautiful and perfectly naked, all women and all women, her perfectly pursed red lips seem moist and damp, almost kissable, almost edible, they are slightly parted revealing the tiny gap between her two front teeth, her perfectly smooth and supple skin is flawless, lifelike, and dewy, as if the perfectly sculpted wax had in fact become immortal flesh, or maybe something more than flesh, her superbly sculpted breasts are plump, firm and round, and her nipples are erect, they long to be stroked, touched, suckled, for several eternities, Georgie, Pygmalion-like, feasts his eyes on this immortal creation, this perfectly beautiful woman, this woman without flaw and without sin, Claudia the waitress, Claudia Nesbitt, the one and only, the eternal, she is the immortal, finally, Georgie drops his eyes again to her frizzy red pubic patch, so silky, so full, so almost kissable, almost edible, the clump of frizzy red hair falls off again, Georgie starts to snicker and snort, he finally laughs out loud, I always fall for dames who don't have their shite together, he sputters as he addresses the mannequin, you know what, baby, you really have to get yourself together, Georgie laughs uproariously at his own joke, smoke break, later on, famous Amos is busily working on Claudia the waitress mannequin, he's sculpting and molding her statuesque body just after having removed her disembodied and defaced head, as for Claudia whatever Claudia, whichever Claudia, whoever Claudia might be, Claudia is still headless, the patch of pubic hair falls off once again, Amos snickers and mumbles to himself, or to whatever Claudia he worships, ah, fuck, man, come on now, baby, don't be so bitchy, he casts a cold eye where Claudia's head would be if she had one, Claudia he screams, quit dropping your tangles or I'll get the idea that you want to be waxed like Georgie, Amos laughs uproariously at his own joke, ha ha ha, he he, he chortles, get it, waxed, down there, I mean, getting up off his knees, Amos stands with the frizzy pubic hair in his hand, also like Georgie, Amos bad humor sometimes runs to the obscene, the scatological, all right, Claudia baby, he darkly threatens, 
I have to go to the bathroom now while nobody is looking. So, why don't you just turn your head away? Amos takes another look at Claudia the waitress and starts chortling uproariously again. Then he drops to his knees to remove a few frizzy shreds of Claudia's leftover pubic hair. It's not exactly clear what he's doing. Maybe he's just twitching around. Whatever he's doing gives him some enormous sense of satisfaction. There you go, Claudia, honey, he nods. You're officially in modern times now, baby. As Amos enters the bathroom he stares blankly towards the workroom and whispers, Boy, when you go to go, you go to go. After his business, Amos holds Claudia the waitress disfigured and eyeless head in his lap while he strings her frizzy red hair in the sweaty workshop. He painstakingly dresses the decapitated mannequin in her white and red waitress uniform. Fussily, he leaves the top buttons undone just a bit to show just a slight hint of cleavage. He puts the perfectly coiffed and smiling head on the impeccably dressed body and stands back to admire his handiwork. She looks almost too perfect, yet, somehow, less inspired than the real thing. Famous Amos glances over at the 8x10 inches brightly colored and glossy pinup calendar on the wall and rips a statuesque page off the frontispiece. Only four days until opening, at Georgie Gust's one and only original, classical, wax museum. Georgie sits on the cluttered workbench as famous Amos shows off the Claudia the waitress mannequin. Finally, Georgie is a rapt admirer, a true believer. Jesus, Amos, he rhapsodizes. She's beautiful. She's perfectly sculpted. Perfectly lifelike Amos only chortles as he fingers the statuesque Claudia's perfectly lifelike breasts. She's better than lifelike, Georgie Boo, he snorts. Believe me, I know, Georgie blushes. He tries to change the subject. What do we do with the old, sneezing head famous Amos plays the proud father? Save it. Save it, man he blusters. Never throw your art away. Never. You never know when you might want it or even need it again. Like, when we become famous, Amos flies off on another hysterical outburst of uproarious laughter. Georgie tries to calm Amos down but only sets off another delirious outburst. Okay already, Amos, Georgie drones. It wasn't that funny. Georgie looks at the 8x10 waxwork, pinup calendar, we open, you know, in like, three days abruptly, Amos stops snickering and becomes nervous, no oh oh he moans, you gotta be kidding, three days, oh, crap, Amos finally trails off, and I have the in-laws here tonight, Georgie adds, so I won't be much help, crap Amos curses, which one is worse, your in-laws or my wife it's still not exactly clear what Amos means by these cryptic words. Whatever he means, Amos' dejection leaves Georgie feeling defeated, put upon, and downtrodden. Whatever, man, Georgie says, walking out of the old, broken-down front door. Georgie Amos calls, but Georgie's gone, smoke break. Georgie walks the black midnight streets, stoop-shouldered with his hands shoved in his pockets. On the festive occasion of the grand opening of Georgie Gust's one and only original, classical, wax museum, he imagines everything going up in flames, the old, broken down warehouse burning down to wreckage and ashes, all of those perfectly sculpted mannequins and beautifully molded figurines melted down into splattered puddles and shapeless blobs, the tragedies of death spoken of in the opening passages still haunt him in bright flashes and sinister shadows, as he walks broodingly huddled and crookedly hunched into himself, Georgie just starts muttering, his slight psychotic edges almost bordering on crazy, Georgie Gust, looping back on himself, walks slowly by his one and only original, classical, wax museum, trying to sense all that he can from its cold metal doors and the smell of sewage from the empty street, a rat scatters into the alleyway, Georgie takes everything in, 
It all seems to be dead, dead and defeated, parenthetical pet peeve, coming upon double doors and one of them is always locked. An old crooked lamp post on the corner emits a static buzz as the white lighted headlamp blows out, without Claudia or Cleo to comfort and console him, Georgie is completely alone now, and in the dark, as he snoops around the back alley, Georgie sees Claudia and the waitress perfectly sculpted and waxen head lolling and rolling around in the gutter, near the huge waste bins, without quite knowing what is happening, and feeling too dejected and disturbed to rescue Claudia's decapitated head, Georgie simply observes the shapely head roll like some crippled and half-dead thing, until it comes to a complete stop, smoke break, in still another version of this strangely familiar scene, Georgie and Cleo are sitting at a small and dark table in Tully's diner, quietly bickering. Cleo is disturbed by Georgie's erratic behavior and wild mood swings, whereas Georgie is bothered by Cleo's snooping into his business and her parents' constant intrusions into their private life. What's wrong with you, Georgie? Cleo whines and nags. What are you talking about? You're not so bad. You're really, like, crazy sometimes. Georgie snorts. You have the audacity to call me crazy. He rants. Your parents, sometimes, you know, they just about drive me crazy. Cleo frowns, defensive and apologetic but still she continues to accuse, I know my parents are difficult for you, she admits, but, come on, what are you trying to say I'm just saying he shrugs, the visit wasn't bad, I guess, Cleo nods as she begins to feel vindicated, I know, she says, it was good, a good visit, yeah, right, Georgie concedes, it wasn't bad, I guess immediately Cleo picks up on Georgie's unspoken words, what were you saying, Georgie, really she doesn't wait for an answer, you're saying it wasn't good, and you Georgie rolls his eyes, I didn't say that, no, he repeats, don't put words in my mouth, Cleo, Cleo isn't really listening, that hurts my feelings, she goes on, because you're basically saying that you don't like my parents, Georgie rolls his eyes again, when did I say that he asks, when did I ever say that just as Cleo is about to respond, Claudia the waitress switches over to their small corner table and adopts her statuesque waitress pose, she crosses her arms beneath her breasts and juts her hips out to one side, she's chewing bubble gum, as usual, and blows small bubbles with her mouth, as Cleo's about to speak, a bubble gum bubble pops loudly, Claudia giggles, excuse me, she says, I just, bubbled Cleo rolls her eyes, god, Georgie she starts out, but she leaves the sentence dangling, as Georgie looks up at Claudia the waitress, it's like she can read the slightly pornographic fantasies and sexual daydreams unraveling in his head, she knows how he wants to plead guilty to them to her, to Claudia, instead, he chooses to just ask, could I have another cup of coffee, if you're not too busy Claudia the waitress just stares down at him as she continues to chomp her bubble gum, please Georgie pleads, insecure, unsure, and not knowing where he stands with Claudia, Georgie appeals to Cleo, but he gets no support from his wife, instead, Cleo appeals to Claudia, she jerks her head or Georgie, he's not being very nice today, she says primly, is he Claudia is supremely indifferent, what she says, Cleo repeats herself, I said, he's not being very nice today, is he Georgie looks down as he attempts to hide his slowly reddening cheeks, suddenly and spontaneously, Claudia blurts out, I like him Cleo's taken aback, she reacts as if she'd been slapped, what she snaps, you what Claudia is imperturbable, she gestures to Georgie, him, she says, I like him, I don't like people who aren't nice, with that, she sashays away, Georgie wants to say, see but he keeps quiet, Cleo bursts out, well, you're not, you're not, you know not what Georgie asks, feigning innocence, you're not nice Cleo blurts, 
Now Georgie is taken aback. No, I'm not so bad, he protests. Sullenly and silently, Cleo seethes. While Georgie and Cleo keep up their embattled silence, Claudia swings back with a full pot of coffee for Georgie. As she pours, she keeps up her banter. Wow, it's black, hushy as, see what I mean? It's good Joe today, strong and feisty, perking up. Georgie glances at Cleo and makes his delivery to Claudia. Like you, ha he says, blushing brightly. Ah, like black coffee, the coffee's not bad today, either. Claudia the waitress returns to be flattered. Or were, she whines, somewhat mocking. Thanks for the compliment. I'll pass it on to the boys in the kitchen. Still, Georgie feels he's made his point. He smirks to Cleo. See, she knows. He jerks his head at Claudia. I can be nice, despite herself. Claudia cracks a slight smile. Oh, yeah, she says as she sidles away. You're not bad. This is the highest praise Georgie has received all day. In still another strangely familiar scene, Georgie and Cleo are nibbling on their food while the regular customers, at many of the other tables, have already left. Only one other table besides Georgie and Cleo's is still occupied. It's complete with a boisterous group set on ribaldry later in the evening. Claudia the waitress wears her white and red Tully's t-shirt without an apron while she helps the busboys clear some of the dirty tables. In a sudden fit, that's not as spontaneous as it seems, she pulls her still clean white shirt up over her nose and mouth and sneezes loudly. A-A-A-H-U then she sneezes again, and again, and again. Georgie, only slightly embarrassed, raises his voice and calls toward her. Bless you the other table hushes, and for a moment everyone is silent. In the diner, the busboys, waitresses, and kitchen help all have their eyes set on Georgie, even the drunk and loud party at the back table. Claudia the waitress turns toward Georgie. What she asks, I said, bless you, Georgie repeats, it's allergy season. For a brief and passing moment, Claudia the waitress turns bad. Yeah, it's allergy season, she scoffs. It seemed to start right when you walked in, then she stomps off, with a slight jerk. Georgie turns toward the world beside him. He's suddenly fixated on a local eatery award encased in thin plastic and dated for 1978. Cleo snaps her fingers to break Georgie's spell. Georgie, Georgie she cries. Wake up Georgie, still transfixed, mutters quietly. We open tomorrow, smoke break, as the day of the grand opening of Georgie Gust's one and only original, classical, wax museum approaches, famous Amos nervously rearranges the various sculpted heads and waxen torsos of the five or six mannequins in the hall of the unknown's gallery. This gallery is the most spectacular, the most beautiful, and the most perfect, mostly because Claudia the waitress, or Claudia Nesbitt, is showcased in it. After switching the figures around several times, and experimenting with several different arrangements, Amos can't quite seem to get the perfect tableau that he's searching for, he keeps trying, anyway. Meanwhile, the invisible video camera outside the old, broken-down warehouse picks up Georgie just in his three-piece suit and flashy tie, as he tries to open the jammed front door. Hey, Amos Georgie cries out, the door is jammed again, damn it, Amos, where's Amos? Amos finally, Amos rushes over to the big door, hold on a sec he shouts, I'll get it, Georgie is impetuous and impatient, come on, Amos he shouts again, we open tomorrow, hurry up, now, please Amos nervously searches his pockets as he fiddles with the keys, and wipes sweat from his forehead all at the same time, one minute he calls, I'm coming Georgie, of course, can't hear him, what he cries again, what did you say Amos continues to fumble the keys, hold on a sec, he mutters, I'll be there in a sec Georgie bangs on the door and shouts, 
AMOOS inside a sweaty waxwork workshop. A big fluorescent light bulb on the ceiling blows out and crashes to the floor. Still Amos fiddles and dawdles. Wait he calls again. Finally, Amos starts to laugh. Wait, wait, wait he gasps hysterically. I never thought I'd have George Egist and Claudia Nesbitt waiting on me. He whispers, snickering. With a sudden jerk, he gets the door opened. Sophisticatedly and elegantly dressed in a blue pinstripe suit and flashy tie, Georgie enters the warehouse still looking at his watch. He's sweaty, nervous and obviously pressed for time. Amos greets him boisterously. Hey there, big buddy Amos smiles. What's happening Georgie is in no mood for pleasantries. We open tomorrow is what he shouts. What's going on here under pressure? Amos seems slightly fragile, cracked, and nearly hysterical. Ha ha he screeches. What's going on is we open tomorrow? Yes, yes, yes Georgie rolls his eyes. Amos, he says as he strives to be compassionate patient, and, kind, Amos sticks around in the filing cabinets, but whatever he's looking for remains hidden, come here, he coaxes, come here, buddy, still searching for the unknown and hidden something, Amos takes Georgie into the men's restroom located in the back of the dusty and cluttered workshop, it's a true men's room complete with urinal and tank, it's masculine with the scent and sight of thine unflushed porcelain throne, testosterone-inspired literature, and eight x ten inches glossy pin-up calendars plastered from wall to floor. For some inexplicable reason, Amos pulls an old dog-eared issue of Star magazine from the pile of her old supermarket tabloids, and thumb-worn pornography, that drape over the white porcelain toilet. Amos starts flipping through the pages. Georgie is restless. Sit Amos orders. As he plops down on the white toilet seat, Georgie rolls his eyes. He still says nothing and waits for Amos to speak. Look, 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 Amos says, flashing the dog-eared pages. What do you see Georgie shrugs? I don't know, people, I guess, the dim light bulb flickers in the restroom. Okay, I get it, I see celebrities, Amos only shakes his head to indicate that Georgie is still clueless. Yeah, okay, Amos, Georgie says, they are good photographs, right? Boiler Amos nods, yeah, right, he says, good photographs. Candid photographs, he flips to another page, A.W.W., look at Britney yawning, so sleepy, and fucking yawning he enthuses, and look how interesting that is, she's on a freaking talk show yawning, the fans just eat it up, Georgie is still baffled, so you're making fun of me, he asks, right Amos shakes his head, no, idiot, he scoffs, the point is, it works, we can do the same thing and make money from it, just like freaking Britney and fucking Oprah do, even at this final moment, Georgie is still skeptical, yeah, but, he says, we're talking about unknowns, not celebrities, Amos gloats, yeah, man, he says, we're talking about unknowns, we're talking about creating something to know about them, like they're celebrities, we make it so people want to know it, we get people talking, Georgie remains dubious, how he asks Amos smirks, by creating a little controversy, slowly, the whole sleazy scam starts to dawn on Georgie, although it doesn't make him any less skeptical, oh man, Amos, he moans, I don't know, Amos soothes him, listen, Georgie, he says, it's like you say, we don't have the money to putz around, so we need to work with what we have, in the midst of Amos pitch, Cleo walks in on them, she's even more doubtful than Georgie, she looks back and forth between the two men, in disbelief, she sighs, whatever it is, she says, I don't even want to know, the two of you despite his own doubt, Georgie tries to reassure her, no, Cleo, he says, you really do want to know, Amos second of the motion, yeah, 
Cleo, he says, it's all good stuff, trying to be friendly, warm, and intimate, he steps closer, but Cleo instinctively backs off, hey, Cleo, Amos soothes her, sorry I kept him so late, I need to go fuck up some faces, as Amos walks away, he continues to chant, thank you, Georgie, thank you, for whatever, man, whatever, wherever, whoever, just, thank you, man, wanting to make up with Cleo, Georgie sticks out his hand, but Cleo pulls him up short, Georgie hems and haws, I'll tell you when we get home, he offers, Cleo looks Georgie right smack dead in the eye as she replies, it better be good, Georgie, it better be good, dear diary, I take what I want and leave the rest or however that saying goes part 12, coda, Benjamin J. Screeber writes to Dr. C so you see, Dr. C, it's like I have these schizophrenic blue movie skits, and sleazy hardcore video clips, flashing through my nightmares and daydreams all the time, night and day, and day and night, it's not like I'm making them happen, it's not like I'm writing the script, it's not like I'm the director or producer, or anything, it's more like, I'm just another spectator or bystander out there in the invisible studio audience, watching the skits and clips flash past, or maybe I'm the invisible cameraman behind the invisible video camera, just rolling along and shooting the pictures, and watching and waiting for whatever happens next, I can't switch the channel, or change the script, or rewrite the scene, or even make the whole stupid thing just stop, you see, Dr. C, it's like those schizophrenic blue movie skits and sleazy hardcore video clips just keep playing over and over again, in some kind of continuous tape loop or endless cinematic flashback, they're stuck on instant replay, or whatever, and sometimes the same scuzzy characters show up and the same crazy scenes keep playing, like it's deja vu all over again, you know, like there's George E. Gust, okay, there's that Claudia Nesbitt, and there are maybe three or four other characters who keep showing up in different bodies or different echoes, even though I know they are really just the same creepy people, they are the same creeps and perverts, the same suckers and chumps, the same bitches and yo ho hus I already know, and they are always stuck in some kind of perpetual jilted lover's quarrel, or some self-destructive and abusive relationship, it's like they just can't get out of the same stupid trap, or get away from wherever they are, or even just make the whole world stop, so sometimes, you know, doc, sometimes I think that maybe they are trying to tell me something, maybe they are sending me messages and beaming me signals through my daydreams, my fantasies, my nightmares, and my wet dreams, maybe, someday, it'll add up to some kind of message or moral or something, like in those old time movies and old fashioned radio plays, or, maybe, like those fairy stories, folk tales and myths, but you know, they just don't fit together, those schizophrenic blue movie scripts and hardcore porno clips, they just don't fit together, no matter how I try to write them down, or how I try to play them out, or how I try to shuffle them and juggle them into some kind of storyline or movie plot, and then the whole stupid thing falls apart like some jump cut, film splice flick or cut up video clip that did it really work, and it won't get taped up, or glued down, or somehow stick together again, ever no matter of what I do, so then, you know Dr. C, the only thing I can think is that maybe the whole world is crazy, and maybe I've gone crazy too, and the whole world's getting crazier and crazier, every day, and in every way, or like that Georgie just says to his shrink, somewhere in this whole crazy mess, in all his NYU undergrad, and Harvard graduate education, and all that Wakefield prep school jazz, and all of that psychology, those humanities, that literature and art, it just makes him think how ridiculous he really is and how absurd everyone else is, too, 
It makes him think how the whole world is just wacker when you get right down to it. The whole world is stupid, and meaningless and empty, and then I think, well, if the whole world really is absurd, and everybody else is just as ridiculous as me, then why bother to write, or paint, or do anything? Why bother to make movies, or tell stories, or even get out of bed for that matter? Why even bother to go on living? You know what I mean, Doc. Dear diary, what's done is done, what's gone is gone. One of my life's lessons is to always move on. Getting over my first love, dealing with the heartbreak, dealing with all the death and erosion, and dealing with life itself. It's fine to look back and think of fond memories, but I think if I keep moving forward, I will, indeed, live a much happier life, plain and fucking simple. Codex, Dr. C writes back to Benjamin J. Screeber Yes, Ben, I know exactly what you mean, you should know, too, that it's not just you, many other people sometimes feel like the whole world is crazy, and that they are crazy, too, a lot of people think the whole world is ridiculous and pointless, and that their entire life is just as meaningless and absurd, some people feel like everything is falling apart around them and they don't want to go on living, and, they don't have any kind of cosmic glue, or spiritual super goop, that'll stick it all together and make the whole world work for them so they can just go plugging along, maybe they just don't have what it takes to make the whole world stop being ridiculous, and meaningless, and stupid, and absurd and make their whole life seem worth living again, too, but, you know, Ben, maybe you're right, maybe those schizophrenic blue movie skits and sleazy hardcore porn flicks, as you call them are trying to tell you something. Maybe they really are like fairy tales or folk tales, or old time movies or old fashioned myths with some kind of message or moral hidden somewhere inside them, like fortune cookies. Maybe they're sending messages from your deeper self and beaming signals from your subconscious mind, your libido, or your ego or whatever you want to call it, or even from the whole collective subconscious of the human race. The message they are sending you, as far as I can see, Ben, the moral they are trying to tell you, is really pretty simple. Despite all the self-destructive, abusive things and all the hateful, hurtful things Georgie and Claudia, and everybody else, do to each other, and despite the absurdity, ludicrousness, and ridiculousness of it all, the message or moral they are sending is really pretty simple and pretty straightforward, you know, the message or moral of the whole story, as I see it, Ben, is this, they are trying to show you what it's like to get stuck in hell, and know that you're stuck in hell, and still not be able to find the way out, when all along, Ben, the way out is right there in front of you, all you have to do is look for it, all you have to do is want to get out, you can raise yourself out of hell, you can make a new life for yourself, and you can make the whole world over again, Ben, whenever you want to, and all you have to do is want to, because, you see, Ben, in this crazy, mixed up, stupid, and absurd world, everybody needs somebody or something to make everything whole, it's to save them from the absurdity and meaninglessness the ridiculousness and stupidity, have their existence, for some people, that somebody or something is a person, a spiritual teacher or holy man, a great lover or secret soulmate who makes their whole life complete and becomes the entire world for them, for other people, that somebody or something is a spiritual teaching or religious doctrine, a secret philosophy or work of art, that makes the whole world speak to them and convinces them they can live forever, Georgie Gust and Claudia Nesbitt, as you see them, Ben, our people who want to find the whole world in a significant other, and build a whole world around that other person, to save themselves from the stupidity and absurdity of their empty, meaningless lives. Of course, Georgie and Claudia's struggle to discover the whole world in each other, and build a world around themselves, 
are tragically doomed to disappointment and failure because neither one of them can really fulfill the other's fantasies and dreams, neither can carry the whole weight of the world they are building together, because neither Georgie nor Claudia can really accept the stupidity and ridiculousness of their significant other, or the absurdity and emptiness of their great fantasy, they get caught and trapped in their self-destructive and abusive relationship, they're stuck in a self-perpetuating cycle of hateful and hurtful acts and they just keep repeating the same self-destructive actions, and playing the same stupid scenes, and somehow they just can't break the cycle or get out of the loop, or take a deep breath and tell themselves to just stop. Georgie Gust and famous Amos Day Dallas on the other hand, are people who build a whole world around a creative delusion or a life-changing illusion and try to transform the stupidity, absurdity, emptiness, and meaninglessness of worldly human existence into an immortal sculpture or an eternal work of art. The problem is that the world they want to create, to save everything from absurdity and meaninglessness, and save themselves from stupidity and ridiculousness and emptiness, the Hall of the Unknowns in Georgie Christ's one and only original, classical, wax museum, can't really support their spiritual aspirations and artistic illusions, so, their statuesque, classical sculptures and wax and talking heads of self-important small-town celebrities, and unknown street people finally become just as stupid, absurd, meaningless, and ridiculous as the world they are trying to escape, so as much as everybody, just like you, Ben, needs somebody, or something, to make the world whole for them and save them from the their solitary, empty lives, it's also important to remember that no single person in the whole world can support your whole, solitary, empty existence, they can't make the world whole for you if you can't do it yourself, the world is what we make it, and so the whole world is only as we allow it to be, as we make it to be, as we name it to be, if it's what we make it, then we can make the whole world over, and make ourselves over, too, but only if we want to, otherwise, the whole world really is just as absurd and stupid, just as empty, and meaningless and ridiculous as we think it is, also, Ben, it's important not to take those eternal works of art, or immortal wax and sculptures, those great passionate love affairs, or our secret soulmates too seriously, or to take yourself too seriously, either, which is maybe the only real message or moral that George Egist and Claudia Nesbitt, Sir Tony Haldale, and famous Amos, Stevie and Mary, and all the others are trying to teach you, Ben, their only real purpose, meaning, or reason for existence as far as anybody can say for sure, is to teach you how to laugh, does that make sense to you, Ben, or am I getting too moral, you know, you can make me stop, too, or you can make me do whatever you want me to do, can't you? If you really want to or have the will to do it because you, after all, are the author, which is as close to the gods, or God, as we get in this stupid, absurd, meaningless, empty universe, and whatever you do, Ben, it's all up to you, so, Ben, no matter how bad things get, no matter how stupid and ridiculous and absurd the whole world seems, even if the whole world goes crazy, remember, Ben, don't forget to laugh appendix, final Q&A session between Benjamin and J. Scriber and Dr. C. Well, Okay then, Dr. C. If you're so smart, and you think you know everything, let me ask you a question, what does George Egris really want? That's a simple question, Ben, I can give you a simple answer. You see, George Egust, like countless other American men of this psychological profile, weight, age, and character type, simply wants to find a perfect and flawless, beautiful and untouched, pure woman whom he can worship and adore while arriving and groveling at her feet. Someone he can love with his entire soul while she treats him like dirt. You mean like Claudia Nesbitt, Doc? Or maybe it's like George Egist's idea of Claudia Nesbitt. You see, 
N, because no actual sweating, breathing, menstruating woman could ever possibly hope to live up to Georgie Gist's supreme stereotype and highly repressed sexual fantasy of his ideal woman. Georgie Gist is subconsciously obsessed, and compulsively driven, by the unspeakable need to desecrate, defile, and compel the perfectly beautiful woman, to submit to his self-punishing, psychological abuse, and sometimes to actual physical torture, so that he can feel superior to her and make her what he wants her to be, you see, Ben, just like you, Georgie Gust, no, whoa, now, wait a minute there, Doc, let's not get personal, I've got another question for you, okay, Ben, go ahead, shoot, what I want to know is this, Doc, if you're such a psycho guru and know it all shrink, and of such keen insight into the male character, why don't you tell me, what does famous Amos de Dallas really want? That's another simple question, Ben. I can give you a simple answer, in a nutshell. You see, Ben, like countless other sexually repressed, emotionally frustrated, and secretly homosexual American men, famous Amos simply wants to create his own supremely idealized stereotype and subconscious sexual fantasy have the perfect woman who will embody his sublimated and spiritual ideal, and still submit to his disgusting, pornographic fantasies, parenthetical pet peeve, men who would date anything else but a gorgeous woman even if they look like Jabba the Hutt, wait a minute, okay, yeah, I get it, doc, so you'd say, doc, that because Amos can't ever really find some perfectly beautiful woman, or flawlessly pure babe to live up to his sublimated sexual fantasies or spiritual ideal, or whatever, then he tries to make a perfectly beautiful, flawlessly pure and ideal woman by carving her out of wax and making her into a department store window display, or wax museum mannequin, or something, you got it, Ben, however, not even a perfectly beautiful display window mannequin or flawlessly pure wax museum sculpture can ever hope to live up to Amos' perfectly sublimated stereotype and highly repressed sexual fantasy, Amos, like George E. Gust is subconsciously obsessed and compulsively driven by the unspeakable need to desecrate and defile, to debase and mortify, even his own supremely beautiful stereotypes and flawlessly pure images of the department store mannequin or the wax museum sculpture, to shite on her, you might say, hey, Dr. C, right, Ben, so, like George E. Gust, and maybe like you, Ben, he can prove to himself how superior he is to those mere sweating, breathing, and menstruating mortal women. He can then reign supreme as the sublime creator god, and highly spiritualized wax sculpture artist, within his own private universe and fantasy world of the wax museum. Well, you know, Doc, I have to admit you have a point, there, it seems like you know Georgie Gust and famous Amos pretty well, now, don't you? You know them, too, Ben, even if you don't want to admit it. Hey now, knock it off, Doc, it's nothing personal, you see? Sorry, Ben, I'll be good now good enough, because you see, Doc, I have one more question for you, what I want to know, Doc, is this, what does Claudia Nesbitt really want, well now, Ben, that's a little more difficult, isn't it, but you know, Ben, despite the fact that Claudia Nesbitt is a pretty complicated character, and maybe she isn't just one woman, but an amalgamation of a bunch of women, all lumped together in two one, I really think I can give you a fairly simple answer to that question, okay, Doc, go ahead, Shoot, but watch where you're pointing that thing, will you? You see, Ben, Claudia Nesbitt, like Georgie Gust, like famous Amos, and maybe even like you, Ben. Or, come on, get off it, dog like everybody else in the whole human world, Ben, Claudia Nesbitt really just wants to be loved, loved wholly and completely, for who she is as a real, 
live, sweating, breathing, and menstruating woman, complete with her flaws and imperfections, complaints and complexes, with all her cruelty and perversity, her craziness and insecurity, and despite the fact that she really is something of, a bitch, isn't she, doc, I mean, she's a difficult woman to live with, just like we all are, even me, doc, women and men, even you, Ben, but nobody can ever really give us the complete and unconditional love we want, huh, doc, except maybe our mothers, so, we get stuck in these self-destructive, abusive relationships and failed marriages, we do hateful, hurtful things to each other and just repeat the same stupid psychodramas over and over again, like George Egist and Claudia Nesbitt, right, Ben, so do you really think, doc, think what, Ben, we could just snicker and chortle and snort, and chuckle and snigger, and laugh our way out of it, and smile through our tears, and the whole thing would just disappear, and the whole world would be a paradise, a heaven on earth, and we'd all be perfectly beautiful and perfectly sane human beings, it'd be worth a try, wouldn't it, okay, doc, here it goes, one, two, three, pa, 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 and he, he,